Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast hosted by GrandTheftWorld.com. This is episode 57. This is all watched over by machines of loving genocide. That title comes from an Adam Curtis documentary, all watched over by machines of loving grace about cybernetics and ecology and the new world order. We're going to learn a little bit about that tonight during our intermission, the imperial origins of ecology. But before we can get to that, we're going to have to cover Fauci and how Lord Fauci, he's now the science. It's not even like he's just the science. He should be revered. He shouldn't be questioned. It's like a religion. Uh, You need uh, a leap of faith. And then everything happens and flows from science. I mean, Fauci, he's like the merger of science and religion in one person personify it might be a calling of the bible if we could check out that clip tonight uh, a lot of a lot of points on that story and then we'll move into the omicron omni fears and this one small thing the omicron variant of a virus one small thing that they want everyone uh to to focus on maybe not to hypnotize you too much but maybe to hypnotize you though maybe Maybe that's the thing that hypnotizes people, a mass of people like really focused on one small thing. We'll be checking that out. We're also going to go into uh, uh, Dr. Zelenko's uh, latest words. We're going to hear some some really earth-shaking, belief-shaking words from someone who pioneered early treatments for the ongoing uh, pandemic plague that's out there. Dr. Zelenko from New York, and uh, we're we're streaming tonight on uh, thanks to, on YouTube, thanks to uh, Jules Kroll. And we're also streaming on Rumble and Rockfin and a whole lot of other places. You can see uh, the links in uh, the show notes for Grand Theft World podcast at GrandTheftWorld.com. We're going to kick it off tonight with uh, Luke Radowski. He's going to bring us latest update. You might hear a little something about George Soros buying off some DAs. Nothing to see there. He's a philanthropist. He's he's freedom oriented. He's interested in creating open societies. I think we should maybe trust the billionaire and not listen to Luke because he's just a guy in his trailer reporting the news or or. Maybe we should listen to Luke, the guy in the trailer about the billionaire who's investing all sorts of money. But there's there's more to be learned there. Let's go ahead and kick it off with Luke Radowski of WeAreChange.org and BestPoliticalTShirts.com. Wow, now that right there is a mass movement, a mass awakening of people all around the world standing up for human rights and against governments trying to control their lives. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. This is Luke Radowski here of WeAreChange.org, and we got a lot of important information to get into, especially with people who hate being named, as of course they're having an astronomically negative effect on everyone, especially if you're living in a major U.S. city. We're going to be talking about that, plus a lot more. But before we do, the footage that we played in the beginning of this broadcast was, of course, from Brussels, Belgium, where firefighters have joined the protests there. And these protests are not a rare occurrence. They have been happening all over the world, from Australia to the Netherlands, you name it. Wherever you have a government trying to impose their unethical, tyrannical rule for the benefit of the corporate 
billionaire class, you have resistance against what are clear violations of people's human rights. How have some governments responded to this? Well, by only implementing their health policy, which in some places includes a baton over the head and a water cannon during absolute freezing temperatures. That right there, what you're looking at right now, is the government health policy, I believe, perfectly represented. Now, it's such a massive global awakening and movement with governments doubling down, even trying to deny some people the access to grocery stores, like we've seen a Canadian Providence move to implement. Where is the global corporate media on this? Well... They're talking about petty divisive issues that, of course, don't absolutely matter. As, of course, rarely do they ever get held accountable for their injustices. And uh, when they do, people are, are usually happy about it. As, of course, the satirical website Babylon Bee is reporting that there is a 100% unemployment rate among the Como brothers. Now, as the corporate media lets go of one sociopath, they're giving another a voice. As just moments from now, ABC News is about to launch an exclusive interview with Alec Baldwin. This as they're going to exploit another tragedy that Alec Baldwin was responsible for, for, of course, uh, ratings and views. Other Hollywood actors like John Schneider have said that, that this is, quote, designed to to make us feel sorry, end quote for Alec Baldwin, as of course he even doubts that the gun went off by himself, which Alec Baldwin is now claiming. Megan McCain said that this ABC News interview is, quote, pointless and tasteless, especially after, of course, the family members of the ones affected here are still grieving. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think uh, Megan McCain actually made a good point here. But what else do you expect from the completely out-of-touch lunatic corporate media where the brazen Amazon CIA-connected Washington Post is writing opinion pieces about how they believe that the media is treating Biden just as badly or worse than Trump himself, which is an absolutely clown world idea that has no merit in reality, as, of course, the corporate press literally colluded with big tech in order to censor criticism, legitimate criticism, about the now president's son's laptop and other clear, corrupt, unethical behavior by this career politician, which, of course, they have been lobbying for ever since he became the Democratic frontrunner in the last presidential election. The media doesn't criticize Biden. Biden criticizes the corporate media as he's telling everyone the economy is doing great and is publicly criticizing the media for reporting empty shelves that are showing up all throughout this country as, of course, we are going through major supply chain shortages and a crisis that has been exacerbated and made that much worse by Biden's own trade policies, health policies, energy policies, which have been absolutely, totally destructive for the average American. This, as the corporate media has been doing his bidding and trying to cover up the big mess that he has been creating, as, of course, he keeps getting away with rarely, if ever, talking to the corporate media. When he does, he does scripted questions that are written out to him beforehand. He has cue cards with every little aspect with his interactions with the corporate media scripted. He knowingly tells Lies, just like any politician and of course the corporate media is still acting like his fluffer why of course setting their sights on individuals like joe rogan which the corporate media started attacking him because he got healthy and now because he's helping other people get healthy 
just like the president of the UFC that just announced after 24 hours of going through the Joe Rogan treatment kitchen sink therapy that he has fully recovered and is now testing negative. Now, I recently did a video all exclusively about the Joe Rogan kitchen sink on LukeUncensored.com. You can watch it there on our private platform, where you could also get exclusive members-only t-shirts that are only available to, of course, for everyone that has... Very interestingly, the Daily Mail just wrote a very interesting piece about a beady-eyed billionaire political string puller and influencer, Mr. Suru, which for the sake of this video, we are going to be calling Mr. Beady, as the Daily Mail has connected Mr. Beady to a network of woke district attorneys that he personally bankrolled in major American cities, which of course are dealing with massive chaos because of those specific political appointments, which saw Mr. Beatty bankroll to the tunes of millions of dollars. And whether it's Chicago, where gang violence and homicides is becoming the new norm, we're finding out that Juicy Smollett's bestie, Kim Fox, was given $2 million by Mr. Beatty. And in Philadelphia, the district attorney there, where murder has almost doubled, was given $1.7 million, supporting, of course, their re-election campaigns, which, of course, puts him in a political position which allows Mr. Beatty to implement a lot of his policies on the local level. Now, of course, Philadelphia and Chicago aren't the only cities impacted by this billionaire influencing local politics. It's also, of course, the local DA in Los Angeles and all throughout the United States in major American cities as he has literally delved out millions of dollars, which, according to many, have been having an absolutely demonstrable effect on the lives and the quality of life for many people living in the place where Mr. Beatty implements his policies. And as the Daily Mail points out, there is a direct correlation whenever someone connected to Mr. Beatty gets into power with, of course, a massive spike in crime. Now, what policies is Mr. Beatty trying to implement? Well, criminal justice reform. That's the larger kind of broader generalized spectrum of what he allegedly is doing. And don't get me wrong. I am definitely not a fan of our current criminal justice system. It's corrupted to the core. It creates worse criminals under the false pretenses of rehabilitation. It prioritizes, of course, profits over, of course, human lives. And it has becoming extremely political and more partisan by the day. But it's not just political, but I'm going to argue in this video also economical. Clearly, there needs to be some reform in this system, but... I would argue what Mr. Beatty is doing is having the opposite effect of any justice as, of course, more people become victims of his policies. Now, even though Mr. Beatty boasts about sending fewer people to jail and supporting the larger umbrella causes of BLM, a public organization that talked about the values of destroying the family unit, we have to understand that his interpretation of his justice that he paid for literally equates to the pain and suffering of countless numbers of people who just want to live their lives. And it's becoming more unavoidable by the day. You type in Philadelphia into a search engine 
the first thing that comes up are shootings and homicides that happen in that city. As of course, this is a place where Mr. Beatty invested $1.7 million as the murder rate has nearly doubled in that city, making it virtually unlivable. California, now dealing with one of the largest exodus of its citizens from its state, where even the uber liberals in Los Angeles are saying that the homelessness crisis is the city's biggest problem. This, this as 40% of them are reported to say that they feel unsafe in a recent poll, as of course there also has been a major crime wave in Los Angeles, a place that Mr. Beatty also invested in. And it's not just homelessness, it's lawlessness that people are dealing with, as of course violent crime has been rising in that city for the last two years, as of course a lot of this violence is absolutely senseless, like in New York City, where a man was left bloodied and battered after getting randomly attacked in a New York City subway, and violent gang members go on violent sprees like this one that just viciously killed a Columbia University PhD student in yet another random attack. As, of course, murders have gone up 42% in New York City since 2019. It reached a point where even Bank of America is telling their employees in New York City to, quote, dress down and to not wear anything with the company's logo as they fear that their employees will be targeted in these random attacks that are happening on people all throughout New York City. Now, why is this happening? Is, is this happening because... Inflation is good for everyday Americans and, and bad for rich people, as CNN is, is claiming. And, and no, obviously no. Now, now, of course, economic situations do have a correlation here. But I think it's fair to say that what Mr. Beatty has implemented, what he has paid for, especially when it comes to DAs and prosecutors looking the other way, releasing people out of prison, releasing violent criminals on little to no bail and replacing them with political prisoners in our current jail systems. Now, is Mr. Beatty doing this all out of the goodness of his heart because he believes in the political idea? Well, of course, many people would say you're foolish to believe that, as of course, there's many different theories on to why he's implementing such chaos all throughout the United States. Some say it's to push a larger divide and conquer agenda. Some say it's to push the order out of chaos agenda. Some people are also speculating that this could be done in an effort to destroy the retail business, small businesses all throughout the United States, as of course many of them have been the prime victims of many of his policies that literally have DAs forgiving smash and grab robberies that also have been becoming more and more popular in every city where, of course, he appoints the district attorneys. Smash and grabs that, of course, destroy local business. The retail business, as of course, already there was a retail apocalypse that has been happening. And if you look at the major moves made by many billionaires, whether it's for pushing for more regulations, more policies that benefit them that they could comply with that small businesses can't, whether it's them pushing for lockdowns, while, of course, they were allowed to be open, whether it's them fomenting policies that allow people to rob businesses. Who does this help? Well, it's helping the digital of everything and the destruction of small business, which is allowing multinational corporations to gobble them up.
And with Mr. Beattie being predominantly a businessman, it wouldn't surprise me if this was the case here. But again, those are just some theories out there. What do you think is happening? What do you think is a logical explanation to why this is happening all throughout the United States? Why? Okay, so there's a lot there to unpack with what uh, with Luke having to offer so much during those 15 minutes. So let's back it up for a second. You had uh, Alec Baldwin and George Stephanopoulos. I found that interesting. Why do they have to wheel out Rhodes Scholar George Stephanopoulos to do this posturing strategic communication interview where you where the audience is made to feel bad for Alec Baldwin instead of the, the victims of uh, his pulling the trigger? I thought that was odd. But then he really had my attention with Soros. George Soros. Let me let me show you. Let me take you over to the history blueprint for a second. George Soros has given $18 billion to his pro-democracy foundation. That's the Open Societies Foundations. He had $24 billion fortune. He he put $18 billion into this pro-democracy foundation, which has tentacles into America for like the last oh solid that's like an open conspiracy. It is. It is. Yeah, and that's a reference that Tony's reference, making. Yeah. I mean, right. okay. H.G. Wells, who was like the British mastermind of the Anglo-American establishment for psychological warfare, technocracy, and transhumanism. First off, H.G. Wells uh, wanted uh, a world encyclopedia that eventually like became the internet. So that's like ideas they had that came to fruition through America, DARPA, ARPA type things, right? And I believe he is a socialist sympathizer, even though he, he was in. He was a, a Fabian socialist, against, which yeah. is English socialism, Ingsoc, that's in 1984, right? It's just interesting uh, that he painted in such a bad light, but he was, at least early on, sympathetic to that, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and you know, I think he's an interesting character in history. He is, he's Time weird, Machine, yeah. But he was also in Rhodes Roundtable group meetings, and he wrote about it in his personal two-volume uh, experiment in autobiography. So he's in with the, the Cliveden set the Rhodes Roundtable group, the Fabian socialists, the yep. wolves and sheep's clothing, right? essentially, right? right? And then he wrote The Open Conspiracy. He wrote The New Machiavelli. Uh, he wrote The New World Order in 1939. That's one of his books. So yeah, these people, it's not, they didn't just, just invent all this sort of thing. So Soros, I asked uh, about where did Soros get his money, right? Where did he get his funding? So I asked that when I was in D.C. interviewing one of the authors of this book, Dope Inc. Right. This is a really interesting book about the Anglo-American establishment, the drug trade, the British Empire, and how, according to author, uh, one of the authors of the book during the interview, Soros got his money from the Swiss Rothschilds. And at the time, I had just started my book project on the Rothschilds. And I said, I pushed back. I was like, there, there are no Swiss Rothschilds. He said, yes, there are. He said, look it up when you get home. So I get home and I'm looking it up. And yeah, there's a French uh, portion of the Rothschild family. I think it was Maurice Rothschild who moves to Switzerland. He's one of the founders of Bilderberg Group, 1954. And it's like the background financing of how Soros got funded. And Soros made his bones in the early 90s betting against, I think, the British Sterling and tried to crash the market. And that's where he became a billionaire. So he practices arbitrage and chaos magic. He considers himself the Messiah. I probably have that article here in the History Blueprint. It comes from an LA Times article, maybe 2002. Uh, let me see if I can find it 
real quick here for you. There's a lot of sources. Is it Edmund so. Aldolf de Rothschild? Baron Edmund Aldolf Maurice and Jules and Jacques de Rothschild. Look <laughs> at that one out. 30, yeah, so he was born in uh, 1926, died in 97, but was a French Swiss banker, the founder of the Edmund de Rothschild Group in 1953. His investments extended to vineyards, yacht racing, farming, and hospitality, according to the... Uh, I have to fix my... <clears throat> Here's my a Reuters. Here's thing. a Reuters source for the the 18 billion dollars george soros foundations now control 18 billion dollars it's crazy if one of his singular much. goals is to crush american de- democracy what do you think how much influence do you think 18 billion buys you i don't even think bill gates has put 18 billion into like a group that influences our democracies so much as what soros does right uh there we email, go there's this email hack oh well, that's the big that's the big question just, Sorry. I have his general theory of reflexivity. That's a good, if you want to understand that's his, Soros. Um, that's fascinating, right? Rich. That's a, oh my God, a little bit of synchronicity because he's I in almost cybernetics. Well, that's, yeah. that's the point. The reflex, reflexive theory of cybernetics. It's one of George Soros's theory, social cybernetic theories that I was going to actually include from the professor, um, professor Umpleby lecture series, six hour lecture series he gave. I didn't because it was too much, but I did find it. So maybe in the town hall, we'll, we'll go over that clip. Because he has a lot to say about uh, cybernetics applied to social systems specifically. Okay, so I, I just wanted to show you guys this real quick. This is an entry under in the history blueprint for Soros. Toward a New World Order, the Future of NATO by George Soros, 1993. And I scanned this into Scribd. So there's a, well, this isn't my copy, but it here's a Scribd link for it, right? So hold on a second. I'm going to mute my microphone. I'm gonna, I've never done this before. Let's see if this works. I'm going to take you into the other studio to show you an artifact. <clears throat> All right, Tony, you, you can hear me? Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's see. Let's my I can cover so while you want to. You have to. All right, so you can see this is my view when I uh, do the show here. Okay. I'm going to take you over here to the other room. Can you guys see that? Yeah, it looks good. I see it perfectly. That's a pamphlet from the NATO meeting. George Soros made this. November, so that's November 29th, 9-3. Yeah. So yeah. You, and you can look it up. You can find an online copy of it right now. But that's one of the – it's a small meeting. He personally printed that for the meeting to pitch, and that's uh, that's an artifact. So his funding, I have a I have a question here. His funding comes from Rothschild. What was his education? Do you know? Who some of his main uh, London mentors? London School of Economics. I'm pretty London sure. London School. Rothschild okay. School. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, perfect. And just for the record, wow, it's part of the Anglo-American hegemony, making sure that uh, they reestablish communion with America. That was really Rhodes' legacy. And they did it through multiple uh, ways. Um, one was through language control, history, the rewriting of history, uh, to sort of point out how much of a shared common history we have together, sort of a shared destiny, shared culture, that sort of nonsense. It's fascinating how many areas they influenced. And now they're, you know, Luke begged, sort of not begged the question, but asked the question, like, what 
what is the goal here? Is it just playing the dialectical game, you know, um, order out of chaos? Is it more destabilization? I take more of they the manipulate. And I mean, Soros, his job I take is the destabilization. Like, aspect. Yes. Yeah. That's Manipulating elections. Like they've done this in other right. countries. Mm-hmm. This is the whole thing. And uh, uh, Soros's open society foundations. They use Gene Sharp's uh, technology or methodology on how there's a documentary called How to Start a Revolution. And in yes, 1968, yes. I know Gene, exactly what you're talking Gene Sharp about. Yeah, yeah, for the Gene American Sharp. military yep. came up with a methodology to overthrow and destabilize organizations around the world. It was used by the CIA and MI6 they, to overthrow. Like they cover, the cover was Solowinsky, but it wasn't right. It was Sharp. That's a good point. Yes. Yeah. That's a really good point. Because yeah. that's I didn't even I, thank you for bringing that up, actually. So, I mean, they have an active it's like um, if Soros didn't work as part of Operation Gladio, they missed out because he really would have been a great part of that destabilization, uh, supranational NATO controlled terrorist force to make a new world order. I mean, it's literally Spectre that they that Ian Fleming like puts it right in front of everybody. But you don't see it. Right. Until later. That's fascinating. The Gene Sharp angle, I'm not there. I'm just looking up the. Yeah, yeah I got them here in the history blueprint. I'll look them up real quick, too. So, so I, I saw the documentary and then I looked them up. And uh, Gene Sharp, Eugene Sharp. So he worked in international public, uh, uh, the International Republican Institute. Uh, he took uh, strategies by von Clausewitz and Machiavelli. He applied them for the Rand Corporation. He graduated from Harvard University. He's part of the British conquest to recolonize America, 1781, the present. Uh, let's see, University of Oxford, he also did some time at. And uh, let's see, Albert Einstein Institute, Arab Spring protests. Like they used his methodology. Yeah. And then uh, How to Start a Revolution is a 2011 documentary about his playbook. And it was also used on Occupy Wall Street, which is like the chickens coming home to roost. And then from that, you can see other movements and these sort of things. And the Solowinsky was, see, they say that Gene Sharp took from Solowinsky, but I don't know which one. They both were essentially contemporaries. So this would be an opposite strategy. Anything by Etienne Delabuetti. That's true. <laughs> Real quick. I just, this is fascinating about this with freedom and with, slavery. There you go. It's with Rothschilds here. There's this section here, Rich. I just have to point out because I find it kind of interesting. It's about Israel. Israel and Edmund. Edmund de Rothschild's grandfather, Baron Edmund James de Rothschild, had set up the acquisition of lands in Ottoman Palestine for Jewish development in the 1800s. Uh, in the 1950s, Edmund de Rothschild donated the family's property to the new Israeli state. And in 1953, he gave 7,500 7, acres of the town of Chesaria to the newly created Chesaria Rothschild Foundation, which was co-owned by the Israeli state. The foundation was tasked with the redistribution of Chesaria's profits to education programs in Israel. Well, that's James, fascinating. James the Rothschild and his widow Dorothy, uh, like they, James the Rothschild donated the money for the Knesset to be built. Hmm. Here's um, here's Maurice the Rothschild in the history blueprint. He died in 1957. Bilderberg was created in 1954. I'm pretty sure. Oh, uh, so it was Maurice the Rothschild who was the father of Edmund father Adolf. Of yeah, that's him. And then this is the beginning of the Swiss with Rothschilds. They were also involved with James Armand de Rothschild in funding the Knesset and helping to form the state of Israel, which their family had been colonizing Palestine since the 1870s. So there's wow. that, but this is the guy, this is the, this is who I found out with uh, 
in the uh that's the one i was looking at that's what i'm reading from yeah it's just really fascinating they set up this thing after the six-day war called the israeli corporation investment to um basically sort of um i don't know it's it's a weird and then you can read about this story just a real quick uh in the memoirs yeah. of gita rothschild world shield so these are these are real people they had real influence and here's 1829 newspapers saying that they wanted to buy up all of Palestine, right? That's just, yeah, that's exactly about the time. So it's not coincidence. It's the early 1800s here. It's business plans and colonization, uh, you know, opportunities. The, the British and the Zionists had similar goals for that area. They worked a deal. This is part of the history of the Balfour Declaration. It's on paper. This is like, we should just know about this stuff. And then it makes... Yeah. Uh, Anglo-American establishment and using America for like the property manager for the British empire around the world, a lot easier to see clearly when it's uh, some of our allies might not be our allies. I just think it's funny. Like that reference about Israel, the, the 1800s investment with Edmund, I just clicked on it and it takes you to understanding world religions, a roadmap for justice and peace. <laughs> and that's the reference where they come to. Yeah. So just to see that type of propaganda. Well, I'm just going to read this. That's so insane. The 1926 to 1997 Rothschild. After the death of his uncle, James Armand de Rothschild, 1957, he was left as the only direct male descendant of his grandfather and carried on his grandfather's enthusiastic support for Israel. Following the advice of Israel's first prime minister, David Ben-Gurion, Edmund concentrated on providing capital to create jobs in the infant state, a policy which brought him into conflict with his uncle's widow, his aunt, Dorothy de Rothschild, who preferred philanthropy as policy. See, rather than loans, they like to do the philanthropy arguments within the family about the same topics. So it's not like the Rothschilds are all one side or the other. There's a lot of diversity and a lot of people in the family today don't know the history of their own family because there's 30 different versions of it from all their different cousins and the different books and autobiographies and biographies and movies. But it's a good point, Rich. That's a very good point. Yeah. All right, so we made it through uh, George Soros land there. That was a fun little excursion. That was unplanned. That wasn't really on the show card. All right, so uh, next we got Christy Lee's media malfeasance for the week. We're going to talk about the Omicron Omnifear. Surprise, surprise. We told you about that last week. Let's check it out. Overshadowed this week has been the long-awaited Ghislaine Maxwell trial. Just ahead of it, media mustered up a hysteria over a new variant. Omicron. WBNS out of Columbus posted, the World Health Organization says the global risk from the Omicron variant of the coronavirus is very high based on early evidence, and it could lead to surges with severe consequences. Is it fear or courage that compels you, fleshly? And then about an hour later, it posts the key point here. New Omicron variant is resulting in mostly mild symptoms, doctors say. Bringing you what's ignored, sensationalized, unbalanced, misleading, or just plain false. Here's your media malfeasance for the week. Based on legacy media reports, you would think what they call the Omicron is about to do us all in. Oh, give me the 
vaccine to relive to be my pet. So how about a reality check from the doctor who first became aware of the variant? What we are seeing clinically in South Africa, and, and remember I'm at the epicenter, uh, 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 that's where I'm practicing, is extremely mild. For us, that's mild cases. Um, we haven't admitted anyone. I spoke to other colleagues of mine, the same picture. So if the symptoms are so mild, could Omicron be the cure? If people contract the even less lethal variant, perhaps they'll develop the more effective natural immunity. You risk your life to protect the ivermectin. Also missing from the mainstream, the fact it was discovered in fully vaxxed individuals and was also seen in Australia, where you have to be fully vaxxed to travel in or out. As for the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, despite limited coverage, here's what MSM failed to highlight. The presiding judge is Allison Nathan, nominated to the U.S. Court of Appeals just before by Schumer and Biden. Judge Nathan granting Ghislaine Maxwell's request to redact and hide sensational and impure information from the public during the trial. A Ghislaine Maxwell prosecutor is Maureen Comey, James Comey's daughter. Draw your own conclusions. WTOL in Toledo describes it as follows. The indictment against Ghislaine Maxwell is based on accusations that she recruited women to give Jeffrey Epstein massages that progressed into sexual abuse. I guess that's one way to describe an elite sex trafficking ring. And is she an enabler or pawn? So abuser isn't one of the options? seeing as she is accused of being directly involved in the abuse of minors. Enabler or pawn both seem to paint her as a victim rather than a predator. And oh, look who it is. This was the actual swab that was being used to fit up that double barrel shotgun that you have mounted on the front of your pretty face. MSN pretends it knows what journalism is and posts this headline. CNN's Chris Cuomo has forfeited all legitimacy as a journalist. New documents released by the New York Attorney General show Chris Cuomo gathered information from reporters and other sources to funnel to his brother's chief of staff, actively trying to discredit the women, accusing the governor of sexual harassment even though he said under oath that he did not do opposition research. As of Friday, CNN has only suspended Chris Cuomo, not fired him. Also this week, you thought Twitter labeling American Heart Association studies as unsafe was bad. Under the new Twitter CEO, it looks like the censorship is only going to get worse. Now the social network will not allow the sharing of, quote, private media, such as images or videos of private individuals without the consent. It remains to be seen when they'll choose to enforce the new policy. And while mainstream news continues to push that pretty much everything is racist, the Jesse Smollett case this week is showing America is so racist that actors need to be paid to stage a hate crime. Smollett is pleading not guilty to charges he allegedly made a false report to police. With your media malfeasance for the week, for KLIM.news, I'm Christy Lee. All right. So in a week of media malfeasance, there's quite a lot that goes on. It's a good thing she does that 
weekly report, that rundown for us. All right. So next up on the show card here for tonight, we got to get into the Fauci flu, the Wuhan crew. Dr. Fauci stars in the hit show, The Science. I don't know anything about this. Tony, what happened this week and why don't I know about it? Where did this happen? Where, where did, where did the, the, the new laws of science come from? Well, luckily, Stephen Crowder did an interview with Fauci. So we'll let Stephen Crowder and oh, right his interview with Fauci explain you know, his apotheosis to um, his, his merging with the idea of science itself. Wow. That stands cool. as a disembodied thought form that controls some, my the world on. somehow. It seems important. I'm going to take some notes. Hold on. You don't even have to. He did. He just like sort of. You saying I don't imbi- even have to you with his spirit. Yeah, don't worry. Just don't believe. Think about it. Like he'll just overcome you and just. Yeah, it's like a uh, radiating sun. You don't have to think about it, dude. I knew it was coming. Shooter! <laughs> Shooter! Uh, okay, so it's o- Omicron is the new speaker. variant? Omicron. 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 So this is now, there's a new variant of the COVID. Mm-hmm. Who saw that coming? Whoa. <laughs> so surprised. Wait, is, is there, there something variants? they want to distract from right now? Is there, could there be or? anything? <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. I don't want to attribute motive. Okay. Yeah. All right. But I yeah. want to get into look, and I'm going to say something that will maybe get me in trouble, but I'll tell you when I am getting to the point of conjecture or speculation. The na- I'll, I'll, I'll tease it. The narrative has been oh, the vaccinated, the unvaccinated are putting the vaccinated at risk. I think it's the exact opposite. That's all I'll say right now, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll get to it in a second. So the Omicron, 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 yeah, sure. Omicron, I don't or know. Uh, Octagon. Octagon. It's like a transformer with no powers. Octagon, sponsored by guaranteedrape.com. Right. (laughs) Enunciate. Sunday, Fauci gave an interview, uh, that means yesterday, claiming that Republican detractors are criticizing. (gasps) And here's the thing. He said this two or three times before. Mm -hmm. And we have Dr. Fauci actually on in a couple of minutes. We're going to. I should have said that. We have him on the show, which I credit where it's due. Yeah. But I'm amazed. And I want to ask him about this. I'm amazed that... He said this before that he was science mm-hmm. and it was met with very little fanfare. Yeah. And he continues to say it. So here he is this Sunday making the same unbelievably narcissistic, uh, megalomaniacal, megalomaniacal, Fauci like claim. It seems another layer of danger to play politics around matters of life and death. Exactly. Exactly. And to me, that's, that's, unbelievably bad because all I want to do is save people's lives. I mean, anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there. So it's easy to criticize, but they're really criticizing science. Because I represent science. <laughs> I am a science. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You don't aim bullets. No one. No. Yeah. No one says. No, you don't. You don't. Unless you're Neo. <laughs> no one says to him at any point. Hey, look. Stop saying that you're the science. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe don't do that. Like this is. It's not, when I watch this, I don't go. Okay, he said yeah. something stupid. I go. No one is just. No one cares about him enough to say. All right, look, Tony. 
We've been friends for a long time, right? Yeah. Hey, you know, let's go grab a beer yeah, and yeah. sit down at the bar. Maybe ask how the family's doing. Right. I assume estranged, and he <laughs> says, uh, "Okay, look, Tony, you're doing a lot of good work here, but yeah, you you got you got to stop telling everyone that you are the science." Because it rubs people the wrong way. And it's also, I mean, you haven't practiced science in 30 years. Yes. It's, also, wanting to be called King of the Jews is a bit strange. Yeah, yeah. And you don't look <laughs> well. Lord Fauci. Mm. And we think that the, the, the custom crown of thorns that you had was just distasteful. I'm just saying, I, you know, I tell you as a friend because I care. And I don't want you to embarrass yourself. I, Let's just stop with King of Anything and yeah. that you are the science. Tony, I've, also, I've seen the baseball card on your desk. Yeah. Did, did you see the pitch? Did you see where you ended yeah, up yeah, throwing yeah, the ball? Yeah, yeah. Our lady fingers. I wanted, to, I wanted to tell you about this before you actually called Tops to custom make the baseball yeah. card to put on your desk. Mm. I just say, I'm just saying as your friend, as your friend, Tony, look, as your friend, you might come across some, sometimes. You're a great guy with a lot of good qualities, okay, Tony? Yeah. But sometimes you might come across as too much of a piece of shit. <laughs> That's the kind of conversation I would hope someone would have with me. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh. uh, I think you should like, focus no. on your major league pitching because it's yeah. better than your science. Right. Which yeah. is saying something. Yeah, wow. So actually, uh, here to discuss this right now, Mr. The Science himself, hmm. we're, we have oh, yep. Dr. Do we, we have him on? Do we have him on? Yeah, okay. We have Dr. Tony Fauci. Yep. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay, Dr. Tony Fauci, can you hear me, sir? Yeah. I am the science! Okay, all right. Well, I get that that's... You have to get that out of the way. Right off the bat. So this whole thing has been one of the most detrimental uh, experiments that society has has really ever witnessed. You must not criticize the science. Well, I'm not... We're criticizing you, and we're criticizing... I am the science! Right, but we're criticizing your science. We're not criticizing actual science. I... And the science. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, see, saying stuff like that is why Ted Cruz wants to wants to prosecute you, Dr. Fauci, for being the science. Uh, no. I am the. I did nothing wrong. Okay. Oh, what? What about allegedly? Uh, what about? Well, not allegedly. What about lying about gain of function research? I am the science. Okay. Uh, that's always going to. Uh, you lied. About, I th- think I see a pattern here. Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You lied about masks, Dr. Fauci. I am the mask that keeps you safe. Oh, well, that's different. Well, that's different. I am the science! Oh, well, no, okay, yeah. I thought... Okay. You, uh, he switched up a little bit you know, and went right back to let's it. Let's go a different... Okay. You tortured beagles. The media has brutalized me. I am the torture beagle. Oh, what? And also still the science. Okay, uh, I, don't uh, think we're, I don't think we're getting anywhere. We're not, I don't no. think this is going anywhere. Uh, could I make off. one last point? Dr. Fauci... Okay, one last one. point. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. I am the science! All right, that's okay. enough, Dr. Fauci. Yeah, but I am the science! No, 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 no. He tortures children, too, according to RFK's book on Fauci. LD, can you bring that up? Can you look that up? Uh, RFK Jr. book on Fauci. It just came out last week. I haven't read it yet, but I've seen some people make reports from what they read in there, and I'm interested in actually uh, checking that book out. I'm not a Fauci hater, but here's how they play that. If you try to attack the science that they're using authoritatively, you're not a scientist, silly. So you can't attack that argument. If you try to attack, you know, Fauci's use of science, well, he is the science. You can't like, so that's the conundrum there. The other part is Fauci talks about saving lives. No, that dude has a grim reaper list of deaths associated with his name. 
truth. That's not even an hyperbole. It's not even exaggeration from AZT to the thousands of tortured children to the millions of people who were denied early treatment. And the only treatment was when you can't breathe, go to the hospital, get on a ventilator, get high pressure, low oxygen, never come off of it, get added into the COVID death count. That was a machinery, a conveyor line of deaths that he's responsible for in that area, right? Whereas saving lives, I associate that more with doctors McCullough and Zelenko and uh, Pierre Corey and Bartlett and, Bartlett, yeah. and yeah. the people who actually went out and, and Ron DeSantis, who made early uh, antibody treatment available everywhere to his, his constituents down there. Those are the people who actually saved lives. Those early treatments keep people out. Oh, uh, Dana White from the UFC, who <laughs> Burmis has a real problem with because Disney and all that sort of stuff that gets supported with that. Right. But Dana White got COVID. Use the the. He was also the double vaccinated, sink, by the way. Right. Oh, double vaccinated. And still COVID. got COVID. Yeah. Still had to go to the Joe Rogan P, uh, prescribed by Pierre Quarry treatment. Right. Yeah. He gets better right away. No Monday. business for the hospital, really in that that stream of thought so it's almost as if uh does fauci does he do any business with bill gates or these people above government and why is he the highest paid not elected person in the united states government could have anything to do with this rich i'm just pointing of bioweapons and people being scared of the crazy guy maybe you know we have scott gottlieb oh you got revolving uh, that what i see the, the definition Stephen of Hahn. a revolving door this is yeah. what a revolving door looks like they used to be things in cities but this is what a revolving door looks like today so, and that whole I am the science, we call that in logic a circular logic, uh, arbitrary redefinition. Tautology. Type of circular logic. Isn't it a tautology? Yeah, it could also be a tautology if you're dealing with immediate inference. But I was just throwing out yeah. my 50 cent words there, being fancy for you Making guys. Making it sound. Yeah. <laughs> it's more, he, he's redefining what science is, you know, that he is actually the science. So, so all right. So now that we've seen logic. like the setup, Fauci's made these comments. You heard what the crowd... Oh, well, you got his book up there, the RFK Jr. book? Yeah, simonandschuster.com. You can find it all over the place. Oh, they're a conspiracy theory push in place. They make textbooks for schools and stuff. <laughs> I'd also recommend over on Odyssey, the Audio Boy channel has uh, uh, an audio version of the oh, book sweet. available in two parts. Uh, they are long... It's long-form content. Well played, Audio Boy. That might make it into a Peace Revolution episode in the future. Actually, the all Audio Boy has a lot of good audio book readings on there. So it's um, yeah, go well, check it out. There's a lot more than just, but that's a great. I, it was, it, I heard it was number one on the Amazon book selling list for a long. Uh, the Fauci and then book. later, do we have the Christy Lee interview with RFK Jr. Yep. about his book mm-hmm. on Fauci? All right, cool. Yep. So we'll get to that later. But <clears throat> prior to that. There was something else that we needed to bring up about that. Oh, I know what I want to hear someone talk about that situation. We just heard about from authoritative level, like uh, someone in the status quo. So maybe like a Senator with a Kentucky draw accent, who maybe is a doctor who we've seen before on the show. Do we have anyone of that specificity that we could follow the story that we just viewed up with? Let's see. Might be the son of a famous libertarian. doctor. Oh Yeah. Yeah, could be. If, could we had be. The, if we had the right Rand, not, <laughs> we we're not talking about the Rand that Gene Sharp worked for. We're talking about the Rand from Dr. Paul Sr. <laughs> not talking about Ayn Rand? What? Oh, don't even go there. She made that <laughs> name up. Rand was know, the brand of typewriter, and Ayn is a Russian word that means represents nil, no, no, nothing. nothing, no thing. 
I so think it's, it's like actually no Jewish. thing and something that was ubiquitous. So it was like nothing and everything. Yeah. Has a little yeah. bit of Kabbalistic reference there, it which might. is odd for her. Yeah. Cause Ein, Ein is the first, she might, she might like not before have known the that. emanation that was like the pre existing ether. No thing. LD, do we have that clip of Rand Paul? Yes, we do. Let's go. All to right. It. Let's roll. Throw Fauci in prison for five years. That's the quote. That's the headline. Let's go to InfoWars reporting on this. Uh, hang on. Uh, it looks like. Uh, I was, yeah. Yeah. I, a, I thought it was. Uh, what was I on? No, I'm oh, sorry. It was. A, it no, was you the got YouTube the right one. clip. There's both. There's yep. two, but we'll play the YouTube one first. Yeah. All right. Cool. That's where he makes fun of the science. Beijing acknowledges now that they don't think it originated in that market. Well, it may not have originated in the market. Um, but it certainly could have. I think you could say we don't know how and where it originated. He can't quit the wet market theory. So why should we trust them now? Here not to react, a man in the middle of it. Senator from Kentucky, Rand Paul. Senator, thank you so much for joining Fox News Primetime. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we have the introduction of Omicron. You have the way in which the South African doctor has characterized it, which is thankfully unusually mild, yet when you watch the media, elected officials, they're on hyperdrive on the fear index. Your response to where we are right now with this now third iteration. You know, I think the hysteria gets the better of the media and we need to calm down, take a breath and see what this is. Now, if it turned out to be worse, then we're going to have to, you know, make some decisions. But it looks like, and this is what happens a lot of times with viruses, as they mutate, they become more transmissible, more easily contagious, but a lot mm -hmm. of times they become less deadly. And that's what the reports are, at least the initial reports from South Africa are more transmissible, but fortunately less deadly. Senator, do you agree or disagree with the decision to uh, institute a travel ban uh, in South Africa and surrounding countries? Remember, Joe Biden characterized it as utterly racist against black and brown people for Donald Trump to do so. Now they're doing it, but it, it could wait until Monday. It's incredibly, incredibly hypocritical for him to have criticized Trump and now do the same thing. But if you ask me just about bans, bans in general don't work. Almost nothing that man does works to slow down the spread of a virus. The vaccine works and natural immunity. Everything else we've done could have possibly delayed it a little bit, but really probably has done little, if, if nothing, to changing the trajectory of things. Every time we've instituted a mandate, whether it be masks or social distancing or how many people can be at a restaurant or how late you can get a drink at a bar, none of this affected the trajectory of the virus. The virus has moved, the numbers of, of viral infections per day have moved uh, regardless of what man has tried to do. Other than the vaccine, and the vaccine was working pretty well in May of April, but now the vaccine isn't working so well and the virus has escaped it. So the one thing they could do, they're not doing, and that is we should allow for a new vaccine to be introduced. They have it waiting, but they're not doing anything to introduce the new vaccine. Why would they not introduce a new vaccine? You know, that's a good question. I, I think, well, maybe they bought a lot of the old one. They haven't used it up yet, and maybe they're trying to be frugal. Maybe has somebody has something invested in the old one, but the old one isn't working so well. It probably does reduce your risk of uh, severe hospitalization still and death, but it's not really fighting off the virus. So does early treatment. We really could change the trajectory. In April and May of this year, we got down to less than 10,000 cases a day. We did that when the first vaccine was very, very effective. When we got the Delta variant, 
now that it dominates, the vaccine isn't as, as effective as it was. <laughs> and we have a new vaccine. It's sitting Probably there. Probably helped create we the Delta a new variant. vaccine for the flu. They criticized Trump endlessly for, you know, why does he do uh, the vaccine? We got a vaccine within one year. And why aren't they doing anything to introduce a new vaccine or to allow, get the red tape out of the way. Let's get the new vaccine out and see if that helps everyone. It's, good. it's a good point. The guy who made a living getting rid of red tape got rid of it. He gets no credit for it. Now they can't seem to do anything similar now that we're in the middle of it. You alluded to it, uh, Senator, the fact that things that we did in 2019 don't match the reality of where we are in 2021. Well, one man's been there the entire time. You know him well, Dr. Anthony Fauci. He had an interview on Sunday where he declared that he represents science. Take a listen. Anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there. So it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science because I represent science. He represents science. I have a feeling he might be talking about you, Senator. <laughs> You know, when a government bureaucrat has the audacity, the arrogance to say they represent all of science, we should be running the other way. It conjures up images of the medieval church, you know, in their repression of science. Science has nothing to do with having obedience to any kind of government dogma. And you have to realize that most of what Fauci talks about isn't science. He's not talking about a study on this or a study of that. He's talking about wear a mask. Well, when you talk about the peer-reviewed studies of masks, there was one done in Denmark, showed that it didn't work. When you look at all of Sweden, 1.8 million children have not been wearing masks for the last two years. They've had zero COVID deaths. And you say, well, have the teachers been infected? Well, it turns out the teachers are infected at the same rate as the rest of the public. Hmm. So they've, they, they've had no masks for a year, year and a half, and it has worked. And that's a whole country. And there's no real discussion of this because if you question him, and really that's public policy, that's not science. It's public policy backed by some science. But if you question him, oh, somehow you are questioning science because he represents all science. That is incredibly arrogant. It really is. It conjures up uh, Sylvester Stallone, I am the law. You know, it, it, at one point it becomes completely absurd. And as you pointed out, very, very arrogant. Senator Rand Paul, thank you so much for breaking down actual science for us. I am the law. That's funny. He reminds me of that ridiculous Steven Seagal movie. Above the law, bad eighties film. Even to go is above the law, buddy. Above the law, no one's above the law. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, Crystal and Sager, they kind of cover the same story. Yeah, and they would be slight. I mean, they're just as pro vaccine as uh, Rand Paul, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but I think both both of them could uh, agree with people's right to choose uh, bodily ownership and autonomy, these sort of things. Whereas Fauci pushes out-of-date uh, obsolete vaccines by mandate, and these pharma companies have built-in audiences that have to consume their product. You Can, can you imagine being like uh, one of the salespeople working at the vaccine department at one of these places where it's just like on-demand places are just like another 1.4 million doses. We'll find buyers for these buyers, right? Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just state government saying we've got uh, 1.5 million chattel the chattel property type things that we need to, you know, and he that's, made a good just, point that's how that ranchers like, work. He made a good point insofar as just the fact Protect that they the had, 
<laughs> well, they had all these pre-purchased vaccines. So like, well, that's why they're pushing to get the booster for the Omicron variant that it's not even going to work for in the first place. I think it's, think it's interesting. Um, I talked about this a little bit last week, but they had identified this back in July. Uh, this article was originally, originally published July 12th, 2021. It was updated on November 26th, include information about the new strain B11529. But I think they've been following this mutation. It's like they've, it's as if they picked this mutation out and they said, well, it has 32 like very specific mutations on the spike protein. And so this is probably going to be the one that emerges. And that's what they takes about three months lag time to have the vaccine, right? The new vaccine for the Omicron variant ready, but that's not what's being rolled out anyways. So not that it's going to work. And then to Geert's point, and we know this is a tired bromide at this point, but it just creates selective pressure. It's just going to keep the, the pandemic going forever, becoming endemic, which is something Rochelle Lewinsky said, which is going to be with us forever. We're going to need vaccines and boosters forever, which is what they've been pushing because they're just shills for the pharmaceutical industry, specifically Pfizer and Moderna and so Well, forth. now that they're protecting the children, Tony, from something that didn't pose a threat to the children. Tony, everything's going to be fine because those kids will be on new shots every couple months or they'll move it to pills or they'll have some sort of new software gene therapy they give to people, but they're going to be lifetime subscribers, Tony. And sure, a lot of people in the older generations might pass away in the first couple rounds of this. That also plays into eugenics and population control. So like even the downsides to their plan or upsides for them. They're, they're, they're making power on both strokes, the cutting of the forward and the back in their culling system here. And they're going to make sure that, uh, you know, they don't have to convince people not to overpopulate if you don't have the ability to populate anymore. How convenient. Right. And How they don't fun. have to say the government shall issue human beings on demand to their specification, as Aldous Huxley said in 1932's Brave New World. Like people won't have to buy into it. They'll just, they just failed to have fertility anymore. And only the government can produce people in incubators. That's the chapter. That's chapter one, page one of Brave New World. What they're, what we're seeing in front of us. This is how we get there. How do they remove pesky parents from the indoctrination conducted by the state? They're just solving problems with this whole great reset, man. Answer me. Give, give me an answer to this one, then. Is this from the same doctor? that conducted strange experiments on orphan children when it comes to HIV that is pushing now. You're talking on, about Dr. Mengele on newborn children. Uh -huh. Mengele, well, right? Interesting. Yeah. There is a Mengele reference or oh, comparison okay. with Fauci later on. We're going to get to, Oh, you're talking about Dr. Fauci. It's oh, oops. it's current. Well, it's I Tony. I understand. Tony to you. Yeah. All right. So Tony Fauci, he hurt children. Is that the story? Experimentation. And he's now pushing. Well, you're you're talking about vaccines and kids uh, who may or may not have had AIDS were given experimental AIDS drugs to the point of death. Well, you know, Tony Fauci is getting ready to so that you know five to twelve year olds, but they're getting ready to push it on newborns. So that's the next but stage. I would also point out, since Tony Fauci's not here, I'll speak in his defense. I would also point out he didn't get fired for that, bro. Right? Like these things that he did, these atrocities, bro kept his job. Bro got paid more. Got paid, bro. bro. Got pats on the back. Good job, Fauci. Bro got man of the year. Bro's doing business with Bill Gates in 2010 to make the decade of the vaccine. And here we are 10 years later with Bill Gates, and Tony Fauci, like riding on the parade. And everybody's like, it's just coincidence, man. Is it like a fraternity? Bill Gates, you know, with he read Greek an article and he made and... a statement. That's all that happened. There's nothing to see there. It's all coincidence. Some sort of like crazy science fraternity, man. You have a bunch of Greek letters. You know, you call your same bro. So like, you know, it's all a bunch of bros make up fraternities, you know. So and they're just instead of being into football and beer, they're into like vaccines and weird, strange needle 
play. Not to take it down dark ways, but yeah. Strange. Well, let's dig into uh, Tony Fauci's. He doesn't have like a, a closet with skeletons. He's got whole graveyards in there. So let's let's check it out and learn a little bit about the new messiah of science, Tony Fauci, how he became the messiah of science. This uh, Greg Reese video. Yeah, we're good. That's yeah, a good start. And then let's play the Burmese uh, with the Nick Bryant coverage of the Franken cover up. I was going to say Fauci's sort of evidence of that idea of cacistocracy, the uh, worst of the worst being elevated to power. The prime right. minister of Pakistan. Here's the Greg Reese video. The reception of Robert Kennedy Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci, is clear evidence of a mass awakening. The people are waking up to see Fauci for what he is, an absolute psychopath. We've learned of how he directed experiments at the NIAID in which beagles had their vocal cords removed and their heads enclosed in cages where sand fleas ate them alive. And we've learned of how he fraudulently used PCR tests to illegitimately push a known deadly drug upon tens of thousands of people. And many are now learning that in 1992, under the direction of Anthony Fauci, the NIAID funded drug trials on HIV-positive children. Although many of the children were healthy and asymptomatic, they had merely tested positive via faulty PCR tests administered through New York's Child Welfare Department, who then handed them over to the deadly experiments. Most of the drugs being tested on the children were already known to cause deformities, organ failure, brain damage, and other lethal side effects. And yet, the children were required to continue with the drugs regardless of negative side effects. Those administering the drugs were explicitly told that all adverse side effects they witnessed in the children were being caused by the HIV infection and not the drugs. When parents refused to consent to these barbaric trials, children's services took their kids and placed them with foster families or children's homes where participation in the trial would be assured. When the children resisted the deadly drugs, they were brought to Columbia Presbyterian Hospital where plastic tubes were surgically inserted into their stomachs and the deadly drugs they were trying to escape were pumped directly into their bodies. Once the children died, their bodies were added to a mass grave in Hawthorne, New York, a large pit with astroturf thrown over it. To get around the Nuremberg Code and other laws, the state of New York created a special review board comprised of the hospital stakeholders. One may wonder, other than torturing and killing innocent children, what were they trying to accomplish? They already knew of the negative side effects that these drugs were having on adults. But the more we learn about Anthony Fauci, the more we realize that he is an absolute psychopath. And it doesn't matter why psychopaths do what they do. 
Fauci and his criminal cohorts belong in cages, at the very least. Anthony Fauci is just one old crook in a massive conspiracy that is aggressively pushing to inject everyone's children with the new deadly and debilitating mRNA experimental jabs, whether you like it or not. Going after Fauci is a drop in the bucket, but at least it's a start. For Infowars.com, this is Greg Reese. That's pretty powerful, but I want to know more. I mean, that's interesting, but I want to know more. Is this an isolated case? Is this a systemic thing in government? Is Fauci accidentally still the head of NIAID after 40 years? Just like Jimmy Savile was accidentally still having like influence and, you know, uh, buggering children with the approval of BBC for like 27 years. They knew they protected him. They didn't say anything until after the man died. So I don't know. Sometimes these institutions that protect predators and sociopaths and psychopaths, I have to ask the question, is it accidental that they do that? Or is that the specific purpose of these organizations to give people like that a place to to reside and the, uh, per, to preside over people with their power. It's an interesting question. Do we have any other stories on this topic, Tony, or is that just like a, like a drop, you know, a little flash in the pan? W- w- what's going on with this story? Is there more to it? It's actually, I mean, two clips we could play. Another one's by Greg Reese talking about the, the elite's obsession with global sex trafficking, but then Burmis also did one as well. Just assault. So we, and then I think RFK covers one. it with Christy Lee. So let's, mm-hmm. let's yeah, do, three, uh, yeah, let's do three. the Burmis one first. Cause Jason yeah. did an excellent uh, kind of deep dive into Nick Bryan's book about Franklin cover up and kind of ties these things together. Cause child abuse, the cover up of these sort of things, there are people out there who are predators and there are prey and there's people in the middle, intermediaries. You might call them Renfields. Like if the CIA had uh, some sort of undercover asset, someone providing them information, and they had to satiate the interests or, or uh, uh, proclivities of that person, might they acquire and, and traffic children? What was Operation Midnight Climax? And what, who were the finders? What was the finders case all about? Right? Because well, we covered that in State of Mind, the Psychology of Control. It was... Uh, yeah. It was, I can't remember, Craig uh, Roberts. There's two of them. Uh, there's the one, the one that was a cop in, the, in Oklahoma, I'm pretty sure, was the one who talked about the finders case. And uh, information used to be more widely available about these things until yeah. Google started covering up for the pedophiles there, and there censoring everything on the internet. There was an investigative journalist named Dave McGowan. He died a couple of years back. Some of his work was good. Some of his work Weird was Weird scenes sketchy. from the Laurel Canyon. Weird scenes from Laurel Canyon. But yeah. he, he had a chapter called, in a, one of his books, called Pedophocracy. Very interesting, some of the acts. And let me see if I pedof... Uh, I'm sure it's scrubbed. Anyone interested in Dave McGowan's work other than his legacy site and whatnot, Maria Heller was like best friends with him. And she has like hundreds oh, really? of interviews in her archive with McGowan over like a long period of time, almost 20 years. Here it is. It's on the Internet Archive. I'll just... I'll just bring it up so people are aware that the pedophocracy by Dave McGowan and he goes and to all these very strange um, situations in history, including the Franklin cover-up and what you referenced as far as the finders. I'm pretty sure he also mentions that too. Well, this, this title, read. I haven't heard about that title, but uh, is that saying that like maybe the ruling class has that proclivity? 
Yes. And he covers uh, a number of cases from around the world, very similar to the Franklin cover up, the one in America. But obviously, the Franklin cover up is one of, of many um, in the finders. But he goes, he talks about it from a, a global perspective, which is very interesting. It's very detailed. I mean, that's one thing you can say about him. He just sort of states the facts and the strange coincidences and allows the reader to sort of draw their own conclusions, make their own judgments about it, which I find very very worthwhile. I remember reading a good section, a good portion of this back. Oh my God, five, six years ago when I found it and it's available on, um, archive international psychoanalysis.net archive. So I don't know. But anyways, it's click here to read. Let's see if it works. There you go. Takes you to a website called the conformist, but here's, uh, there used to be a website set up specifically by a, either his family or the foundation that supports him and his family that had all of this information on there, all his books, and you could read sections from it. And I remember that's where I first found it. So if you search around enough, you might be able to find it. I'll check it out and see if we can add that to the show card. And then bringing that full circle, uh, we're going to the Burmis clip. When I, when Lisa and I met Burmis, uh, it wasn't the first time we met him, but when we were at uh, their place in Oneonta up in upstate New York, <clears throat> I remember him specifically being on this rant when we were in the room and Dylan was like uh, editing some footage and Jason's like, the, the Vatican and the Pope and they're like a, you know, uh, they're baby rapists. And I was like, dude, I, I see, I've seen the similar research. It's like a pedophile protection network. Yes, right? it is. Yeah. And so yeah, there, there's, like the, I talked about my friend who went to the Legionnaires of Christ, which I'm bringing that up here. Um, and the founder of this organization was a rampant pedophile that funneled millions of euros to Pope. That's so like the Lincoln II's. project, but uh, with yeah. longer history. Yeah, exactly. And so if you could, uh, let me see if I can find it's isolated there. incidents, everybody. It's not, it's not a spread. It's not widespread problem around the so world. So we're talking about the, the CIA and child abuse. Yeah. Here it goes. That, Four that decades from Burma. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty it. sure that's yep. what it is okay. with their new guy. No, no, you're good. Um, yeah. Just for decades, the Vatican dismissed accusations by seminarians that father Ma- Maciel had abused them sexually. Some of them, so Maciel was the one, Marcel Maciel. There's this man. He was the one who set up this organization and he was not only funneled millions and millions of euros to the Vatican under Pope John Paul II, but then the Vatican dismissed any sort of allegations as they did with plenty of the other priests that they were housing and actually just shopping around. Just one apple, one bad apple, Tony. Yeah. It's not systematic. I mean, this is what a, what a wacky organization. They build these massive compounds in the middle of forests in the middle of nowhere. Like it's very secretive. They take, Usually, um, uh, non-native children, like in America, it's oftentimes Asian or Mexican children, not oftentimes white children or people that come that have been there for a couple of generations. It's a very strange organization. And I don't know, it's, there's a method to the evil that they perpetuate, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. LD, that's the right clip. So you got go it. For it. Yeah. Everybody, Jason Burmis here, and there's a story out there by BuzzFeed of all media outlets showing that the CIA, for the past at least decade or so, uh, this report, I believe, is uh, 2016, so might even span a little bit larger than that, 
has, guess what, been abusing children. Oh, oh, and then when they get caught, do they get prosecuted? No, no, no. No, no, no. No, they do not get prosecuted, right? I don't understand that. Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? But, you know, again, people don't get it. They don't get it. They don't understand that uh, these people could possibly be that evil, despite the fact that books like this one, The Franklin Scandal, a story of power brokers, child abuse, and betrayal, delivers a ton, ton, ton of that evidence. Man, I just got hit up by Derek Bros. I've got so much going on today, guys. I'm going to be on with Allison Morrow. I'm doing uh, Frank Analysis. And then tomorrow I should be hosting one of the, uh, I think, the fourth hour of the Alex Jones Show. And I'll be going on the Alex Stein program as well. So we got a lot coming up. Uh, before we get into this new story, and uh, props to An Open Secret for making me aware of it. It's one of the big reasons that I follow them on Twitter, and I believe that you guys should too. It's where I found this story. I want to remind everybody, if you are watching this on YouTube, we are heavily censored on YouTube. I still need you to thumbs the video up, subscribe, and share. But, for instance, if you want my full interview okay, with uh, Prady Upala from yesterday... I would suggest that you make the free Rockfin account. Come on over and check out what you can't see on the Google platform. Even here, we're going to play it a little bit with kid gloves only because we don't want to get into any cyberbullying trouble. We also got the GoFundMe down below. We want to thank Odyssey for backing me up. And I want to tell everybody, all my documentary films are free. Loose Change, Final Cut, Fabled Enemies, Invisible Empire, A New World Order to Find, and Shade the Motion Picture. Okay, so... Declassified CIA files say staffers committed sex crimes involving children. Oh, no kidding. Well, how about that? And by the way, uh, props to Jason Leopold, Jason Leopold uh, Investigations. He's the one uh, with the FOIA. You can get these documents in this thread. Again, another great reason to uh, follow an open secret. It gets into how one of these people, Okay, had sexual contact with a two and a six year old, was fired, but never prosecuted. Another purchased three sexually explicit videos of young girls filmed by their mothers. He resigned. Now, what's really interesting to me about all of this, okay, not the woke CIA logo, by the way. You see, they changed their logo. I mean, uh, you know, for some kind of millennial reason, it's like, you see, like, the FBI bragging about how they're recruiting mentally ill people now that are totally inadequate for any type of law enforcement job. You don't want mentally ill people in those types of positions. All right? But you, you look at this. CIA uh, files say staffers committed sex crimes involving children. They weren't prosecuted, but you get into it. And one of the reasons, they say, is they don't want their methods. Oh, look at that. We can't have these people testify. They may inadvertently be forced to disclose sources and methods. And now, a ways back, I don't know if we could find it right now, but I'm going to tell you a little story about a guy named John Kiriakou. John Kiriakou blew the whistle on torturing people at black sites uh, via the U.S. military, 
okay, via the intelligence groups, an actual whistleblower, was he celebrated? Oh, no. Oh, no, he was not. He was not celebrated at all. In fact, he was prosecuted. He did jail time. They ruined his life. All right? And if you go back through, and I probably did this video two, two and a half years ago, John Kariaku made it very clear when we're talking about sources and methods. If you've got an asset, a source, and that asset doesn't want girls or men, they want children, they want little girls or little boys, are you going to get that? At? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And, you know, it's kind of crazy that Derek Bros just texted me because he's done so much great work um, about the finders that are covered in this book by Nick Bryant. Nick Bryant, along with Alicia Owen, who is one of the victims of the Franklin scandal, will actually be in New York City two days from now. It's what was extremely tempting uh, for me to go down there. And every time I tell people about this book, I go, look, one of the big things about this book is not that this is a narrative, not that it's extremely uh, backed up, but if you look at the back end, this just, just that right there, that's the scandal timeline, okay? And here, starting there, are all the documentations that they included in the book. All the documentations, pretty thick. But they'll tell you, it's a carefully crafted hoax. Jason Burmis has a book in his hand that's a carefully crafted hoax. I don't want to cyber bully anybody. Meanwhile, again, BuzzFeed does this article talking about the CIA abusing children, the non-prosecution of most of them. Again, open secret with a great... Great thread. This is where you get the secret CIA files. This is where you can read the FOIA request. Here you can read the lawsuit. Here's the 3,600 pages of CIA files on its child sex abuse cover-up unsealed by the lawsuit. Front page? Nope. Don Lamont talking about this? Nope. Brian Stelter talking about it? Nope. Sean Hannity, you going to bring this up tonight? Are you? Doubt it. Doubt it. Because it's not about left or right. It's always about right and wrong. And when we talk about these intelligence agencies and we try to espouse that somehow the intel community is above the law, I am repulsed. I am repulsed. I don't understand how any thinking person, especially over the last five plus years during the whole Trump era could believe anything coming out of the mouth of one of the large three-letter agencies, whether it's the FBI, whether it's the CIA, right? Whether it's the DOJ, now we get into the CDC or the FDA. Why would you believe these people? Why would you believe these people? It's the same reason when you ask yourself, why is it that the United Nations is somehow the authoritative source, right? They're the authoritative source on everything COVID-1984, right? Because they're, they're number one. And meanwhile, 2018 to 2020, or I'm sorry, this is a, yes, 2018 to 2020 mission. 
So while they're regulating what you can and can say about COVID-1984 and what can and cannot be posted on YouTube, they're in the biggest child sex scandal they've ever been in. Forget about the one from 2015. This one's bigger. And if you notice it, doesn't say child sex abuse, does it? says Congo sex abuse during the Ebola crisis. And they just say, oh, we're sorry. We're sorry. And then you get down and you start reading about the girl that's 13 years old. The youngest of the alleged victims identified in uh, the report only as Julianne and believed to be 13. Believed to be. We're not sure. We're not sure if she's 13 now. We're not sure if she was 13 then. We're just kind of throwing it out there. Yeah, you know, she recounted that a Who driver stopped on a roadside in the town of uh, Mangina where uh, she was selling phone cards in April of 2019 and offered to give her a ride home. Instead, he took her to a hotel where he says she was raped by this person. And they get into it and they tell you that this is the largest one ever. 21 workers for the WHO in the Congo who have been accused of sexually abusing people during the Ebola outbreak. And then they have 83 alleged perpetrators connected to the mission. And you know, if they're giving you those numbers, guess what? It's even bigger. But hey, the WHO, another great three-letter agency. So I'm going to make this a short video for folks, okay? If you don't understand about the Franklin scandal, if you don't get why the finders is important, if you haven't made the connection that high-level intelligentsia inside this country is also connected to pedophilia and the Epstein saga that we're seeing unfold with Ghislaine Maxwell is just one piece of that very large puzzle, I don't know what else to tell you. So guys, thumbs it up, subscribe, share. The links are down below on how you can help the broadcast. I absolutely love you and thank you so much for joining me. I was searching that almost that whole video looking for my copy of the You're Franklin cover-up. Yeah, the Franklin cover-up, the one by, by uh, Senator, John DeCamp. Yeah, Senator, Senator, former Senator, I think. Yeah, he was yeah. a Senator from Nebraska who investigated and he wrote a book on the situation and then the, the video piece that would go with that would be conspiracy. a here i have it up here conspiracy of silence by the discovery yeah. channel and it got banned conspiracy and, of and silence yeah it got banned so those three congressmen it i think should, came together at the though. last it used to yeah. be on youtube like it yeah. used to be out there i think it, it got banned at the last second too before it was supposed to air on the docu uh on the discovery channel or something like that i think three congressmen came together and make sure made sure it was uh shut down as quickly as possible but conspiracy silence you just read the the little synopsis here it's a powerful disturbing documentary revealing a nationwide child abuse and a pedophilia ring that leads to the highest levels of government featuring intrepid investigator john DeCamp, uh, a highly decorated vietnam war veteran and a 16-year nebraska state senator conspiracy silence reveals blah 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 the interesting thing about this that i remember most because we watched it together about 10 years ago when i was you know, spending a lot of time uh, helping build the studio and we were doing a lot of work together in person is that in a two week span, so many people went dead or missing that were connected, that were supposed to be witnesses. Um, it's unreal. Like you just, you just can't. And so that's how they spin it. They, they say like all of the witness, many of the witnesses have retracted or you can't corroborate the evidence because like it's pretty, it's, it's more disturbing than people can realize. Cause it's not just that they, these are pedophiles. It was ritualistic. 
it's almost like the if you have anyone seen the the fictional tale, but it's saying something about our culture and the, the powerful elite. The, um, uh, oh my God, it's True Detective, season one of True Detective. It's you know that's it's the, there's a ritual component there. That's like and that's what's really disturbing. Like the children that were abused, they were saying it wasn't just the abuse; it was like how they were abused. It's like the 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 pomp and circumstance that went with it. It's just you. you it, it's most people just could not believe something like this exists. And this, the the, the I mentioned Dave McGowan, like he mentions this from scenarios all around the world in this pedophocracy, where it's like there's these ritual abuse sort of centers all around the world happening, uh, if you will. And so this is just like a microcosm, a larger macrocosm of a very disturbing trend in history. So uh, the the camp's book it describes mm-hmm. what was happening like in the eighties. 80s yeah during the reagan administration in there there's a specific page it's at the top of a right hand page and it talks about how one of the victims um in their reports they said that there was a man there filming snuff films yeah which means they were ritually killing children on film and that that man's name was hunter thompson now, the, the victim didn't say Hunter S. Thompson, so maybe it's a different Hunter Thompson who likes that. But if you ever watch Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas with that Franklin yeah. cover-up yeah. paragraph in your mind, and when they start preying on that little girl and they're playing with adrenochrome that can only come from a freshly squeezed pineal gland of a human being or an adrenal, adrenal, adrenaline glands of a human being, right? Correct. All yeah. those lines are in his book around the same time that NIH is doing adrenochrome research on who? Who else were they doing research on before Fauci? There's, there's and this rich real quick, an undercurrent there. Yeah, that, no, you're you're highlighting something very disturbing because then the member Alfred Kinsey, he's doing his work around all of that time as well, and he's supposedly the the sort of the father of the sex revolution, so far as him being the main scientist they were referencing. And you later find out that he was a he was a, a sexual psychopath that was torturing children, sexually abusing children as early as one month old. And he was using that as far as he was basically collecting diaries and data from factual pedophiles and using that to say this is normal sexual behavior, which later on um, got into, you know, DAs and then state legislatures to lessen the crime for pedophilia in many different states and sort of seeing the ramifications of that today and, and around the country. Uh, now, again, really this disturbing. was happening during the 1980s. <clears throat> this is the time of, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan and, and George Bush. And if you, uh, LD, can you look up June 3rd, 1989, Washington Times cover page? Something like call boys took midnight tour of the White House and described vice presidential bedroom or, or something to that effect. They had credit card receipts on the front cover of the newspaper about child sex slavery being involved with the White House back then. So you take the Franklin cover up. That's one piece of evidence. You take the conspiracy of silence. That's another piece of evidence is a, a whole bunch of evidence included in that documentary. You take that 1989 story. And then you take when that man's son was in the white house, George W. Bush. Did he have any weird kind of sexy things going on in the house of whiteness over there? Jeff Cannon. What? There was a guy hey. in the press pool who was a male prostitute who then made like midnight calls to the white house. That was a thing. And there was also a rumor that, Johnny Gosh, the original milk carton kid, yeah, was Jeff Gannon, and that oh, was told to yeah, me by yeah, I kind of remember that by Anthony LePay, who was a guerrilla journalist. He wrote a book 
on 9-11, 9-11 true lies or something like that about 9-11. But when I looked it up, like his mom was a famous communist activist journalist, and that was kind of his role to do that sort of thing. So it's likely also could be disinformation that he was feeding me. There was a documentary about Hollywood that came out in 2020 and it was highly produced and they got a lot, they got heavily into towards the end of the film, uh, the, uh, comma ping pong Podesta brothers, the email Soros funded it. Hey, there's some, some of the emails they showed in that. I'm trying to find something with shadow in the name, name title people in the Soros foundation could find that documentary for connections financially to that place. And then, the guy who runs that place, his his other half, is having uh, f- uh, philanthropy fundraisings with Lynn Forrester to Rothschild at his house. Here, I found it. I so found there's it. a Soros Rothschild connection directly to that whole thing. And since Lynn Forrester to Rothschild was best friends with Hillary, and in the WikiLeaks is like XO XO miss you, all these uh, emails. Yeah, yeah. They were in there, right? Yeah, there there's more validity to that situation that which is why it became such a taboo topic and they wanted to malign anyone who tried to talk about it. And then they had that guy go shoot the hard drive. Right. And then they just told everyone there's no basement under the building. No, yeah, no there's no, no there's no way to get to the basement from that place. Don't worry about but the there is one under the buildings and paintings right. they have in the building and the weird symbolism. Um, and I think the documentary is called Out of Shadows. It's interesting because at the end, they showcase some of these emails you like to spend time with a pizza a slice of pizza for 30 minutes you don't just want to well macaulay culkin's band we're going to fly in thousands of pizza from chicago that's a real thing the only reason so when they came out so the veiled references we're talking about the wikileaks there was a situation in 20 what 16 16 17 it was right around the election it was right before the hillary clinton actually 16 yeah 15 like a couple weeks before it was yeah it was right around that time you're right. So there was certain accusations about a certain place that ser- served around tomato cheese type of dish there. And uh, it was tied into the WikiLeaks and there was code words in there. My yeah. problem with when they said there were code words was what, where do we get these code words from? And yeah, people were like, right. these come from the FBI. And so I went to the FBI reference and they took it from WikiLeaks or Wikipedia. Wikipedia. So then I went to Wikipedia and they referenced the FBI. And I was like, whoa, oh, stop. circular references going on. Yeah. Well, how often does this happen? This is a real, let me take a picture of this coincidence. This right. is interesting. Yeah. So I didn't give it any validity from that space. Right. I didn't look at it and be like, look at all these code words. I was like, I don't even know what those code words mean. There's no proof there. I then talked to a guy who ran IT for a major East coast highfalutin university, like a, a year or so two two years after that incidence. Right. And I said to him, <clears throat> have you ever, uh, what's the, I said, what's the most interesting case? Cause he was like the it security officer and busts people like trying to hack the system and this sort of stuff. So I'm like, what's yeah. the most interesting mm-hmm. case you ever worked on? And he said that they had a professor there that was being very sophisticated in accessing the internet using the university's infrastructure. Right. And so I was like, well, what was he trying to do? I'm thinking espionage, whatever. Yeah. This dude said to me, well, I'm driving, right? I don't know him that well. He's like a friend of a friend type of situation. I'm That's why I'm asking him questions about his job, right? I have no intention of getting into this topic that we were just covering. I said, so what was this guy doing? Oh, uh, no, he was looking for cheese pizza. 
He said, you know, child porn. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was like, I didn't want to say, do you know about WikiLeaks and all all this other stuff? So I said, all right, so tell me what's that all about? So he's like, well, this guy had already been caught by the FBI. And then like, so like he he had been caught the first time by this dude, turned him into the FBI. The FBI probably lets him cuts him loose. He can't make the payments anymore. He had an unfortunate suicide which is how the story ended in between time this guy is saying yo that's an industry term for like they have to hunt there those you people go on those infrastructure Holy right shit. Yeah. so then i knew it wasn't like the fbi or wikipedia it's someone who does that job for a living trying to keep those people out of their infrastructure because that's a real liability for a university so he's the good guy there trying to watch and keep safe and here's this professor doing the very sophisticated things to transact all this stuff through the university network and when he goes to the authorities the authorities, I don't know. They didn't really stop them, did they? Oh, that's no surprise. I mean, look at the that. They're like, here's a guy we can get the drop on, and he can look make at payments. that trainer with the gymnasts. Like, they were how many times did those oh, those young women, really uh, the, uh, underage girls at the time, went to the FBI, completely ignored their requests, and that's like that's a very small incident, you know. Or or if we look at um, what happened to Penn State. Uh, with Sandusky. It's another very small course. At the same time, when we researched that, remember you, you myself and, and your wife were researching that. How many senators and congressmen had houses up there instantly going, I get it. Like I'm not saying they're involved, but they don't want to be associated with it. But I didn't even realize there was that much influence politically up there until I realized, holy shit. And then there's a foundation. Every year they run a huge, it's like a week long, it's a weekend long dance fest. I remember because all a bunch of my friends when I was up there at Penn State would do it's called Thon. And it's a yeah, huge, it's run by uh SAE. Yeah. It's run yeah. by yeah. It's it's the it's dance marathon. It goes on dance people marathon. dance for like two hundred and they raise and, money in order right, to right. For, for kids children. with cancer. Kids right? with cancer. St. Jude's. Okay. Second chance. What was it called? Second mile foundation. Second mile foundation. Right? And who was the, who was the guy who blew the whistle on it? Uh, Mike McCleary. Was that his and name? He, 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 he went missing, I believe. Um, no, he was McCleary. killed. Uh, wasn't he one? He was also researching some mafia connections as well. They said. And so he was murdered supposedly. Who was, wasn't McCleary, the quarterback, the, chief? the redheaded quarterback. That oh, bust, you're talking about, oh, you're talking about, I was talking, yeah, yeah. I'm no, but there confused. was that attorney. Yeah, there was the attorney the, that yeah, one missing. Uh, unfortunate. Yeah, the McCreary. So he was he was a quarterback coach. He was a redheaded. Short well, he head. was a quarterback when I the year like I graduated or one of those mm-hmm. last years after yep. uh, after Brady. What was that dude's name? Not Kyle Brady. Uh, no, Car- you're thinking Kerry uh, Collins. Kerry, Kerry, Kerry Collins, Collins. He was actually yeah. one of their best quarterbacks. Tony and I players. went to Penn State, and yeah. I was never proud of that. But now because of that situation, I'm like I try to keep my distance. But the point is. That type of stuff was going on. The guy uh, who was the the president of the university when I when I paid to go there for an education, Graham Spanier. Oh, he's yeah, involved Spanier. with that whole thing too, yeah. right? So I don't I don't like that I gave some money for Graham higher Spanier education was still there to a place was there. that was so. conducting systematized. So I have to ask this question because serving this, up for politicians. Yeah, right? exactly. George serving w. Up for, Bush, I didn't realize how many guys. politicians like it's okay right. for people who don't know this. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's literally in the center of Pennsylvania, Penn State. It's called a little town, a little valley town, valley town. We can call it's it happy valley. happy valley. And it's like I said, it's like in the middle of sort of Appalachia country around it. Very sort of strange situation. And there apparently there are all these houses. So they have a massive football program. And so that attracts a huge audience, national audience. 
uh, you know, during the college football season. And it has, you know, it's made a name for itself and what, whatnot. But at the same time, I didn't realize all the influence it had with politicians that were frequenting that area as well. I mean, ostensibly for football, but football is only there for three months out of the year. I don't know. It just seemed kind of strange. Any I didn't realize all money the and power connection. flows and influence. By the way, Rich, did you know how about all the uh, military technology that's going on underground there? I, I found that out when I was uh, in my senior year at Penn State, but there's a lot of like laser wep- advanced laser weapon testing going on. They have a nuclear reactor on campus. They have a nuclear reactor. Yeah, exactly. And I, I used to walk by it all the time when my where my car would get towed because I illegally parked. All the and they time, have so tunnels for under the campus. Oh, too. huge. Yeah. It's yeah. a, it's a whole network access tunnels. Now, yeah, so don't Jason pay to go Burmis, to college kids. It's not, it's not what it's cracked up to be. You, you can get the same experience. Rent a house with your friends, do your thing. Yeah. Rent a house go, with your friends. You're don't pay, don't give these people your money. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's a, incredibly expensive. They're just taking it and running some very dark operations with them but whether it's military or child sex trafficking or whatever nonetheless because the point was penn state scandal tied back to politicians who were using that was the point that foundation with the helpless kids and one of the they prey upon them right right and like you said one of the attorneys went missing that was the whole thing they blamed it because he was also researching or uh, gathering evidence uh for prosecution in regards to some sort of mafia in philadelphia yeah, maybe, but at the, the same time, all place. this breaks, you know, like, then he like goes Putin miss- said that over there, they have political assassinations over here. People have unfortunate car accidents and wander off into the woods. So I have to bring this up because and LD, you can speak to this, actually, because you brought this up to me. So Burmis mentioned a man by the name of John Kiraku, Kiraku. Yeah, John Kiraku, John Kiraku, Kiraku, he's a CIA Kiriaku. agent yeah, he, he, right here, dude. I'm pretty but sure be- that he was he was part of the CIA oh, torture whistleblower. Holy shit. I and then he that. worked with James Risen of the New York Times. And then they put both of these guys in prison. And uh, Kiraku got out maybe a year ago and he did an interview with Kevin Ship, Bill Binney. Uh, they're like uh, they're at a table, boardroom table. So all of them are in the room. So mm-hmm. you have a three high level intelligence guys who believed that their government was cleaner than the driven snow firsthand knowledge of how totalitarian it can get. As soon as you try to like do the right thing in an infrastructure, that's not there to do that anymore. Only because of the Anglo-American establishment, by the way. Well, it's an interesting cause and LD, you can speak to this, but you asked me the question. He's like the, you know, um, are you familiar, familiar with John Kiriakou and, you know, um, like, what do you say here? I, I want to know if Rich is familiar with Kiriakou and his reputation he talks about a guy at the CIA that polygraphs on people that work there. Dude said there was an extra extraordinary number of people that admitted to bestiality, as well as there being rampant sexual activity in conference rooms. Uh, now, I know there are issues of polygraphs. So I'm not sure what to make of it. Shocking if true. But you made a really good point, LD. Maybe you could speak to this just about the grandiose nature of his claims, because that's the same issue they make with uh, John DeCamp, as well as with other people who claim to have witnessed or the kids that were abused in the, the Franklin cover-up. It's okay. It. So um, when we were making uh, state of mind, the psychology of control, one of the persons interviewed for that film was a Dr. Colin Ross. Who's like an MK. Uh, I know about Colin Ross. Yeah. Right, he's so, interesting. The late eighties, okay, the satanic so, panic wave. Yeah. Yeah. There was also the false memory syndrome foundation that the CIA created yes. to go out there and, and make these victims be like, Oh, that's a false memory. Yes. They have brought that back recently. There's people recently that they've been applying that to. So 
like so even it's a, advanced I, form of gaslighting essentially yes yes it's advanced and form advanced, of gaslighting that should be like their motto like it, gaslighting advanced <laughs> <laughs> gaslighting applied to the individual rather than society at large yeah so the false memory syndrome foundation was something i remember colin ross talking uh, well our former a former colleague of ours uh, jan he he did a, a series of interviews with him if i remember correctly and he talked with him if i maybe uh, was that before or after the movie i forget I don't know. Let me look him up. I'd have to. Now that'd be before, before, way before. Almost positive. Yeah, this is the Canadian guy. Yeah, Canadian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a series of interviews with him well before you did the movie. But I remember because he brought him up and I listened to those interviews. He was talking about how he's allowed into the Pentagon archives. And he's just reading about, you know, we talk about MK Ultra. He's like, there are so many MK he's got, programs. He, yeah, he's got 40,000 pages on it from it's crazy. FOIA requests. Right. It's it's nuts. And so the MK Ultra is like kind of child's play compared to the shit they were actually, all the other MK programs that were going on. Then you have websites like Vigilant Citizen that I know can be a little out there, but they also highlight some strange coincidences, we'll say. And I'll just, I'll leave it at that. You know, when we see the Biden administration flying in a bunch of migrant children in, this, in the middle of the night and sending them all over the country, um, you know, to live with sponsored families. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, yeah, so the, the podcast that prompted me to send, well, that I shared with you, Tony, and prompted me to ask mm-hmm. about that was it's the backstory radio. It's, uh, uh, Lee Stranahan and John Kiriakou. And mm-hmm. this is from December 2nd. They were actually interviewing, um, young guy named Addy ads. Who's been doing on the ground coverage, of the Maxwell trial in New York city this past week. So in the latter half of this, they get into that, but it's sort of after the hour mark when he, when Kiriakou is telling those anecdotes about the CIA and. uh, Well, it reminded me because I brought up Kay Griggs, which is also, it's just like, we can't verify Kay Griggs's. Testimony, sort of testimonial. Thank you. Yeah. Testimony with from her husband's diary, um, supposedly. But you but can cross same, reference. You can cross reference. Right. Those people exactly. all exist, and they were doing the things that she was talking about. Uh, and the way to, she bl- so blithely state, like as though she know, like as though she's reading from a like the notes in a diary. Like it was just like when she says Heinz instead of Henry, it's like, well, who would know to call him Heinz? And who would you know Kissinger? By the way, for people who yeah, are unfamiliar, he, yeah, the little things he, like he's that. He's called Heinz like, before operations uh, ashtray and dustbin. There you go. And OPC got a hold of him. Right. <laughs> made him an American and then got all of a sudden he's being like groomed by David Rockefeller. Yeah. How does that happen? Or I'm sorry, Nelson Rockefeller. It was Nelson. Nelson mentors Kissinger. Yes. David mentors Zabinu. They are bookends. Like Zabinu and, and they is both, like anti-communist and Kissinger's is, funding communists. But Zabinu works. It's all in the same family. They're internationalists and they harder. brag about it. Yeah. Page 408 of his memoirs from 2001. <laughs> I know how to read. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's a page number. Apparently, a lot of other people don't. But Bill Gates just recently complained that it's just more are, convenient for them not to. Tony, nah. it's not that they, it's not that they can't. It's just more convenient. Well, to according say, to conspiracy theorists, instead of reading 500 pages into it to get to the point, that's all. It, it reminds they're me more efficient. That. They're more efficient at knowledge. That's all. It reminds me of John Gatto saying uh, the Alexander Inglis's 
you know, the, the, the different functions of schooling. And he's mentioning how he had to go through like 600, 700, 800 pages of the most boring print you could possibly imagine. Then you get to the middle of it. And it's like, holy shit, this guy's just laying out a pure eugenics plan through schooling. And it's like literally embedded within this text. And it's a Harvard speech. He gave that then was later later ended up in a, a text that you know I, yeah, I have it i have the text right here it's okay. a reprint so it's kind of boring looking but i, I, I have the the documents yeah, you would you would i would i got it after i interviewed gatto and he said that, that was important i, was I mean like, that was crazy i was like i need to know more need yeah. to know more and so. that means uh since like 1908 that harvard lecture has influenced millions and millions and hundreds of millions of people Yes, through its implementation in the American school system. Well, they're still active. It's serving us so well, though, Tony. Why change it? No, luckily we don't have to use our conceptual capacities. What is that? You don't have to think about it, dude. Uh, Yes, yes, yes. And uh, speaking of not even having to think about it, I'm going to outsource the thinking here for the next little bit to somebody who's not a conspiracy theorist. His dad definitely wasn't killed by Sirhan Sirhan. His uncle definitely wasn't killed by Oswald. Uh, he's a man who's searched for facts and meaning and reality for a long time because he's got a legacy of he's he's got to keep an eye out on what's going on here. I'm speaking uh, metaphorically uh, of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He's featured in this. Is it Infowars? Christy Lee produced Christy Lee. Uh, yeah. interview. Yep. Or it's a Christy Lee interview featured on Christy- Infowars. I think Infowars is now sponsoring, contracting promoting her, her right? show. Like, yeah, they're contracting her because I see they're now selling KLIM is Christy Lee Independent Media. So Correct. she's an independent contractor journalist who makes pieces and are now being featured, maybe. So anyway, it's good. It's good. She's doing a great job. And yeah. Dave, it's a good sort of synergy with what they have going on there. All right. So uh, let's give uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. the floor. He's not going to be spot speaking to us about uh, vaccinating children because that's before pandemic. He was talking about that stuff. Does he have to talk about that still? I guess they're still trying to do that. He'll probably talk about that at some point. I haven't heard this yet, but he's also going to talk about his new book, Fauci, I do believe. So let's check it out. We'll watch it together and then uh, we'll have a little discussion right after the clip. Well, I blame the Democratic leadership and the Republican leadership. Um, and and President Trump for, for allowing you know Dr. Fauci to run the show for a year, and so he was kind of a slave to his advisors. And I think his advisors were terrified of Fauci. If you look at Dr. Fauci's record, it's really extraordinary that he's still in office because the United States, taking his advice, the entire pandemic has the biggest body count on earth. Calling me anti-vax is a way of applying that pejorative to me and other people who are vaccine hesitant or vaccine skeptical is a way of marginalizing us, of vilifying us, of gaslighting people so that nobody has to listen because you sound crazy.
Fresh off my latest YouTube strike, welcome to KLIM.news, Christy Lee Independent Media, where you'll find exclusive content. And by exclusive, I mean purposefully excluding censorship-loving YouTube. My guest today is no stranger to censorship. While the mainstream news would rather have you uh, know him as an anti-vaxxer or a member of the Dirty Dozen of misinformation. We're going to give credit where credit is due. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is the founder of Waterkeeper Alliance, as well as founder, chairman of the board, and chief legal counsel for Children's Health Defense, and of counsel to Morgan & Morgan, a nationwide personal injury practice. Mr. Kennedy is an esteemed author, of course, with a long list of published books, including the New York Times bestseller, Crimes Against Nature. His reputation as a resolute defender of the environment and children's health stems from a litany of successful legal actions. He received recognition for his role in the landmark victory against Monsanto, as well as in the DuPont case that inspired the movie Dark Waters. So welcome to the show, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Thank you, Christy. I, I feel like I'm out of breath with your, <laughs> your biography. Maybe that's why the mainstream news just finds it simpler to call you anti-vax and call it it, call it a day. Well, using, you know, I'm not anti-vaccine. I've said that for 17 years. I just want safe vaccines and I want robust, independent, robust science, independent regulators. But calling me anti-vax is a way of applying that pejorative to me and other people who are vaccine hesitant or vaccine skeptical is a way of marginalizing us, of vilifying us, of gaslighting people so that nobody has to listen because you sound crazy. Right. And um, you they, they've actually gone to the extent of redefining anti-vax as to be someone against mandates. So it's it's ridiculous that they're now taking the literal definition of, of words and changing them. But you're already a New York Times bestselling author. But now you can add the real Anthony Fauci to the list of bestsellers. Um, it's sold out on Amazon. It's um Wall Street Journal, USA Today, national bestseller. So I'm going to be that annoying interview and ask ask you uh, two questions at once. One, did you expect this like crazy reception to this book for it to be as successful as it is? And many of us, I mean, I know I'm wondering, um, the other question to this is, did you have doubts that it could be published? It's almost surprising that it hasn't been censored. Well, I didn't have any doubts that it could be published because I, Horse Publisher, we have our own, CHD has our own imprint at Skyhorse, and Skyhorse has been, for, I guess, 30 years leading the crusade against censorship of all kinds. So they, you know, it's a publisher that can't be intimidated. And actually, Tony Lyons, who is the, who owns the publishing house, an amazing interview on Tucker Carlson the other day in which he really, you know, laid out the philosophy of Skyhorse, which is just a complete opposition to censorship of any kind. So they publish a lot of dissenting views. So I wasn't surprised about that. What has surprised me is the that the book has done so well in the face of a wall of censorship. It, the book is number one seller in the world last week we sold in the first week we sold 120,000 copies and in nine days we sold 160,000 we completely sold out the first printing and that's without a review in any newspaper 
it's with us not being allowed to do to do promo, promotions. It's with uh, many of the independent bookstores and places like Barnes and Noble actively censoring us, ordering small numbers of books, not putting us in the front window. The best-selling book of the week listed on the New York Times was Will Smith's book, but my book sold 120,000 copies, and Will sold only 86,000 copies, and kudos to him for that. Um, but, you know, that's another indicia of censorship, that they won't even list us. You know, that they're just doing the math wrong. They're just uh, to make sure that we don't get number one on the best-selling list. Despite all of that, just through word of mouth and through, you know, independent media like this one, the book is surpassing all expectations. That's amazing. And the real Anthony Fauci is no small book, but that's due in part to just the sheer number of citations. I've heard that there's thousands of citations and sources. So can you verify that? And, and how were you able to pull together so many sources on this? It has, the book has about 2,200 citations, and, and I really want it to be a reference book for people. And I also, you know, when you write a book that this, that's this long, the book is about 200,000 words. So it's really, it's a 480-page book, but it's kind of crammed into 480 pages. And it could have been a 900-page book if we actually laid it out in typical format. But it's really an encyclopedia of what's happened to this country, specifically over the past 20 years, these impositions of these bizarre totalitarian controls. But it's also kind of a 50-year history of how we arrived at this place, of the gradual co-option of all the public health agencies by pharmaceutical companies. Com companies. And... Um, you know, I've been fighting the battle for 17 years, so I have an intimate familiarity with it at a granular level. And I try to provide people in a way that's accessible, that's fun to read, um, but also is a an important and lasting reference for people who want to look up facts about what's happening and, um, you know, and verify them and be able to make the arguments. I know I've read from people that have reviewed the book that it almost reads like a crime thriller, but the sad part of it is that it's all reality. So as far as um, your motivations for this book, uh, you really did what I thought has been lost in journalism. I'm a long-term journalist, been, been in the field for 20 years in traditional media, so I've seen the evolution of how it's changed. And one thing I've, I've seen change is really the tenet of journalism to examine conflicts and motivations of interest. And I see that in this book, you're really examining the conflicts of interests and the motivation behind Bill Gates and Fauci, but it, it seems like you point to the financial conflicts of interest and the financial motivations. So can you explain what other motivations there might be? Because it seems like these folks already have plenty of money. So so what is what are other motivations there? Well, I mean, one of the things that I really try to avoid in writing this book is looking into the heads of Tony Fauci and Bill Gates. Oh, I don't really know what motivates them. What I do is I, I document patterns of behavior. 
And I think when you read those patterns of behavior, that the motivation becomes clear. And as you say, I don't think, I think it's a mistake to look at people like Bill Gates or Tony Fauci and say that money itself is a motivation. People are motivated by the same thing. Good people and bad people are motivated and throughout history by the same thing, which is is not money in itself, you know, not the currency, uh, but rather the accumulation of power. Power over, we all want power in our lives. We want power over our environments. We want power over our food supply, our shelter. We want to be able to protect our family. But ultimately, people want to be able to control other people and their behavior for better or for worse. And if you look at kind of the worst tyrants in history, that's what motivated them. There's a broad control over humanity. And that is the central ambition of the totalitarian state, control over every aspect of human behavior, right down to human thought, controlling what we hear, what we listen to, uh, the way that we interpret the world and the way that we process the world and to control particularly expression, facial expressions. And one of the ways you do that is through masking, Mm. but also, you know, all forms of expression, because expression is our way of conveying dissent and rebellion and resistance. And so if you look at, you know, any example of totalitarianism, for example, Hitler, when he went into Romania and Czechoslovakia and Poland, the Gestapo had standing orders to murder all of the intellectuals, the college professors, the people, the poets, the artists, people who were capable of and inclined towards self-expression, because that's the way of controlling human behavior. And if you look at the most totalitarian countries in the world today, which are probably the theocratic states of the Mideast, those states require masking for certain classes of citizens, and mainly women. And I don't have anything against any objection to a pious Muslim woman putting on a burqa or a face mask. But I think when government is ordering you to do that and saying that you are going to endure punishment if you don't, it then becomes a problem. And... Um, You know, women in those cultures in Saudi Arabia are not allowed to drive cars. They're treated as chattels, as as private property. And the masking is a way of of deterring self-expression. You know, the mass, I look at mass and I say, we don't have good science to say whether the masks work or don't work. The prevailing science indicates that if they work, their, their benefit is minimal. But I don't take a position on it. But what I say is, before we put an entire society under mandated mass, we should look at the other impacts because there are costs, and there are costs to masking children. Uh, you know, children are supposed to be able to look at each other without considering that you know, looking at their friends as biohazards. Masking is a way of inciting fear of reminding us all that we need to stay away from other people, that we need to abridge our relationships. 
And God equipped us for evolution with 42 muscles in our face in order to convey uh, skepticism, um, uh, happiness, joy, love, and also dissent. And when you when you curtail that form of expression, there are costs, particularly in a democracy, that I don't think were ever assessed. So, like you said, this is really about a locus of control, really about power for them. And to that end, though, since we're examining their conflicts of interest or motivations, what would you say are your motivations in being critical of Fauci and the COVID-19 vaccines? Well, I, my motivation is to, to, to get the truth out, to have good science. I mean, I got involved in this issue in 2005, not because I had vaccine injuries in my family, but because somebody made me sit down and read the peer-reviewed science. And I'm very, very accustomed to reading science. It's what I do for a living. It's, you know, if you, I've had, I've been involved in hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits. Almost all of them have involved scientific controversies. And I've had to learn how to read science critically. And when I sat down in 2005 at the request of a mother who had a vaccine injured child and read through a big pile of scientific studies, before I was halfway through, I recognized that it was a giant delta between what the public health agencies and the pharmaceutical companies were telling them the Americans about vaccine safety and what the actual published peer-reviewed science said. And that got me, you know, that kind of brought me into this uh, vortex. That, and by the way, you know, my motive, some, a reporter called me yesterday and asked me if, whether I had a profit motive, a personal profit motive in in doing this kind of advocacy. And I, I said to her, this is the opposite of a profit motive because probably I've lost 80% of my income because of what I'm doing along with a lot of friendships and, you know, and damaged relationships even with people in my family. So it has not been something that pays off, but I think it's important. I think we have to protect children. And we have to, you know, fight for democracy. We have to fight for our personal freedoms. We have, we've lost all of these extraordinary freedoms during the last year, really. Our entire Bill of Rights has been the subject to a kind of controlled demolition, beginning, as you pointed out, with free speech. And Jefferson, Madison, and Adams said we put free speech in the First Amendment because all the other amendments depend upon it. And then religious freedoms, they closed the churches, every church in this country for a year with no public hearings, no scientific justification, just one guy, Tony Fauci, without any you know, objections saying or discussion or debate saying this is going to help. And then they, you know, they closed down, they, they obliterated the right to assemble by locking us in our house, the lockdowns and the social distancing, they got rid of the Sixth and the Seventh Amendment jury trials by saying, by you know, passing the CARES Act and the PrEP Act that said you can't sue a vaccine company no matter how 
egregious your injury, no matter how negligent. I actually want to get into that because you do have personal experience with some of these major companies in terms of litigation, whether it be on the environmental side or the pharmaceutical side. I mean, is it fair to say that we're dealing with and we're being called to trust essentially convicted felons? I mean, what's your experience been in the litigation end of things? That's exactly what we're being called upon to do because well, the four companies, uh, Sanofi, Glaxo, Merck, and Pfizer, which make all of the 72 doses of vaccines that are now mandated for American children, every one of them is a, is a felon, a serial felon. In fact, those four companies since 2009 have paid collectively $35 billion in criminal penalties and damages for falsifying science, for defrauding regulators, for killing hundreds of thousands of Americans with drugs that they knew were lethal, but did not tell the American people because they were making profits. In 2006, uh, Merck paid $7 billion to settle its Vioxx case, and Vioxx kills, uh, it at least 100,000 and as many as 500,000 Americans who took Merck's word that this was a headache pill that was safe. And it turned out Merck knew from its clinical trials that this was going to cause fatal heart attacks in a large number of people. And when we sued Merck and got you know, their discovery documents, there were spreadsheets from their bean counters to their marketing division saying, we are going to kill this many people. Mm. Uh, never mind, because we're still going to make huge profits, even if we have to pay them off. So they didn't give Americans the choice of, you know, most people who took Vioxx, or many of them, if they knew that it could kill them, would probably have said, you know, I'll take an aspirin. Mm-hmm. But they weren't given that choice by Merck. And so you have to ask yourself, and in that case, you know, with Vioxx, you can sue that company. Oh, with vaccines, you can't sue them. Oh, even if you catch them cheating and lying, they cannot be sued. So is that something that we can trust their moral judgment? Because that's the only barrier that they have. And that's the only thing protecting us is the morality of these companies with these vaccines. And, you know, we know now enough about these about their clinical trials, the data that's come out that show that the clinical trials were really catastrophic. I mean, Merck's clinical trial, there's a six month trial, which was the end of the trial, showed that there was a 48 percent increase in deaths and all cause mortality among people who took the vaccine compared to the placebo group. So there were 20 people who died in the vaccine group and only 14 who died in the placebo group. And the and what was killing them, it, it appears, is fatal heart attacks. There were five fatal heart attacks in the vaccine group and only one fatal heart attack in the placebo group. And, you know, and what they indicate, and by the way, there were 22,000 people in the vaccine group and 22,000 roughly in the placebo group. And after six months, there were two deaths from COVID in the placebo group and only one in the vaccine group. So that allowed Merck or that allowed Pfizer to go to the FDA and say, look, there's 100 percent 
Uh, this vaccine is 100% effective against COVID because two is 100% of one. Mm. And most Americans, when they hear it's 100% effective, think, oh, if I take the vaccine, I have 100% chance of not dying from COVID. But that's what it, not what it means. What it means is they have to give 22,000 vaccines to avert one COVID death. Mm. And by the way, those 22,000 vaccines are going to cause or surplus heart attack deaths. Mm. For every COVID death they prevent, they are imposing four deaths from heart attacks. And Americans don't know that, but it's right there in table S4 for anybody to look at if they go into Pfizer's submission to the FDA. Now, when you dig into this stuff and you look at the data and you see how they've been lying to us, it can get a bit depressing. I mean, I talked to Dr. Robert Malone, who said that even after reading your book, he was kind of depressed about just the reality of what's going on. So um, my question is, you know, we have observed at the very least poor public health messaging from Dr. Fauci and at the most what appears to be perjury or gross negligence. So where do you see this going? Do we have hope for any accountability? Well, it's it's unclear whether, you know, that, that I mean, that's what we're working for, working towards. And, we're you know, looking at litigation, we're working with prosecutors, uh, we're doing everything we need to do to make sure that these people can be brought to justice. But, you know, the, if you look at Dr. Fauci's record, it's really extraordinary that he's still in office because the United States taking his advice for the entire pandemic has the biggest body count on earth of any country in the world. So we have 4.2% of the population and we had 20% of the COVID deaths. Our death rate, you know, in China, China says its death rate was three per million. Many of the African countries have lower death rates than three per million. So Tanzania has a one, less than one per million per population death rate. What's the U.S. death rate under Tony Fauci? 2,200 per million. One of the highest ratios in the world and by far the biggest body count on earth. And that's from doing exactly what he said, lockdowns, remdesivir, intubation, quarantining the healthy rather than quarantining the sick. Everything he did was the inverse of what you'd want to do if you wanted to end a pandemic. He did not have any early treatment. And to this day, the U.S. government has published no early treatment protocols. Dr. Fauci's strategy for dealing with COVID is that if you get diagnosed with COVID, go home till you can't breathe and then go to a hospital. There's never been a pandemic in history where that was the solution. There's never been doctors who were told don't do anything for a patient who's sick. There's plenty of things we know that this disease is manageable using repurposed medications. And not just ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and monoclonal antibodies, which we know, you know, through peer reviewed, through hundreds of peer reviewed publications and through case reports from hundreds of doctors that those have an extraordinary effect in this, that 80 percent of the hospitalizations and deaths could have been averted. 
many, many other medications, including anticoagulants, uh, antibiotics, uh, anti-inflammatories, steroids, and many, many others that have shown extraordinary efficacy against COVID. It is a manageable illness. And the Chinese published a protocol by April of 2020. Number one drug on that protocol was chloroquine, which is which is essentially hydroxychloroquine. So they knew it. Everybody knew it then. Tony Fauci instead told everybody, don't take that drug. Don't take anything else that might avoid hospitalization. Go home until you get sick. And every time millions of people who then had to go back to the hospital, each one of those was a super spreader event because that individual now is at the height of shedding viral loads and they're going to infect the uber driver the ambulance driver the people in the hospital their families they're told to go home and hang out with your family Mm -hmm. until you get so sick you have to go to the hospital you know what the other nations were doing the chinese if you had symptoms and you got a positive PCR test, they isolated you. That traditionally is what you do during a pandemic. You isolate the sick. You do not isolate the healthy. You let the healthy continue to work, continue to go outside, to get exercise, sunlight. You know, Tony Fauci never told the American people, you need to take vitamin D. Very early in the pandemic, we were seeing that 78 to 80 percent of the people who were hospitalized and died were vitamin D deficient. This is old news. He never told Americans you need to lose weight, stop drinking sugar drinks, take care of yourself. Well, I mean, isn't it true that that then he wouldn't have been able to get the emergency use authorization if he had pushed these ways to to treat? I mean, isn't that exactly. the motivation? And that's the problem. You know, that was their problem. If there was a public recognition that any of these repurposed drugs were effective, they could it, the, the entire vaccine enterprise would have collapsed because legally under federal law, you cannot give an emergency use authorization to a drug when there is already a licensed remedy that is shown effective against the target disease. Now, and it can be licensed for any purpose. So if they, if Fauci had ever acknowledged for a minute that hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin were effective, the entire $100 billion vaccine enterprise would have collapsed immediately. They could not have given any of these vaccines emergency use authorization. And that was their dilemma. And that's why they had to kill early treatment. Now to that end, I, I wanted, I know my time is running out with you, but I just have a couple more, hopefully quick questions. So as a lifelong Democrat, I imagine you would be pretty, pretty critical of President Trump. Um, but I'm finding that even the diehard fans are now becoming more critical of Trump, especially in light of him continuing to brag about these vaccines and continuing to um, have kept Fauci uh, as the leader in this and the rush through vaccines. So I was curious, um, do you blame him in part for what what we're now dealing with? Well, I blame the Democratic leadership and the Republican leadership, um, and and President Trump for for allowing you know Dr. Fauci to run the show for a year and to accept. You know, I think 
uh, President Trump had good instincts. I think his instinct was he talked about hydroxychloroquine. I think his instinct was to mistrust Dr. Fauci, but I don't think that he had the patience or temperament to actually get into this issue on a granular level. And so he was kind of a slave to his advisors. And I think his advisors were terrified of Fauci. Um, you know, when my uncle went during the early months of his, um, President Kennedy during the early months of his administration, was told by, or actually two years in during the Cuban Missile Crisis, I think is the best example of this. He was told by all, virtually all of his advisors from the military and intelligence community, you have to invade Cuba. And the Russians will not dare to bomb us, and the Cubans will not dare to launch, you know, from their missile emplacements against the United States. We now know that was untrue. They were all prepared to do it, and the commanders of each of those missile emplacements had independent authority to launch, which was extraordinary, but that's what we now know. And my uncle, rather than taking the word of the experts. He listened to the experts, but he researched the issue himself and he made up his own mind and made a, a, what is essentially a very courageous decision, which was to do an embargo instead of an invasion or a bombing. And it was a risky decision, but it was based upon his independent judgment and, and his questioning of his experts. So he was respectful of experts, but he made up his own mind. And I don't think um, President Trump, in the case of Fauci, had the temperament to do that mm. or the patience to really study the issue independently, to get into do a deep dive on a granular level and, uh, and to question what he was being told by his advisors. And that made him really a slave to Tony Fauci and his advisors. And, um, so I think, you know, I, I do think his instincts were good, but I don't think that he had the discipline to be able to stick with them. So very early on in the, um, before the pandemic, President Trump asked me to run a vaccine safety commission. And then he, soon after that, he accepted a million dollars from Pfizer. And I cannot tell you whether that was the turnaround point but immediately after that, he appointed, you know, uh, uh, Pfizer lobbyists and vaccine insiders, Scott Gottlieb and Alex Azar to run FDA and HHS, and they killed the Vaccine Safety Commission. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, I think um, he was not, he wasn't trusting his instincts and he was at a, he was in a place where he, he really was um, trapped listening, taking the advice of his advisors. And since you, you did bring up your family, um, one question I wanted to ask is I've heard you um, in other podcasts talk about what it was like growing up in the, in the, at the Kennedy dinner table, if you will, and that it was always encouraged to debate and have a free flow of ideas. So how does that make you feel, having been raised that way, to see the current condition of our nation where it's essentially not even allowed to have three, free thought? It's essentially not even allowed to debate. We're just 
expected to carry, tow the, the approved narrative, and anything else gets suppressed or censored. What's that like considering what it's you grew very, up with? It's very bizarre. And, you know, people who I've always respected, people like um, Noam Chomsky and Salman Rushdie and Naomi Klein, is, you know, and the entire Democratic leadership has now embraced censorship and fear as governing tools. And, you know, FDR, who is the Democratic Party of icon, stood in front of this nation during the beginning of World War II and said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And he condemned, you know, these fascist governments and the communist governments for using fear as a governing tool. And now it's become the governing tool of choice. There's this constant fear, which, of course, overwhelms people's capacity for critical thinking. It overwhelms their value systems, which, you know, and then there's been an utter loss of faith in democracy. Oh, you know, if you ask, you know, why, if you ask people, why are you censoring? Their ultimate answer is, well, we do not trust the people to have information or to make, you know, good choices when they have information in front of them. And when you get to that point, you're saying we don't trust the people anymore. We don't trust the demos. We don't trust the public. We don't trust democracy. And so they've already chosen we need a different system of government, one that is run by something other than the people because the people can no longer be trusted. And uh, that is a really alarming thought, but it is inevitable. It's the inevitable conclusion of what's happening today with the, you know, this widespread embrace of censorship as a governing tool. Well, I really like how you put that. It's a different way of thinking about it that I hadn't even thought of. So really appreciate you breaking it down that way. So, um, I, I've noticed that the book, The Real Anthony Fauci, is sold out. Um, do you have any tips for how we can, can get a hold of yeah, it? Or- there, there are 25,000 new copies hitting the stores today, and by Monday there will be another 100,000. So the whole week there's going to be, by the end of the week, everybody will get their copy. By, the, by Monday, everybody should get their ordered copies and they can go and order more so that ultimately the New York Times will have to put us number one on the list. That's the goal. We need we need to make sure we can make that happen. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you, you wanted to cover or did we, did we cover it all? I'm good. Thank you, Christy, <laughs> so much. Thank you so much. Uh, very, very appreci- much appreciate you taking the time and we're, we're going to make sure we go out and get those books. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. That was an extended interview. A lot of good content covered in that interview. The, at the end, uh, there's a promotion of some books. I have to go to a promotion of a book. It's not the books they were just talking about, though. It's going to follow along with the conversation we had right before that interview. Very fine interview by Christy Lee. And I noticed a couple of times because I teach students about listening skills and when to interrupt, when not to interrupt. And when she interrupts, there was good purpose and it brought about a better point than if you just let him go on talking. She, she was able to help him like showcase it in specifics. Very powerful interview. And, uh, you know, cut that part out, share it with your friends. People need to hear what RFK has to say. I did during the break locate my copy of the Franklin cover-up. This is the 2005 edition. 
It was the updated edition. The Franklin cover-up, Child Abuse, Satanism, and Murder in Nebraska by John W. DeCamp. Now, I'm going to cover that in just a second. But before I do that, I have to, I have to like set the scene. <clears throat> September 11th, 2001. George W. Bush, he's at a school in Florida. His dad, H.W. Bush, you're going to hear about him in a second. H.W. Bush slept in the White House the night before. That morning, he was at a Carlisle group meeting with the brother of Osama bin Laden and a bunch of other people like Frank Carlucci, people of the military industrial and uh, Iran-Contra arms for drugs trading complex. Let's just put it that way. Later in the day, George W. Bush, under country under attack, doesn't know where to go, ends up at Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska the headquarters of Strategic Air Command. At Offit, uh, this place in Nebraska, there was also nearby Warren Buffett's last annual golf outing, at which the CEO from Fiduciary Trust, I'm pretty sure that's the name of the company, uh, one of the occupants of World Trade Center 2 that got hit or exploded that morning. Let's put it that way. Ann Tatlock was the CEO. So instead of being in her office, she was at the golf outing with Warren Buffett at uh, near Offutt Air Force Base, where the President Bush later went that day. I'm just laying it out. That's part of history. It's not really clearly understood what's going on there, what the machinations are there. Maybe we can give, maybe we can shed some light on it. Let's check this out. I got a couple. I just grabbed the book. I looked for the Hunter Thompson reference. I do have that because I know that was like, that's an accusation. That's a claim. I want to show you the uh, the evidence, but let's see. This is uh, originally 1996, uh, or actually 1992, second edition, 1996, and this was a 2005 edition. So let's just go full page to book. There we go. All right. So we have, uh, let's go to these chapters. Larry King is not the guy from CNN. He's uh, a guy who works in the Republican National Party. Pornography and ritual murder. Uh, how big is the cover-up? Destruction of this Commonwealth savings. The Franklin Committee, because there's a bank involved. Uh, the, the camp memo. And then it goes into some of the whistleblowers like Paul Bonacci. Uh, the Omaha business community. We're going to touch on that. That's one of the strong parts of the story. Uh, the investigation, and uh, let's just go to the, the first reading here. I have a page here. This is reading from page 148, 148, talking about the Larry King that didn't work at CNN. One of King's earliest boosters was the wife of a man with an unrivaled reputation for shrewd investments, Warren Buffett, chairman of Berkshire Hathaway. Based in Omaha, Buffett is the second biggest stockholder in the Washington Post and a controlling power in ABC TV. In 1991, he acquired large blocks, blah, blah, blah. Buffett favors the multiplication of money, but not people. He contributes to groups advocating radical population reduction. His Warren Buffett Foundation lists hundreds of thousands of dollars in grants to the negative population growth, to negative population growth, right? That's like population reduction, you could say. The Association for Voluntary Sterilization, Planned Parenthood, and the Population Council and the Population Institute. 
The Sex Information and Education Council, the Federal American Immigration Reform, negative population growth members, according to the group's literature, quote, believe that a drastic reduction in total population size represents the only viable option consistent with human survival. Oh, he's in the Club of Rome type of mentality. That's interesting. The negative population growth group wants the United States and then every country to enact programs to drop the U.S. and world population to one half its present levels within 90 to 100 years. Buffett contributes approximately 7% of NPG's total budget. It's like worshiping at the altar of a high priest of finance. He has a very large cultish following. All right. So that's, uh, that's first. Let's go to this next one. The Omaha corporations that bankrolled Larry King and Franklin are also major sponsors of youth organizations in Nebraska, such as the Boys Club, the Girls Club, the Boy Scouts, the Boys Town, right? These are covered in Conspiracy of Silence. Uh, Utah Halley, Home for Girls, and others. So this is philanthropy, right? Like the second chance. Just like the, the sec- second mile. Yeah, second mile. That was the Just Penn like State the H.W. Yeah, I mean, Bush that's how group. they do it. They have some sort of. Uh, right. Philanthropic group, some tax the, exempt group that this whole section here for. is Iran Contra related. It's nothing to see here, folks. It's just the CIA, Iran Contra drugs. Uh, you know, this is the same black market network that would be able to run what uh, DeCamp is. Uh, Larry King in there. that story, by the way, he helped funnel the children to the Reagan White House. He is sort of like one of the fronts for that, if you will, not the Larry King from CNN or whatever, you know, the famous talk show host. All right, so here's the reading on the the Hunter Thompson talk reference. show. But, but before I do that, before it's on the adjoining page, I found this, page three twenty six. Remember that reference I gave you about twenty minutes ago? It just happened to be across from the Hunter Thompson quote, which is interesting. Uh, Paul Bonacci has described in detail being dragged to Washington for use as a sex toy for Larry King's clients. Bonacci told investigators he was uh, in one of the private White House tours for young male prostitutes conducted by lobbyist Craig Spence, a close political associate of Larry King in the cloak and dagger Contras enterprise. The, 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 they called it the enterprise. Okay. Spence turned up dead in a Boston hotel room in 1989. Soon after his and King's compromising business was exposed in a Washington times, June 29th, 1989 story headlined quote, Homosexual prostitution inquiry ensnares VIPs with Reagan, comma, Bush, end quote. And if you look that up, LD, you're going to see the front page of the Washington Times, and it's got credit card receipts from the prostitutes. They didn't even pay cash. They paid yeah. male prostitutes. There it is. I got it up here. Uh, it, this I couldn't find, certainly on, on the Washington Times website, or uh, this is archived on someone else's site, but the article is here to read, and there's the there's a photocopy of the headline you were just describing interesting that uh warren buffett had a major stake in the washington post at the time and yet it's the washington post is the one that breaks that story i don't know just interesting well in the next the title of the next chapter that has this reference is monarch or auschwitz part two because or take two because that's mk ultra that's a reference to the cia monarch programming mk ultra so one we get to page 327 it's right across from that quote here it is uh, it starts down here. Let's see. Right. Let's start right here. In one instance, detailed in the Franklin cover-up, Paul Bonacci was taken by Larry King and others to a wooded area in California identified after publication as Bohemian Grove. 
There, Paul and another boy were forced to do sex acts and to consume parts of a child yeah, whom they had pr- whom they had watched murdered by the cultist. Henry Kissinger Heinz hangs out Bohemian Grove. The body was to be disposed of by quote the men with hoods end quote a quote snuff end quote pornography film was made of these events. It was directed by a man the party had picked up in Las Vegas whom Paul Bonacci identified as quote Hunter Thompson end quote the same name as a well-known sleaze culture figure. Paul has told investigators that the ring which plunged him into Satanism was centered at Offit U.S. Air Force Base near Omaha, at, that he was taken to Offit to be sexually victimized by a babysitter's boyfriend and when he was about three years old, around 1970. Offit is the headquarters of the Strategic Air Command and has a cadre of thousands of intelligence personnel. So it, it continues on. But uh, now there's a fictional story. We, we got this on the show card many months ago, but it was about Israel Rockefeller and how he's being framed. Do you remember that story, Rich? If I should, um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I can read it to you, actually, because it's important. The reason why I bring that up is because the technique of blackmailing dignitaries, delegates of various countries and uh, so forth and so on was to catch them in the act with uh, underage boys or girls. And one of the ways they do this is through a fake mirror. And this, I think this book sort of highlights that in many different ways. But he goes on to say, Rock- the Rockefeller figure in this book, that you know it's not his first rodeo, and he knows what's going on. And so what, you know, what do I have to do? Or what, you know, what, so what, last what's week the we, negotiation? We talked about Unholy Tr- Trinity, which is one of the books by John Loftus. He's also written America's Nazi Secret, which was first published in 1982 as the Belarus Secret. Same book, just republished uh, recently by Trande as the America's Nazi Secret. So he usually writes, writes nonfiction, well-researched uh, content based on his cosmic NATO security clearance, which allowed him to go into the vaults under NSA in Meadville, Maryland, I think that's where it is. Meadville, uh, Fort. No, it's not Fort Meade. Fort Meade. Uh, that's right. Yeah, but it's Fort Meade. But there's uh, there's a a, a word, a, a name. I used for to pass it. it all the time. I don't. Anyway, he talks yeah. about it. I have a trailer. Actually, we'll play the trailer in a second because you guys can hear him in his own words. Anyway, he writes excellent nonfiction. This is a novel. The reason this is a novel is because there's some very dry data behind this there's interviews there's stuff that people like so in order to flesh out that evidence and he tells you about the evidence in the back of the book like what does this book mean what's it based on and uh the interesting part about nelson rockefeller we'll get to in a second the first part of the book is about the dulles family now in reality alan dulles uh was working in switzerland during world war one and got involved with an enemy agent and then British got the drop on him. He became an inside British agent, then became the top of America's intelligence agency when they killed Kennedy and the guy who sat on the committee to make sure the cover up went all fine. But nothing to see there. You know, if you find a picture of JFK and Alan Dulles, you'll find a rare picture of JFK with his killer killer. So the first part is how the Dulles's sister is is dating like this spy guy and they have him killed. And this is all real stuff that happened in life, right? So they're bringing it out through the novel. So in this section, the setup is uh, Rockefellers have a building in New York, Rockefeller Center. In Rockefeller Center, uh, pre-World War II, British intelligence sets up British security coordination to help make sure America gets into World War II. 
they continued to have influence in that building. So there's like BF, British security coordination. And then there's Nelson Rockefeller's office all in the same place that they do like 30 rock, right? They got it's Correct, NBC yeah. television studios, Rockefeller center, that place. All right. So this, this part of the book here, the very interesting symbolism out in front for anyone who's interested. In all right. That. And here's another interesting date. This is a real date, November 22nd, 1947. Right. That's the title. So this is New York. And then uh, basically there's two uh, soon to be, because it's not the state of Israel recognized by the UN yet, but in a couple hours, maybe it's going to be. So it's two proto-Israeli agents going up an elevator to go into Nelson Rockefeller's office. And he says, hey, fellas, come in. And then they go through and they throw a folder on his table and they're like blackmailing him, right? So uh, this, this is the dossier that Jerusalem told you about. We've selected what amounts to the tip of the iceberg, which means they're just saying, hey, we know you guys funded the Nazis. That's why we contacted your lawyer, Mr. Dulles. He's aware of the urgency of this matter, right? So then <laughs> this part right here, let me see if I can make sure. It's- this is classic. This is classic. That's why I want to yeah. make sure it's framed up. <clears throat> so they just, they just came in. They surprised Rockefeller. They're blackmailing him. So it reads, the effect on Rockefeller was palpable. His eyes went from the dossier to Elam and then to Misha, who can, who consciously slowed his heart rate to something that didn't register on his temple with each pulse. Rockefeller's eyes hit the first page, the current account records from uh, the current account records from 1943. He turned slightly involuntarily toward Elam, his eyes moving as he read. Elam chose that moment to move slowly toward the window there. Cool. Contained. He poured a large scotch for Rockefeller and then put the glass down and uh, on the open file right beside the contents of the banking file. Turn the page, Elam said. Incredibly, Rockefeller did so. Next was the share structure of a very well-known Swiss bank, courtesy of files no one next to God in Switzerland had ever seen except the sweet young thing at the Zurich Publis- uh, Public Registry Office who happened to know Israel Kifferman's son. The next page is very informative. I think even a journalist might follow its implications. So they're blackmailing him because his family and Dulles helped to you know, fund, fund the Nazis, and now they're coming to collect. So uh, he turned to page three, large share transfer. These are, real, these are real things. This is a novel, but what's being pointed out here are, is real based on an, an in, uh, interview with one of the Mossad agents or proto-Mossad right. agents. Proto-Mossad, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So basically... Um, Rockefeller's hairline was suddenly shiny rivets of perspiration gathering there. He turned the page and moved his glasses back with a finger. Page three was a record of a 1944 share transfer, a transfer tantamount to treason in any U S jurisdiction complete with U S treasury department letterhead. Rockefeller studied that one for a long time. He looked up ignoring the scotch. What's Ben Gurion want? Elam was already reaching for the files. Votes, he said simply. Latin America votes for partition. We need all 15. You get us our votes. You say goodbye to this embarrassment. You can put the dossier right in your safe. Now, at the time, Nelson Rockefeller's uh, Latin American UN kind of head honcho. He could deliver 15 votes. Rockefeller said nothing. Turning turning page after page, some faster, some slower. The U.S. government documents giving him the most pause. Yeah. At the last page, he closed the file, ran a finger along his hairline. Misha expected a rant or a confession, but there was only silence. 
and the dim sounds of the city beyond the plate glass, right? Because the blackmail didn't work. There was no trace of stress on the man now. He raised his hand, and when he spoke, his voice was flat and slow, almost a recitation, not a reaction. Think you can walk in here and waltz off with the whole damn store? uh, Rockefeller rolled the dossier into a cylinder. Fixing on Elam, he began tapping the desktop with it. Condition one, what I've read never sees the light of day. Clear? That's understood. You got that right. If a word of this leaks out, you can tell Ben-Gurion he'll be drilling for oil in his own backyard because I'll personally guarantee that's the only place on the planet he can find it. Understand that. Condition two, you want your country, you get your country, but only if you give up your pound of flesh at Nuremberg. Not a single German banker goes on trial. Not one. Rockefeller stopped tapping the cylinder he'd made from the file and pointed at Elam, but you don't get both. Vengeance or a homeland. That's the deal. I'll have to consult Jerusalem about that, Elam said. Consult all you like. Ben-Gurion has one card, Rockefeller said, and you just played it. Condition three, the Nazis we used as intelligence assets, they stay secret too. Total immunity. You don't touch them. You don't leak a word to the press. They're vanished. Lock, stock, and barrel. Clear? Now all Elam could do was nod. The room had gone silent except for the ticking of the clock on the big oak sideboard. You seem a sensible sort of fellow. Good. Condition four. You'll have your votes, but not a single American businessman or banker gets tarred with this. Not me, not anyone. We didn't win the goddamn war to put half of Wall Street on trial. Rockefeller raised the scotch glass to his two guests. Thanks for coming. They made some calls. They got approval from Israel. They got the votes. And uh, the rest is history. November 29th, 1947, the uh, Lake Success UN hallway ebbed and flowed. Here they're getting the votes. Bada bing, bada boom. The thing that starts out in the 1860s comes to pass. They deal with the different groups. Here's the Zionists, the Arabs, different delegations. Uh, of course, you know, we have the Zionists. Uh, have you. <laughs> The Zionists, they have you by the cojones. His Excellency, the Brazilian ambassador, tells me the fix is in. You talk like a salesman, promising and promising. Sebastian lit a cigarette, uh, a trace, uh, the lace of blue threading over his perfect hair. I keep my word, Alejandro. Your father knew that. So these guys are arguing about how the votes are in and uh, that people called in their bets. And then uh, Mr. Rockefeller knows where the skeletons are. I mean, I don't want to read the whole book to you. There's a good reason to get this book. But most importantly, let's go to the references at the back. Let's see this right here. Postscript. This is a novel, but much of what you've read is based on known fact, although the most intriguing elements are still classified. Some aren't. There were no Neemans, for instance, but Baron von Schroeder knew Foster Dulles well. Sullivan Cromwell, record of involvement, cloaking Nazis, Mossad. So they go through. And then the next page, they're talking about the Nazis and the rat lines, the SS contracts and how CIA knew. And then it says here, John Loftus personally interviewed the Haganah agent who had firsthand knowledge of the blackmail of Nelson Rockefeller. Prescott Bush was indeed up to his eyeballs in the union bank affair. And some believe, as John does, 
uh, that the Bush family fortune stemmed from his single union banking share. They funded the Nazis. That's all verifiable outside of this. So, uh, certainly the burn Berlin wiretapping story is true. John is seeing the uh, intercept. So going over other pieces that they, they dripped out and Eleanor is war, wartime lover getting killed because he's a spy. And they hey, look, 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 go back. Right, right. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, just they talked about Ford Meade and the NSA vault to the bottom. You referenced here Ford oh, Meade, yeah, yeah. the National Security Agency's massive suitlands. Yeah, just a little bit above, um, in a slightly oh, different yeah. form. And Ford Meade, the National Security Agency's massive archive, when his NATO level security clearances allowed him to roam the vaults at will. Much you referenced earlier. LD, will you pull up the uh, John Loftus trailer on my Vimeo page? I did cut like because there's like it's like a five hour two day interview. It's like the ultimate history lesson. That's why I didn't edit the whole thing yet because it would take like months to get it done and it's not done yet but i did cut a trailer to represent the footage and you were going to learn something about the director of the cia alan dulles and his state Depre- state department running brother john foster dulles that you did not know before that might matter a lot in the reference of jfk rfk these kind of guys being killed over time so uh let's see did we uh did we find it yet did i buy so you enough time 10 minute sample the yes. future freedom all yes. right, let me pull it over from this other tab. I'm still shooting interviews for my Future of Freedom documentary. All right, we should sample them more often because there's a lot of good unseen footage. Yet should, to be um, yeah, finished. we should also put them, make them available. These sections of them for subscribers and whatnot. Oh, we can definitely put them in the members area for Grand Theft World. Yeah, we should do that. We could take all those uh, interviews, put them in there. That'd be great. And then people more. can time code hotspots. We can start making a movie faster. We're there doing we a parallel. <laughs> work as a community. Work together. Many hands right, so, make So the setup work. is um, five years ago, Lisa and I went to Florida, to Tampa, Florida, to interview John Loftus. And we interviewed him and my friend, uh, Sean Washenko, who passed away uh, since then from cancer, pancreatic cancer, I think it was. So... I haven't edited the footage because he's in the background while I'm filming. Still gets me. It's tragic. He had a young son and the medical system is what killed him. It wasn't the cancer. And he said as much before he died. So uh, on a happy note, what we did there uh, as far as interviewing John Loftus over those two days, there's a lot of value and the history that John discusses. And uh, it was really good investment and timely investment of time. Let's check it out. My name is John Loftus. I uh, was an army officer, a federal prosecutor at the headquarters of the Justice Department in Washington. And then I worked for the Office of Special Investigations, which was the Nazi war crimes unit that was set up during the Carter and Reagan administrations. And uh, unfortunately, I discovered that many of the Nazis I'd been assigned to prosecute were already on the government payroll. So uh, ended up being a whistleblower. And uh, in 1982, I appeared on an Emmy Award-winning segment of 60 Minutes. Uh, Mike Wallace got the Emmy Award. My family got the death threats. It was a great trade-off. And uh, after that, I went to private practice in law in Boston and set up my own law firm for a while. But over the years, I've become a uh, private lawyer for whistleblowers. And I charge my clients a dollar apiece. I'm the worst paid lawyer in America, but among the better informed. 
is in order to be a client, you have to have a security clearance above top secret. I had a Q clearance for nuclear weapons secrets, an SI clearance, which is the uh, wiretapping NSA clearance, and a cosmic clearance for everything in NATO that was top secret and above. So I could read the British intelligence files and the Dutch intelligence files, as well as the American files. And uh, so I was the first person in a half a century that was able to go through the classified vaults where all these old intelligence files are stored. And they're stored out in Suitland, Maryland, an interesting place. There were 20 security vaults underground, like bank vaults. And each vault is one acre in size. It's a little bit of, remember the, the last scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark? Well, that's where the underground vaults are like, only not as organized. But uh, I was looking for something unique, not just for files about Nazi war criminals, but evidence that might suggest that the hunt for Nazi war criminals had been obstructed. Evidence that the trials had been fixed. My first boss was a prosecutor at the Nuremberg trials, the banker's trial. And he was the one who told me that he thought the trials had been fixed. That resources were taken away from him and the other people who were investigating the banks and uh, forcing them to close down some of their investigations. So he and I had both been army officers who had intelligence training. And so I had two jobs. One was to investigate Nazis from the nation of Belarus that might have immigrated to America and also to look for evidence of this who fixed the Nuremberg trials. Yeah. And the two sort of clashed together. Which is why I ended up in 60 Minutes. What did you discover and why have you de dedicated the last 40 years of your life to exposing these secrets? Mm. I discovered that a small corrupt group of American officials worked with the British Secret Service to relocate Nazi war criminals to the United States. Now, to be fair, they didn't really realize they were Nazi war criminals on the American side. The British knew they were. But the British said, look, we have all these great spy rings in Eastern Europe and in the Arab states. And they may have fought with the Germans in the last war, but these people are not really Nazis. They only fought with the Germans because they hated the Russians, communists more. They're really anti-communist freedom fighters. And uh, some of the dimwits in our State Department, they, they, they bought that. And so we took over the British networks after World War II, not realizing that the British weren't sending us freedom fighters. They were sending us the dregs of the Nazi war criminals from the Arab states and from Eastern Europe. They were recruiting ex-Nazi terrorists to fight World War III. And it was one of the most stupid and corrupt things they'd ever done. But as I dug deeper and deeper in the files, I realized it really had nothing much to do with ideology. This is all about money. You know, it... Dulles wasn't just the nitwit that got conned by Kim Philby into letting Nazi war criminals relocate to America. Alan Dulles was a Wall Street corrupt corporate lawyer. And they had their own agenda. 
It wasn't about national security at all. It was about bankers' security. It was all about the money. It was about setting up new cartels, monopolies, and trusts. Um, you know, they, in the British dominated, for example, the oil fields on the Arabian Peninsula. So uh, we used guys like Alan Dulles, who then was in our State Department, and we arranged to send guns and ammunition to uh, this rebel group of tribesmen led by Ibn Saud, and that became the House of Saud. And we, we literally gave them the guns to put themselves in power in the 1930s. And they took over Mecca and Medina. Um, unfortunately, their religious mindset was somewhere to the right of Attila the Hun. They had a philosophy called Wahhabism or Salafism, which has been declared a heresy against Islam you know, more than 60 times before 1900. But once they had oil, you know, all of a sudden the Saudis could buy legitimacy. The Dulles brothers have now borrowed under the government. Truman's been reelected. They have to hide the Nazi connection. They have to hide the Saudi connection. They have to hide the Bolshevik connection. And it's business as usual. But it's not about an ideological conspiracy. I mean, they were funding the communists at the same time as they were funding the Nazis for this handful of really greedy people in Wall Street. It was just about making money. So an intelligence agency practices, uh, best practices of the world over history, uh, it offers plausible deniability when they externalize and use these other factions to kind of do their dirty work. Yes? Yeah, over, it's useful in a long period of time to have a proxy army, if you will. For example, um, there was an Arab Nazi movement, and it was called the, the Muslim Brotherhood, run by a guy named Hassan al-Banna, and he was founded it in 1928. And he was a real admirer of Adolf Hitler, wrote him letters all the time to the young Hitler saying, I like your philosophy, I read your book, we got to work together. And they did. Uh, the Muslim Brotherhood became the arm of the Abwehr, the German intelligence network, in the Middle East. The Muslim Brotherhood were Nazi spies all over the Middle East, and they went from a half a million members to three quarters of a million members. And Philby sold them to the Dulles Brothers. And uh, the, when Nasser and the secularists came to power in Egypt in the 1950s, they had this huge army of Nazis running around their country, and they threw them out. And Dulles went to the Saudis, who were his business clients, and asked them to take them in. And this gets really funny here. The Saudis agreed because the, at least the Egyptian Nazis and the Muslim Brotherhood Nazis were literate. So the Saudis gave them a job as school teachers at the madrasas. And so young men like Osama bin Laden were literally educated by first generation Nazis. And the brother of the chief Nazi propagandist, Qutub, was the guy who was the tutor for Osama bin Laden. So you had a perfect storm of Nazi racism and Saudi religious bigotry coming together with the relocation of the Muslim Brotherhood to Saudi Arabia. And this is the same Muslim Brotherhood that, you know, they were still fighting recently in Egypt. They never went away. Um, this is the second generation Nazis are there. When you think about it, the Muslim Brotherhood and its offshoots, Al-Qaeda and Hamas, 
they are the same philosophy. They're, they're against democracy, against Western civilization, they hate the English and the Americans, and above all, the Jews. So nothing has changed. Uh, we're still fighting in the Middle East because Philby conned us, conned Dulles, into taking over the Muslim Brotherhood. You know, that was going to be his proxy army of terrorists to fight the communist terrorists in the Middle East. And boy, did we get suckered in. Well, let's talk about the Dulles brothers for a second. You state that Alan Dulles was one of the worst traitors in American history. Uh, can you talk about the Dulles brothers in the context of the 20s, 30s, and 40s? In the 20s, 30s, and 40s, the Dulles brothers were helping the Wall Street robber barons take their money out of the United States and relocate it to friendly foreign fascists, you know, whether it was Saudi or, or even the Bolsheviks in Russia or the German fascists, because they could reestablish the monopolies that these guys loved. But also, they knew that, you know, as Hitler came to power, he was turning on them. And the very first law that Hitler passed when he came to power was to ban foreign ownership of German companies. So the Dulles brothers went to work on cloaking. And they set up Swiss companies in a Swiss bank that would own the stock of German banks. And it was the German banks that would own the stock of the German corporations. So that's how they got around the Hitler's block. Hitler's finance minister, by the way, Halmar Schacht, was born in Brooklyn. And, you know, it's another business associate of the Dulles brothers. The, uh, you know, it was all about the money in those days. Seventy percent of the money that went to rebuild the Third Reich came from Wall Street and from the city of London. Seventy percent comes from Wall Street in London to rebuild the Third Reich. Unreal. Incredible documentary, Rich. Um, we'll be back in a second, but We're I just wanted now for to... another speaker, another guest speaker. Yep. Oh, sorry about that. Keep going. Oh, you're good. You're good. I was just going to say, I wanted to circle back real quickly to um, just the clo closing remarks about the Franklin cover-up. Uh, a friend of ours, um, Rick Malco, I believe his name was, I haven't actually engaged with him in quite a long time, but he's a close friend of uh, Richard and his wife, especially when they were starting out um, their new business venture with Tragedy and Hope and trying to build this online community. And he actually, I think, went to visit Senator, well, former Senator John DeCamp, the author of the Franklin cover-up. And um, it's, you know, when, when one goes down this pathway of research, it can be quite heavy. And apparently he had taken to alcohol and it was sort of a mess. But I can only imagine what it's like to read. So when people sometimes say there's so many grandiose, I've heard a lot of strange cliché strange cliche sort of thrown out well it's such a grandiose you know claims he's making well it's not necessarily claims he's making he's just documenting what he heard from the victims and you know if you document you know saw a victim stating that like Bonacci, for example um stating that you know they're forced to eat you know body parts that's also in the conspiracy of silence it's pretty difficult to i can only imagine what what one would go through having to come to the realization of what that if that were to actually happen what that would mean um, insofar as like the people who engage in such behavior and, and that being a part of the human condition. So, um, it was just, it was disappointing to hear, um, about what happened to, to John DeCamp, but nonetheless is, I, I, I think it sort of gives testament 
to the fact that I don't think he was necessarily the point is he wasn't just making it up. He was trying to document at least the claims made by those who had been supposed victims were at uh, intimate connections with um, Larry King and his associates and people financing that operation. And I think it's it goes to show that, you know, it it conspicuously disturbed him. On, on conspicuously the level. disturbed him like Kathleen Casey was conspicuously disturbed during the Reese committee investigation of the nonprofit foundations and their un-American activities. She had, a, you, she was an yes. attorney. She yes. was sent to do spot reading of the Carnegie foundation minutes at their annual meetings. And they're, they were like, how do we take over America? How do we take over the statecraft of America? She started reading through that. They had a systematic plan. She yeah. had a nervous breakdown. She had to, she had go. to be excused. She had to be uh, hospitalized after. Cause what she believed, you know, she's working in the government. She's all, like, she wasn't a proponent of being skeptical. She was like their, their person to review. And like, she's going to be cool with it. Right. And she saw behind the curtain when she was not prepared for that. Not prepared. And that's, that's what Norman right. Dodd. He was the, the director of the Reese committee commission. Like there's a, there's two interviews that have his testimony. One's by G. Edward Griffin. One is by Stanley Monteith. In both of those, uh, here's a Yale graduate who was chosen by Congress to do an investigation. The results of his investigation show and support David Rockefeller's comments that they're internationalists, that their job is to subvert American sovereignty so that they can have globalism. They're very now, they write that, about but it. That's, that's a British model because the, the internationalist idea comes from British Freemasonry, the idea of being a city of cosmopolitanism. International relations a, right. comes from all of that. Yeah. International right. relations, like the Royal Institute for International. It's interesting that John Loftus sits there and says uh, he talks about the Muslim Brotherhood. I went into some detail with that when the Afghanistan debacle happened. And it's just, you know, it's interesting because the proxy war setting using extremist groups and, you know, uh, building them up as though they represent Operation Gladio. religion that goes back to, well, yeah, Gladio. Sure. But it goes back to, again, that's a British model. That's that's what the British State Department is doing in the 19th century, for God's sakes. Like this is old like that. What's the great game? What, what Dulles got sold on? The great game by, is what by, traditionally they call it. You can look it up. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. And the other two pieces missing from the sample is Loft is talking about St. John Philby in 1925, grooming the, the Arabs and creating uh, the, the Saudi. Saudi promoting them and building them up. Royals. Like he was MI6's proxy to do all that. Right. And then his son, Kim Philby sold that network off. So there was like multi-generational grooming of, you know, uh, Arab proxy forces Yes. Handed over to the people running Operation Gladio in the name of anti-communism, and they can associate and do all these uh, assassinations, coups. What was September exactly. 11th? So first off, did you guys notice in the, uh, the John Loftus book, The Witness Tree, that it was November 22nd, 1947? Yes. Yeah. I mean, Almost that's as if like that's a date specific. Like, I was going to say it's a it's symbolic a holiday date. that they celebrate. Yeah. There might be many things through history that have a date like that with a small group of people. It's a day of sacrifice. With. It's a consistent day of sacrifice. So it was September 11th. September 11th, 1973 was the, the mm-hmm. Chilean coup run by Kissinger, who was one of those Nazis they brought over. Right. There, there are some connections between these things. Yes. There, there's there's a history to be learned and examined, yeah. but that's not the purpose of the rest of this episode. That was just a convenient 
using of the resources locally to add on to the fine work of Burmis and Nick Bryant and these other people bringing out these facts about that type of systematized thing going on. And uh, <clears throat> shame on the people who try to cover it up and, uh, you know, go after people who investigate such things. The otherwise, And also, just as a last point, network. I have to say, you know, Look at the how Biden has been built up and the the very strange accusations about his family and his, his sexual kids? deviant or, or his own children for that matter. You know? Well, the diary. Yeah. I don't know. I and have, have not another read diary here. No, diary, but it's out there. It's been published and people who are a lot of a lot of lot of accusations uh against Biden. Some even um both, uh complaints have been filed going back a couple of decades. So I mean it's strange. Is anyone wondering what's going on? Like Hunter Biden's laptop plus Ashley Biden's journal equals nothing. Nothing's going on. He's he's not fired. Luckily, we don't have to. <laughs> there's about there's it. no recall. There's no impeachment. Nothing's going on. <laughs> no investigations. Nothing to see here. Send the FBI after parents asking questions about masks. Everybody look over there. January 6th. Yeah, go ahead. Elder. Well, just Hunter had something to say. Why did you have a gun? Well, I did again, you know, the period of my life that um, was difficult. It was, um, but, you know, I, I don't know. The appropriate question is, why'd you put it in the dumpster by the kid's school? It's something people well, usually get in trouble for. Well, honestly, it's probably where his crack dealer was at. So he was just, it was convenient. How'd you get all that money for your artwork? What's your marketing secret? kind of grifty running there might be some uh, money funneling going on what's the qualifications to be on a board of directors of these energy companies all right right how strange is that it's not pipeline yeah well not not, not if you're strange. in politics not if you're in politics it's not but there's a reason why they build up certain families that aspire for political power and they you know when we talk about these strange sexual deviancies you know, there's there's a lot of blackmailing that goes on. There's a lot of very strange. Uh, th th there are certain people that are promoted by our unelected rulers, people behind the curtain that we aren't aware of. And there's a pattern in history, just to rich to your point, that if you pay attention to it, it builds out a very ominous picture uh, that is disturbing, certainly about the human condition and it's it's the, the need for power. It's and not new. For power. You can go back in time. Like I remember when I was researching the history of uh, the popes because I grew up Presbyterian. So I was like, what is Catholicism and the popes? How many have there been? Who were they? How'd they get to be there? So I remember like starting back at the beginning. It seems kind of legit. Then you get to like the medieval times and there's a there's like a pirate, a Barbary pirate who becomes pope, mm -hmm. like a slave trading type dude becomes pope. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then the Medici's, a banking family, they bought two popes i believe clement and julius were uh two medici popes <laughs> mm -hmm. during the time of the medici popes i forget which one it was uh there was all sorts of young naked boys posing on tables painted in gold until they would die from the skin asphyxiation uh from being painted in these uh things that were toxic and uh it, it was like the, the thing out of goldfinger where they yeah. killed the chick at the beginning they covered her in gold it was that sort of thing going on back then, right? Yeah. So systematized child abuse protection network. If you look at early Freemasonry, specifically the book, The Hiram Key by Robert. Oh, yeah, Lomas. That book. that's a good one. Yeah, Robert. Lomas you read that. There. It's like they got like rules about like it's a safe house type of mm -hmm. thing 
for people who are running from the law and the rules are when you uh, a brother shares a house for another brother you can't bang the wife or his daughter they had rules about that and i was like this looks like a safe house system for people who might be doing some of these systematized crimes as people. And then you see like Jessica Harlan Jacobs, she doesn't mention that today around between places. But she does mention that sort of system being built. I mean, she, she doesn't go into that detail, but she mentions the secrecy, the warrant system set up the way they are able to send, have an institutionalized structure. They were able to control all around the world very secretively how these institutions will be run. And they sort of innovated sort of the modern day corporate system. I don't think people realize that, but oh, you can sure. see it like that. I mean, maybe well, we that's East India co- were... Corporation innovation sure, with Freemasonry yeah. as a driving force for that's colonization a... of the British Empire. Yeah. Uh, Jessica Culturally. Harlan Jacobs book, Builders of Empire. Uh, it has to do with uh, how Subtitles. British Empire used Freemasonry to create itself. So what you notice is like uh, you look at like an early map and it's a bunch of um, uh, Freemason, or it's a bunch of ports that then turn yes. into free, Freemasonic lodges. So they establish a port, then they establish a trading post. The trading posts are forts that are armed and have like arm, armaments. And then from there, they establish a Freemasonic lodge, start getting local power, influential men into that group as, as that was one of the key things they East took India like company. the tribal people or the local people if if you know whether if it's tribal if it's africa or india or if it's just like uh, other european nations she also lives just... in florida i've tried i tried to interview oh, her oh, same, that would be great. same trip as as loftus i tried to interview her and trevor aronson who wrote terror factory inside oh. the fbi's manufactured war on terror so i got oh, yeah. one out of the three interviews i asked for we consider that success. That's good. That's very good. No, it's, it's unfortunate because that's a fantastic book, but uh, just to get both of them. Um, but yeah, it's again, it, it's available on a, as an audio book. People are interested in Jessica Harlan. It's a little bit dry, but I, I went through the whole thing a couple of times. She it's also really does good. some interviews. There are some like radio. Though actually, uh, there's a Peace Revolution episode called Builders of Empire. You might just listen to it. No, oh, there say. you go. Yeah, it probably took part of that. Yeah. Now that I think of it, I've been down that road before and i shared it it's just very interesting um people don't realize the innovations especially it's really british east india company to your point rich but yeah and the poor towns and they they did they took the the local indigenous population they took the leaders of them and they sort of british britishized them if you will they anglicized <laughs> and, and their them. culture anglicized and that's the word yeah anglicized mm-hmm. so yeah um mm-hmm. and that was one of the goals while at the same time promoting british uh racism and sort of, you know, the, the, the progress. Oh, and we're going to get into the imperial origins yeah. of ecology with Jan Smuts, who created apartheid for South Africa's Cecil That's Rhodes colony. That's the part colony. I specifically. Yeah. Yeah, like the these Jan things Smuts are all mixed together. And like Arthur Green Tansley's, Agenda, their yeah. Club of Rome, and Warren Buffett wanting to get rid of people. They do that because that's the British plan for the world. That's why Warren Buffett adopts their plan. He's like well, Machiavelli making himself used to, useful to the Medicis. Only the Medicis are the royal family, and the Machiavelli is like a Buffett-type character. It's very interesting interesting that all the super rich like the buffets and rockefellers and carney they all just seem to be interested in population reduction and have you know fun where they're the good club tony practices. they're the good club it's the club they beat you with yeah the good club <laughs> yeah law at vacuum fallacy for the win so <laughs> all right so we're going to move from that section of uh cia uh associated child abuse that's been going on a long time so we covered the history of it Vaccines, lockdowns, and therapeutics. Let's learn about, uh, oh my goodness, oh my God, Omicron variant. Let's so, uh, you want to do Jackson's report from the high wire? Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. 
Um, that's that was I actually opened up the Omicron variant section. Sorry, yeah, I, know, I was scared them. to do the twirl yeah. down to see how much was in this section. <laughs> there's in the beginning, there's some funny clips. I don't know, we don't have to play them, but I had some, but um, I think we kind of covered it, so we can go right to the Jackson. Force All right, now let's do the funny clips. Let's okay. let's do the uh, we went through some very serious stuff, so South I figured Park, the, and then we'll go to Zelenko, you know, add some levity to what we just got yeah. this thing well if it. south park is funny i don't know if they're gonna be funny or not right they, i mean they sold out a little bit but this was this was decent it was decent and then yeah, we can well, yeah get into a futurama predictive programming thing so let's check out the south park alexa start the car start the car where are you going i need to stop at a store and then we're going home what about the connection you just found between Kenny and your father? Alexa, find the nearest liquor store. Oh, you want to get drunk? Let me guess, someone said something you didn't like and it made you want to pound beer and wine. It's not pounding beer and wine. I dropped wine shots into the beer. It's called a smorgasbord and it's very cultural. Stop acting like a child and support your dead friend, Stan. You don't even have any- Alexa, stop! Thank you. Thank you, Father. Hello, everyone. My name is Rabbi Cartman, and I was Kenny McCormick's very, very best friend. Kenny was not a Jew, but he had so many amazing Jewish qualities, qualities that I see in my loving wife and my amazing kids that are right over there, over there by the cow. And as we all return now to our homes and our lives, I think that a lot like Abraham, let's not forget Excuse that- me, everyone! Hello? Everyone, can I have your attention, please? We got results from the PNR scan of Dr. McCormick's remains, and we now know the cause of his death. Now, we all need to stay calm. There is no reason to panic. But Kenny died of COVID. It's a new variant. The COVID Delta Plus Rewards Program variant. <laughs> Alexa, what's going on? There's some kind of road closure ahead. Set up a perimeter! I want all exit points sealed! South Park, there is an outbreak of COVID in your community. You are being quarantined. Hey, dude, I don't live here. I need to get home. Nobody is going in or out. We have confirmation that one person in this community has never been vaccinated against COVID, so we must quarantine everyone. One person? Well, who is it? We are not allowed to say. But if you tell us who the unvaccinated person is, we can have them vaccinated and then this will all be over. We can't tell you who it is because in case you forgot, it's the future and we don't single out or ridicule anyone for their personal beliefs. Guy, hate the future. 
What does this mean? Yeah, what's it mean, Daddy? I think it means we're all stuck in South Park. Cartman's voice changed, finally. After all these years, he's all grown up. All right, so they want people to panic. The little pre-program out there for panic, and then South Park makes fun of it. Maybe people catch on. Maybe they don't. What do you think the purpose of that skit was? Did it have a purpose? I have myself on mute. No, I was trying to comment the whole time. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I was saying Cartman's Jewish now. Not only does his voice change, but now he's Jewish. <laughs> he converted. I think Judaism. he probably always was. He just wasn't, you know, going this, and speaking. His interview in didn't come out, right? He had to. He had to go through a bar mitzvah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, to blame the unvaccinated person. I uh, think it, it's very clever. It's a very, I, I like a lot of people that posted that and I'd seen it around and, uh, and I, I don't know, I got, the end of it sort of rubbed me the wrong way. Cause who's the unvaccinated? Who's the one person unvaccinated? I'm like, Hmm, why would they single that? Is it out? the like, same person who denied early treatments? No. Okay. Okay. So it's good. They've kind of sold out and never, well, they sold out also. I mean, they're at one point they're, you know, had when um, you have to push despotism in order to stay in business, maybe you shouldn't be in business anymore. Yeah, they were fantastic, even up until all the woke culture stuff. But then, uh, you know, come COVID. I mean, they started, it was mid-Trump's presidency where they they did a new, there was a whole Al Gore man bear pig, which is a, a fantastic satire in the whole global warming thing. But then they did another episode many seasons later that then After says, they received no. Al Gore's check. Pretty much, yeah. yeah and they're like, much. oh, no, it's real. It's real. It's all your guys' fault. It's happening. It's like, oh. Oh, I see. So that's when I realized they started to sell out. And since the COVID pandemic, it's been they've been pretty much on the side of of those that are in the mainstream and perpetuating the sort of mainstream. At some point, the Chinese are probably going to tell Viacom to tell Comedy Central to tell Matt and Trey that they're going to be replaced by CC, communist Chinese workforce. They have robots that write all that stuff now, so. It won't it won't reflect anything near truth. Like they're already skewed off the path a little bit right there. But yeah, blame blame the unvaccinated for everything. It was an interesting, yeah. Because I mean, they did a good job. I mean, it's still high production. Blame value. the control group of the experiment. Why don't you? And they sort of normalized the the woke culture stuff. They made fun of it dramatic, like pretty dramatically. But at the same time, I felt like in the process of making fun of it, they were sort of normalizing it. So. You know, they're they're older work where they're making fun of like Nambla and, you know, really radical and fucked up organizations. Fantastic. And, you know, they did a great job up until very recently. So the fact they lasted, I guess the point is the fact they lasted for as long as they did. Kudos to them before they got influenced and, you know, now sort of push mainstream narratives in a very clandestine and sort of cloaked way, if you will. Yeah. All right. So now. Since we're past the funny part, alleged funny part, you got something, LD? What do you got? Oh uh, well, <clears throat> this uh, clip of Zelenko with with the uh, yeah, Futurama yeah, yeah. was uh, it's an interesting juxtaposition or uh, compliment, complimentary pieces. Let's add so, it to the mosaic. And so this is not a joke. This is this is really happening. This is World War Three. This is Hitler and Stalin on steroids with weapons of mass destruction. And the only reason why it's happening is because people don't realize it's happening. Wake up, take your kids out of school, 
take your kids and homeschool them. But according to the WHO, a few weeks ago, they published a paper, if your kids are in school, that's implied informed consent, and they could be vaccinated without you being told because you could have prevented them from going, coming to school. So in other words, the fact that you send your kids to school, it empowers the school and the government to, to inject them with this poison. So not only are the souls of our children being assaulted in the public school system through the debauchery and, and ungodly teachings, but now their bodies will be assaulted as well. And, and Dr. Zelenko, with the Omicron, the scientists are now admitting, the mainline scientists, that, oh, mainly it's people that are vaccinated that are getting sick with this Omicron. A lot of experts are saying that's just a made-up cover, basically, for vaccine damage that's happening. Right. So if you look at the uh, a, a supposed Omicron effects, it supposedly causes myocarditis. What a, what a joke. We know that the vaccine has destroyed the hearts of young people. You see all these athletes dropping dead. And now they're, what they're trying to do is deflect um, the vaccine side effects and blame it on the new variant that the actual vaccines have caused. And what's interesting, by the way, is I have zero fear of the new variants. And simply, if you understand the biology, all the new variants are mutations in the spike protein, changes the three-dimensional structure of the spike protein, makes the new variant more, more elusive, let's say, to the immune system, and this way the virus can get inside the cell. So what? The treatment that I've been advocating for blocks RNA-dependent RNA polymerase, which basically is the common pathway for all the variants. All the variants use the same pathway to reproduce. So if you block RNA-dependent RNA polymerase, you shut down viral replication of all the variants, including Omicron. So who cares? You just have to use common sense, use early intervention, use prophylaxis, stay away from the poison death shot, and you'll be okay. Historically, healthy societies, in healthy societies, parents will sacrifice so that their children will have a better life, both materially and spiritually. In pagan societies, adults sacrifice children for, for themselves. And so when you have a intervention with a poison death shot that kills 100 more children than the actual virus that you're supposed to be uh, immunizing them against, but you, what that's called is child sacrifice. That's called taking your child, cutting its throat, and, and letting it bleed out, or throwing it into a volcano, or off a cliff, or whatever. It does, what's the difference between that and injecting a liquid that kills 100%, 100 times more kids than the virus? There's no justification. There's no moral justification. What we're what we're witnessing. This has nothing to do with health. This has to do with a totalitarian enslavement. Slavery has been the most lucrative industry in the history of humanity. And it's been prevalent in every generation. And it is absolutely no different now. What, what, what these sociopaths, they think they've evolved into a higher level of consciousness, but in reality, they're nothing more than these devolved pagans of yesteryear. And what they're trying to do is to use fear as a tactic to cause human consciousness to deviate from the divine and have a cultish, literally a cultish codependency on sociopathic oligarchs, corrupt governments, 
and the, these false golden calves of the of this vaccine. Today, we are announcing B one one five two nine as a variant of concern named Omicron. People of Earth, I am Lur of the planet Omicron Percy I eight. Is this thing on? Dear Lord, they're back! We're doomed! The situation is expected to deteriorate as newscasters whip the city into a panic. Run! Run for your lives! Transmission over! Well, that went okay. I tell you, when when you know you can't scratch, that's when you really have to, huh? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, that feels a lot better. What? It's still on? Oh! Dr. Zelenko referred to a document. World Health Organization considerations regarding consent in vaccinating children and adolescents between 6 and 17 years old. These are the ages of people going to school. So let's go to page 3 and uh, let's turn the light on. Let's zoom in right here. An implied consent process by which parents are informed of imminent vaccination through social mobilization and communication, sometimes including letters directly addressed to the parents, but sometimes not, guys. Okay? You see how loosey-goosey the the phrasing is here? Subsequently, the physical presence of the child or adolescence with or without an accompanying parent at the vaccination session is considered to imply consent. This practice is based on the opt-out principle, and parents who do not consent to vaccination are expected to implicitly expected implicitly to take steps to ensure that their child or adolescent does not participate in the vaccination session. This may include not letting the child or adolescent attend school on vaccination day if delivery occurs through schools. Well, how do you know as a parent if it's vaccination day or not? Maybe you need to keep your kids home and keep them away from implied consent, which it's just it's child abuse because there is zero percent children who are at risk for the thing that they're being forced to mandate uh, vaccination for. And I mean, it continues on. There's uh, other types of. Uh, but that goes pieces. to what RFK said earlier. I mean, it's implied consent. If you send your child to consent school, consent may not be required. Yeah. So I mean, because you send you them guys... to school, that's the argument they're making. It's, you know, that's the standard gobbledygook of lawyers speak. You can tell this was written by a bunch October of 2021. This document is, if you wanted to look it up, that's how you find it. And later on, we'll we'll cover at least briefly the American Heart Association released a study that showed very disturbing uh, finds in regards to heart inflammation, whether young or old. So we'll certainly well, get Zelenko, that on the record. Zelenko just said, uh, you know, there's no kids at risk, but they're killing a hundred kids out of every so many with heart attacks from that. You're correct. All right. That's why he calls it a poison death shot, and he's, you know, they're showing pictures and animations of Moloch. Yeah. which looks a lot like Fritz Lang's Metropolis during the uh, Roaring Twenties while they funded the Nazi uprising and uh, <laughs> all that sort of stuff was going on over there. Nothing Fritz Lang's there. Metropolis in 1928, I do believe that is. And, classic uh, film. Yeah, uh, it's classic. People should check it out. It might be yeah. still going on today. Yeah. <laughs> Predictive programming from 1928. So. It's, it's a very well orchestrated film with some impressive uh, technological aspects. The Germans were very For, good filmmakers yeah. prior to Hollywood taking off 
around the same time that the, you know, the Nazis took power. There's, you know, the, the German film industry, the Russian film industry, they were very much ahead in cinematic arts. Up oh until, my God. Yes. I mean, Berlin was essentially like an art sort of art. Right. So Fritz, it was a deviant Fritz Lang, capital during the Weimar Republic. And yeah, it was, I don't know. It was an interesting Fritz Lang's automaton looks a lot like uh, C3PO. You might've seen where George <laughs> Lucas got the idea. Maybe. All right. So in so order now, to ex- expedite, because I know we want to get to the intermission, the, certainly the the jeffrey jackson report one thing i i want to highlight i don't know if we have time but this this crowder clip was really good this week he um this he basically goes over every so many different countries vaccination rates rates of infection then the well let's do it because you know it's a clip from rumble we're streaming on rumble right now i think it's a good match and crowder has like a big budget for research and like putting that stuff together and i haven't seen the clip so let's let's check it out together Bell Big Tree does it too, but I figure we can then just jump we'll, to the Jackson. We'll put it on the record. So, yeah. I know it was good. Into this time capsule. As soon as it loads. As soon as it loads, because Rumble, we gave you. It's not. Out. It's not intelligence surveillance tube. That's why. <laughs> a little bit more funding behind that one, eh? Where the science. No, 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 no. <laughs> the science. Boom. Wow, he makes a good point. What a though. jerk. I do. Thank sorry you. for wasting your time. Don't call huh. me a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do it. Which the. one of us? <laughs> no, I'm talking to you guys. It's one of the millions of people who will eventually watch And here's the thing. At his reflection. Yes, I am. <laughs> I will say this. Look, I've, I've said we don't know. This is such bullshit because doctors get into trouble on Twitter. If, if, by the, if we're gone on YouTube, follow us, you know, Mug Club, Rumble. Rumble just yep. I just want to, I can't, I have to get to the American breakup thing. But this is yeah. something that is ridiculous while we're talking about vaccines. Doctors get banned if they actually discuss scientific results at this point. And I don't just mean consensus, pre scientific consensus before the experiment played out. The experiment has played out. I can't say that not having lockdowns has had a beneficial effect, but you absolutely cannot say that lockdowns themselves have had a beneficial effect. And we can irrefutably say that lockdowns 100% had a negative effect economically. Mm -hmm. It had a negative effect societally, culturally, specifically with children. We know that beyond any shadow of a doubt. Okay, now in that same vein, I cannot say that the vaccines are not as effective as they claimed they would be. Keep in mind, before people were getting vaccinated, they said, you will get vaccinated, you will need two doses, and you will not be able to catch, transmit, and you won't die from COVID. That's how they sold the vaccines. Have I been wrong? Am I incorrect about anything so far? I mean it. Well, it's only because you're playing back what they said. Okay. That's the problem. I just want to be clear because I don't (laughs) want to straw man anyone. We were all under the impression that if you got the vaccine, you wouldn't get COVID, right? Right. That's what they told us. It would act like a vaccine has acted historically. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think it's just, it's good that they changed the definition of a vaccine. Yes. (laughs) I always like that. But it's updating. So I can say this without being banned, hopefully. All references available at louderwithcrowder.com, including the CD. Can see. Yep. Um, the vaccines have not worked by their description when they told you the vaccines would work. I want to be very clear about that. Not saying that there's no beneficial effect on that on serious illness and death. That data is a little more murky. I'll get into that. But as far as preventing transmission, preventing the next wave. No, no, 
Before we get to that, the new fear-mongering that is going on, of course, from the science himself, is that a scary new variant has emerged. So you need to go back into your uh, huddle at home. In a world fatigued by waves of COVID-19, now renewed fear. Alarming. In South Africa, scientists identifying a troubling new variant of the virus that is dominating infections here. A variant of serious concern, which is now driving this uh, uh, spike in numbers. More than 30 mutations, say scientists, in the spike protein alone. It's a worrying sign. Okay, just, just so you see, right now we're live on CNN. There is what? Linda uh, Tripp? What looks like, what is it this? looks like the giant who would catch the, I caught the, fr the fraggle, mommy. <laughs> it's I definitely him a fraggle George rock. You know what I'm talking about? The giant? Someone bring oh, that yeah. up from the control. I caught a fraggle, mom. Uh, talking about how the very high risk that Omicron poses. Then I'll continue with my segment. Let's well, see what she has to say. Yeah, WHO. Yeah. That we don't like the look oh. of. Trustful. But trust these people. we don't have enough information about whether it's more transmissible, whether it's going to cause more severe disease, and critically... Is you just said poses escape. very high risk. So, so, what so the lower count is poses, yes, we believe this variant poses very high risk. Oh, in what way? Well, the ways we don't know are whether it's more <laughs> transmissible or more deadly. So in what way do you know? Shut up, shut up. I am the science love. So, Dr. Margaret, what would you say you do here? Well, you see, I'm confused <laughs> Rule because you? it's been over a decade since I've had a good lay. Hmm, Margaret, you have a meeting with the bobs. Oh, my there goodness. It is. Look at it's a spitting image. <laughs> oh, I love it. So what does this mean? How do you even know it's a variant then of COVID? Well, no, they've they've tested that and found that out. But what they don't know, they've been talking sure the about tests this work, though. for the last yeah. day and a half, two days. Like, there are two it, stripes. Yeah, the, this this is more transmissible. They think they're worried. Sanjay Gupta came on CNN. Hold on a second, right now. Look, it says again. Oh, micron variant poses very high risk. People, you just heard her say we don't know if it is more communicable or if it's more deadly. So let's see what very high risk it poses. That information is telling us that it seems to be competing very effectively with Delta. In other words, more people are getting infected with it than with Delta in the same sort of place. But that's in small numbers, small areas. We don't have enough information worldwide to know that. Like but we do see tax. that, indeed, it is popping <laughs> up in places thing. all around the world. In the meantime, countries are reacting. Nearly 50 Over countries reacting. are now restricting travel from Jeez. southern Africa. Hey, by the way, can we bring up, remember when Biden and Kamala Harris said that Donald Trump was racist for blocking travel down to Didn't, China? Yeah. He said it's un-American and racist. I'm sure oh, we can bring that up. And now they're doing the exact same yeah. thing. Yeah. Yep. I don't have a problem with locking down travel from South Africa, by the way. I don't have a problem with that, really. At that point, it doesn't affect us so much. You know but the, the problem is they're going to, as little information as they have now, is the exact information they had when they started the lockdowns. Before. Yeah, but do you know where it is already? It's in Canada. It's yeah, in UK. It's, already moved. it's in Hong Kong. It's in Austria. It's in several South Africa. Like, wh what do you think you're going to Well, accomplish? then we have to bomb The cat's all out of, of the them. bag. Yes. Well, I thought this was a good opportunity to bomb Canada. Yeah. They have one case. I think we go in and take it over. Oh, yeah, we just carpet bomb it. Yeah. Get rid of them. I mean, there's certain places you want to keep, but not most of it. We're crying a lot. Just pants. We, yeah, we don't need professional black facers. What? How badly <laughs> does the rest of the world need professional black facers? We don't need Canada anymore. No. So scientists yeah. have dubbed the new variant Omicron after the 15th letter in the Greek alphabet. And uh, I found this out. Interesting, they decided to skip over the 14th letter Z. Oh. Yeah, X-I. Oh, look at that. Cheating, ping! Why did they skip You will not so name weird. virus after me because they, they bring great dishonor. It was Sigma is my name. They went to him like, can we name this G? You will not name virus after me. <laughs> you will name it after Orion's belt, but add Micron, Omicron belt. Omicron. 
Uh, a yeah. macaron, like you a shut penis. up, white boy. Your Aryan race, you had your time, you fail. Now time for a great pan-Pacific race to make uh, make the world no, under no. our thumb. No. Yes. Our thumb. No. Take it. Um. <sighs> Take it. So you know what this means. Get all of your boosters, listen to the government, or we'll all die. I'm saying this yeah. absolutely clearly that if ever there was a reason for unvaccinated people to get vaccinated and for those who have been vaccinated, when your time comes up to go and get a booster shot, because Every three months? even though there may yeah. be some diminution and we don't know that in the protection no, against know. the vaccine, certainly to be vaccinated and boosted is always better than not to be. So oh, that's the first thing. Is it? I've just discovered something. He's standing Honestly, in front of a backdrop yes. like a coach of America. <laughs> He, he spends a lot of time in bathhouses and locker rooms. Oh, That's true. Well, yeah, exactly. makes working sense. at Penn State. So I uh, here's, here's the, the tweet, tweet, the oh here's the Biden. tweet. What was it? We are in the middle of a crisis with the coronavirus. We need to lead the way with science, not Donald Trump's record of hysteria, xenophobia, and fear mongering. This is where he was talking about the travel, and then Kamala Harris specifically actually condemned the ban on travel. And well, yeah, well, exactly. well, the original well, tweet was actually him just smashing a keypad, and then someone fixed it. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Get it a little, and they just took, Polish it, that took up. a wild guess. And I like ice cream. So this is the issue. <laughs> it's a good guess. right now. I realize what the science is when they say, meaning the uh, the dogmatic scientist, the Fauci says, "I don't know." I will say this: I don't know. There are some things that we know, but I don't know at all. When Fauci says. I don't know. People say, well, he doesn't know, but let's do what he says. Yeah. That's the issue. Yeah. He says he doesn't know, but then gives a prescription that is followed to the letter. Whereas a lot of other scientists say, well, we don't know this, but we do know this. And so we know, for example, that the, the virus still transmits with people with the vaccine. It doesn't seem to be actually lowering overall caseloads in many places with high vaccination rates. So lockdowns and a lot of these protocols don't seem to be effective. So we know that. And then this is what we don't know about this new variant. Whereas what you, when you have Fauci says, I don't know anything about that or this or any of it, but this is what we're going to do. Yeah, it's like, no, they came in with the sky is falling. Oh, my God, there's a new variant. Oh, OK, OK, how severe is it? Well, we don't know. Is it going to kill more people? We, we really don't know. Is it more transmissible? We really don't know. Has it had an impact on South Africa yet? Well, not really. Yeah. I, I don't understand. Well, he, they're saying now boosters, right? But vaccine and boosters are synonymous because you're not really vaccinated well, without a booster. That's true. So I understand they're saying everyone needs to get vaccinated and boosted because mm -hmm. obviously places with the highest vaccination rates have the lowest caseloads, right? Of course. I would right, think yeah, so, yeah. It should okay. bear out. So let's look at that. The UK, 80% fully vaccinated. They've had a 291% increase in cases what? since Ouch. January. What? Singapore, 92% fully vaccinated. They've had a 347% increase in cases since That's January 20th. I don't believe numbers. That's, That's with canes, bad. though. Ireland. Canes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Ireland, 91%. Hmm. of 18 and older, fully vaccinated. 482% increase in cases since January. Wow. With all that alcohol, no germ should live in that body. Yeah, it so. With uh, Gibraltar, which isn't a, a country by itself, and I'll get to Vermont as a state as well, over 100% of adults fully vaccinated, over. over 100% because many of them have boosters, the way they measure the ah, stat. They have a 224% increase since January oh. 2021. All oh. references are available at ladderscrider.com. I want to be clear, some of these places have the highest caseloads ever, but that shouldn't be required to say the vaccines don't have the intended effect in reducing caseloads. Some of them just have a multi-hundred percent increase, but it's not the highest week ever, ever, ever. In some of these places, it's at its highest point ever. 
when a majority of the population wow. are vaccinated. Wow. Let's be really clear about that, okay? Don't want to oversell it. I still think a 292% increase is not a mundane detail, Michael. Okay, let's look at Vermont. 73% fully vaccinated, the highest in the United States, a 531% increase in cases since January 2021. It currently has the fifth highest infection rate in the country with 61 per 100,000. Let's compare that wow. to West Virginia, lowest vaccination rate at 42%. They've had a 228% increase since January 2021, a 46 cases per 100,000. The point is here, it's gone up in some places where they've been uh, unvaccinated, but it's yeah. gone down in some places where they haven't been vaccinated. Overwhelmingly, if you just go right now to Worldometer and you look up, cross-reference yourself, countries with the highest vaccination rates, and you have to exclude some places like UAE because it's really a tourism destination or like Cuba yeah. because you don't get accurate statistics, but go through the top 20 and tell me you do not see a direct match with the highest vaccination rates and the highest caseloads. Now, what I'm saying, I can't say, I'm not saying that it's because of the vaccine. No. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is what we were promised with the vaccine has not come to fruition. If people, if you were to go to people, right, all the people who are running around flailing in supermarkets, if, if you don't have a mask, even though they're vaccinated, right, and tell them before they got the vaccine, say, look, you need to be vaccinated. And there's still, a very, there's still about the same chance that maybe you get COVID, even if you're vaccinated. But you probably won't die from it. That's likely lower, even though in some cases, the majority of hospital visits and deaths are vaccinated. Again, it just there doesn't seem to be a correlation at all because this is a unique virus and affects people differently. By the way, death rates would be going down. Think about it. Why would death rates, of course, be expected to go down? Because it ran through, same reason in Italy, it ran through old people and the yeah. immunocompromised like a buzzsaw. So now the people who are more likely to be infected are people who haven't been killed yet. So, of course, the, you can look at the median age of people who get COVID now, and it's getting younger, not because it infects younger people at higher rates, but because there are fewer old people around for it to kill. Well, and if everything worked the way it should and the vaccine was going to protect us all, would you expect to have more deaths in the year the vaccine came out or the entire year that mm. the vaccine didn't exist? Right. We have more deaths in 2021 than yes. we did in 2020 from this virus. Yes. And we've had the vaccine... The whole year. Right. <laughs> Let wow. that sink in. Yeah. And again, I, I, can't, I, I cannot and I would never say that the vaccine causes more harm no. than good. I would absolutely never say it. All I'm pointing to you is that, yes, we've had more deaths and significant portion of those deaths are from the vaccinated, depending on the state. There are variables. We have higher case rates in places that are mostly vaccinated. Things haven't gotten better. They've gotten worse. Statistically, they've gotten worse in the way that you expected this to be eradicated from the vaccine. Yeah. Okay? Now, let me uh, be clear while we're talking about the vaccine, because this new variant, the World Health Organization said that Omicron, Omicron. has Om Omicron, whatever. I don't give a shit. Omicron. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a color someone would ask for on their wheel well and pit my ride. Can you make that shit Omicron? Omicron. I like the sparkles. You yeah. got a Dodge Omicron. You got a Dodge Omicron. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? Breaks two weeks later. Mm -hmm. I hope you got subwoofers because that battery is going to die every time you start your car. <laughs> uh, okay. So the WHO said that this has uh, this mutation actually has a bunch. It has a bunch of mutations specifically on the spike protein, yeah. which may suggest that the vaccine could not work all that well, hmm. which we saw with the Delta variant. Yeah. Vaccine worked against the first variant. Didn't work very well against the Delta variant. We presented you that data from Mayo Clinic. And after five months, it worked. Almost, it was statistically 
insignificant in any protective effect against the Delta variant. So this is from the World Health Organization. Omicron is a highly divergent variant with a high number of mutations, including 26 to 32 in the spike, some of which are concerning and may be associated with immune escape potential and higher transmissibility. This is, this is conjecture. This is speculation here, okay? Can I be clear about this? I'm not saying right. that this is, this is uh, 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 true. <laughs> I have a hunch. People have been trying to vilify the unvaccinated, mm. right? They've been trying to say, hey, it's, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. But when you look at places that are more highly vaccinated. People, you, you mean like the, higher the president. Yes, people like yeah. the president. Yes. People have tried to, you know, in New York, you're not allowed to go out. You're not allowed to eat in certain places yeah. like Austria. You're not allowed to be in public transit. Um, but when you understand, and there are a lot of doctors who've said this, when you understand how viruses mutate, they don't typically, not all, there are exceptions to the rule, they don't typically become more deadly. They typically become more transmissible. Why? Because a virus wants to find more hosts. It wants to survive. It's the law of really all living organ organisms, right? Reproduce, survive. That's, it's yeah, no different yeah, with yeah. a virus. And so when you have a vaccine that is effective against the original variant, and if this is observable, so this is not conjecture, works effectively against, I think, the Alpha variant is what it was called. Mm -hmm. Didn't work at all against the Delta variant. What do you think is happening? Now we're having variants here that may again evade vaccines, may again be at least more evasive than the first variant against vaccines. You're talking about a virus going, ah, closed door, can't get in this way. Maybe if I change and go through the window. There are a lot of doctors saying, similarly to the way that Antibiotics, we all know sometimes if you overuse them, can create super-resistant strains right, of yeah. bacteria. Maybe, maybe the reason we're seeing such high caseloads in places with the highest vaccination rates and seeing such a significant amount of deaths among people who are vaccinated at this point, maybe it's because we've created variants rather than any kind of natural immunity. Because you know what? If you send a letter right now to the CDC and ask how many cases do they have of people who achieved natural immunity, who recontracted the virus, they won't give you an answer. And it's not data you can actually find. Yeah. I've looked. You cannot find the data on people who have caught COVID multiple times. There is no central database that is accurate. Not one that would be accurate enough I would feel comfortable bringing to you like I do the overall vaccination rates and caseloads. Why? Right now we're asking, will this evade the vaccine? That's a part of it. Are we? How about we ask, will this evade natural immunity? Because it's two different things. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the whole danger, and we've known this in science forever, the whole danger with not killing a virus, but just making it to where you can live with it, is that the virus doesn't just pack up and go home and, oh, okay, I guess I can't work here. It just changes. It mutates. Tell me and about I, it. By, by the way, I love how they said this. This is, this is very artful. Immune escape potential. Yeah. In that, in, do you know what that means? It will get around the vaccine. Yeah. That's what it means. It <laughs> means that the first virus potential. was really dumb, just trying to get in, going the same way. And then the second, uh, sorry, the vaccine, the, the variant. And the second variant, now this variant is trying to go in, and his buddy's just saying, hey, why don't you just uh, go use the side door? Oh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, man. Yeah. I love that escape <laughs> potential. That's good. <laughs> Flowery language. I use the fire escape. Oh, okay. And it climbs into your rectum, wherever it enters. I have no oh, idea. Geez. Orify. <laughs> what is this, the Stelter variant? Uh, Could be. Here's <laughs> another Biden uh, tweet that's more about Africa. Trump further diminished the U.S. The rains. <laughs> further diminished the U.S. in the eyes of the world by expanding his travel ban. This new African ban is designed to make it harder for black and brown people to immigrate to the United uh, States. Uh, it's really? a disgrace and cannot let them. <sighs> it's, have you it been is a disgrace. Have you been in a cab in the last twenty years? <laughs>
I think I, they're I'm fine. Not, I'm not even being a dick. Like they love it here. There's yeah. plenty of people. By the way, from Africa. Does he also know that there are a lot of white South Africans? Yeah. Uh, is, he, uh, no. is he aware of that? I don't think he's. Have you like, heard of Charlize Theron? Less and less every day, though. <laughs> That's true. Go watch Invictus. Yeah, okay? she's disappearing quicker than her mi his mind. Okay, so well, we don't have time. True. We have a whole segment on Black Santa. Let's do that tomorrow. His tomorrow. Mind yeah. One, one quick Black update Santa. too for the Dorsey story. So he earlier today it was announced that he was expected to resign. He posted, "I resign from Twitter." And his uh, his successor is a guy named Parag Agarwal. Oh, so cool. We found, we found a good tweet from him. If they're not going to make a distinction between Muslims and extremists, then why should I distinguish between white people and racists? Oh, oh well, oh, fuck you, one. new leader of Twitter. How about that? <laughs> How about, here, look, let me tell you exactly why. Can you bring that tweet up again and read yeah. it for me? Can I, let me dissect this live on the spot. Hey, sure. do you guys want to? If you guys want me to dissect it, smash that like button. Do it. Smash that like button. Yeah, how about like the, the, uh, <clears throat> the new head at Twitter? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting ride. It's a nice guy. But he doesn't think freedom's necessary because it comes from a place, not down under, but a place that was colonized equally by the British Empire. It's kind of scary. That, that Jack as Dorsey. was the place down under. <laughs> so. Place too. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind uh, of scary LD, will Jack you bring Dorsey. up the book, All the Countries We Ever Invaded and a Few We Didn't Get Around To? There's a book. I know. That is actually a book title, everyone. Yeah, yeah. That's not a joke. Yeah, it's say, okay. good history of where the British Empire has colonized and where they have not yet colonized. And you might get the sense that they're going for the whole thing. Eventually, they got a plan. They're willing to wait multi-generations for it to unfold. You got to give them credit. You know, they're in, in it for the long term. Should we go next to the, uh, oh my God, Omicron? I think you heard it here first last week. Now it's title over there at the high wire. Yeah, is this... Uh, Jackson report. But this is the montage. This is a Oh, you want oh, to do the montage? We can do that. Well, yeah. That's sorry, I opened up. Okay. It was right below the red section. Yeah, yeah. That um looked like that's a good that's off. a good one too. Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. So. Let's see the mon, mon the Omicron scare campaign montage. All right. One second. Yeah. Be scared of the one small thing. Put all your attention on it. The, the juxtaposition one. between Dell and Crowder is actually very good because they cover similar things, but they present different data sets, which is fantastic because it just overwhelms you with so much data that just shows that the vaccines are failing. And of course, Dell gets into how it's helped them, um, you know, causing uh, mutant uh, selective pressure. Yeah, the vaccines are causing selective pressure for the, the virus to mutate. And, you know, that's why you get all these various mutations. And Crowder Im sort of implied that, but he didn't get into the specifics. It's but a good thing there's the not specific. a really well-situated group of powerful people that want to mutate humanity and do stuff like that. It's a good oh, thing it, it doesn't exist. What was that um, future warfare document that Burmis always references? I have it on my skit. The power Brought to you by the good club. You know, we entered that age, that transhumanist age. The super rich friends. 2020. <laughs> And now, uh, you know, soon there will be a large depopulation camp soon. Well, what do you got, LD? I got that clip for you. You ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. <laughs> I thought maybe you had that book title up. That's why I was looking. Uh, oh, yeah. We don't need it. We can, can find, can or you can find it, it right after. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Or just find it while the clip is playing. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are out there in the world. We're all going to step out onto the high wire. I hope those of you in the United States of America had a beautiful Thanksgiving dinner last week and around the world. I hope you had a beautiful week. We certainly enjoyed ourselves and it was almost like everything was going to be okay. Just when you thought it was okay, we're all sitting down. Not too many masks, not too many paranoid family members, at least not in my family. We had another, you know, Lollapalooza-style Thanksgiving at my house. I think we had almost 50 people at my house celebrating Thanksgiving. But it was almost like while we're sitting there eating and celebrating and talking, it was outside the windows, that movie shot. It was looking at us from the distance. Just when you thought it was safe to go home at night, it was Omicron. When I was elected, I said I would always be honest with you. So today, I want to take a few moments to talk about the new COVID variant, the Omicron. The Omicron variant is causing worldwide worry. The U.S. is bracing for the new Omicron variant. That new COVID variant that the World Health Organization says poses a very high risk around the globe. This variant is a cause for concern, not a cause for panic. President Biden ordering a travel ban for visitors coming from South Africa and seven other African countries, of course, Canada and the EU, also the UK, all taking the same action. We need to slow down the seeding of this variant. Mayor de Blasio today calling on New Yorkers, both vaccinated and unvaccinated, to wear masks indoors. We are recommending highly that people wear masks indoors. You cannot go on the subway and you cannot go into a healthcare facility in the state of New York without wearing a mask. Travel restrictions for the vaccinated were being lifted, but some countries are reversing course, including Japan. Tonight, closing its borders to all foreign travelers. I'm both vaccinated uh, and have the booster shot, so but that doesn't mean I'll be uh, protected. We don't yet exactly know how effective our vaccines will be against Omicron. So it's more vital than ever that people get their jabs and we get those boosters into arms as fast as possible. The CDC is strengthening its recommendation that all adults should get their booster shots. If you're eligible for a booster, my goodness, go in and get that booster. If you haven't gotten boosted, get your booster. Make sure you have your booster. Now is the time to get that booster. We're going to boost the booster campaign. I mean, I'm saying this absolutely clearly to go and get a booster shot. I know you're tired of hearing me say this. Go get the booster shot today. Oh. Uh, do we want to keep this rolling or were we just going to show them that montage? Um, I, you can keep it going and yeah, just, right. yeah, just keep going for a while. And then if Rich at any time you want to cut it out, it's a longer segment, but you can, All right. uh, the good, the first 15, 20 minutes are really good. And then he gets into how the selective pressure works and we can maybe skip it from there, but I'll let Rich make that call. So MG Omicron. Well, you know, we're going to look at this because I'm sure you were sitting there thinking, are you freaking kidding me? I mean, really, right at the moment where you're trying to push a booster shot that nobody wants and you cannot seem to get frontline doctors or nurses to get vaccinated, you're having to fire people, all of a sudden, you know what we need? What would be really great right now would be a new virus. We're done with Delta. Delta doesn't seem to be getting the job done. You know, I don't know if Omicron is real. I don't know if it should be called the Moron Con. Whatever it is, let's get to the bottom of it. Let's see what they know and what they don't know, shall we? Because I think that that's where the news actually lies. This is a great article that brought up what we know about Omicron. This is from the new scientist. Omicron, how dangerous is the new variant first found in South Africa? 
It goes on to say, other mutations may help the virus bypass our immune systems, make it more transmissible and less susceptible to treatments, according to the HSA, as though we're ever going to allow you to take treatments. I love that word. What treatments? Hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, budesonide? be really great if we were using treatments. But anyway, not to get off the track, but the body notes that this has not been proven. What? It has not been proven? What the mutations mean is currently theoretical and based on experience of past mutations, not the one we're talking about, of SARS-CoV-2 rather than lab tests. Wendy Barclay at Imperial College London, the college of exaggeration that brought us the Imperial model, says, we don't really know if it will reduce the effectiveness of vaccines. Wow. There is more that we don't know than we do. Tulio de Oliveri at Stellenbosch University, South Africa, said yesterday that the full significance of the variant's mutations remain uncertain. Peacock adds, it's important to stress how much we don't know this new variant. Well, there you have it. I mean, I guess that's worthy of shutting down the stock market in the United States of America, stopping flights in and out of countries around the world, I guess. But let's be honest. We have talked about the fact that there may be a deadly variant one day out there. We're pressuring it. I'm going to get into that. So I don't want to, you know, undermine this. But of all the things that we're going to be panicked about, is Omicron it? Is this really the one we should be terrified of? I mean, when we look at this, I want you to remember that just when we were interviewing Dr. Geert van den Bosch just uh, one week before Thanksgiving, we played a clip where Paul Offit, uh, one of the co-authors of the most important vaccine book in the world, Plotkin on Vaccines, he had this to say about the number of mutations that are out there. Take a look at this. I think that the virus, is, there's probably been already about 12,000 mutations on this virus already. I mean, it's, and, and I think you, you may get to the point if they're resisting all immunity, or meaning, meaning that you're, it's as if you never got a vaccine, you never got naturally infected. I think that's probably a lethal mutation. Yeah. So in other words, you're kind of running the runway out on the virus's ability to change right. itself. Lethal yeah. to the virus, not lethal to us. Right? That's right. Lethal to the virus. Right. 12,000 variants. Can we bring up the graph? This is a graph of what some of these variants, when they try and track, and this is what it looks like. Look at all the different variants this graph right here is tracking and how it's spreading and where it's going. But 12,000 mutations, this, this Omicron must be something special to rise up amongst the 12,000 to be the terrified one. But there certainly is a lot of uncertainty about what we know and what we don't know. But that doesn't mean that the WHO didn't want to jump on board because they, in their headline, put it in this category. Let's look at their headline. Classification of Omicron B11529. SARS-CoV-2 is a variant of concern. Now, that sounds concerning, and we were wondering, well, how does the WHO determine what a variant of concern is? The truth is, is it's not actually the first, you know, line of concern. There's actually a variant of interest. But you know what? When we looked at it, they never even called this a variant of interest. I mean, we're supposed to think they're tracking this stuff, right? Obviously, the 12,000 variants, you're looking at the bad ones. Here's a definition of what a variant of interest would have been, the working definition. A SARS-CoV-2 variant with genetic changes that are predicted or known to affect virus characteristics such as transmissibility, disease severity, immune escape, diagnostic or therapeutic escape, and identified to cause significant community transmission or multiple COVID-19 clusters in multiple countries with increasing relative prevalence alongside increasing number of cases over time or other apparent epidemiological impacts to suggest an emerging risk to global public health. Remember, that's a variant of interest. And we just read articles where they said they don't know if any of this is true. 
They have no idea how effective it is. They don't know how, if it transmits much. They don't know if it's going to escape the vaccine. Yet it seemed like to be called a variant of interest. It needed to do like most of those things, but they went right to variant of concern. So let's look at what a variant of concern should be. A variant of concern by the WHO, here's their working definition. A SARS-CoV-2 variant that meets the definition of a variant of interest see below and through a comparative assessment has been demonstrated to be associated with one or more of the following changes at a degree of global public health. So it started out as a variant of interest if we had done this right. This one did not. But then we have these added benefits of it increases in transmissibility or detrimental change in COVID-19 epidemiology or an increase in the virulence or change in clinical disease presentation or decrease in effectiveness of public health and social measures or available diagnostic vaccines and therapeutics. So it's going to escape all of those things. Obviously, this is what we think it is. It's now a variant of concern. Somehow the WHO said, throw the rest of it away. We weren't tracking it, but we should have been because this is the big green monster. And you're really going to get the sense of that when you hear from this doctor in South Africa where this is happening, describing this incredible new variant. Take a look at this. The majority of what we are, are presenting to primary healthcare practitioners are extremely mild cases, so mild to moderate. And um, so, so these patients... Uh, is, means they don't need to be hospitalized for now. And we, and, and we try to get the message out there to the world to say, listen, we not say this is not going to be a, a, a disease going forward that's going to uh, cause uh, a severe disease. It will cause severe disease. But if we can get this disease, if this disease can cause to more than the majority of people, mild symptoms, easily treatable at home, no need for admission. Just to reiterate one point here so people hear it clearly. Now, this could change. I understand it's the early stages. But right now, the patients you're seeing with this new variant, you're dealing with very mild to moderate symptoms. You are seeing no or very little severe disease, correct? Yes. Yes. Wow, holy cow, stop the presses. We have a variant that appears to be mild for everybody that's gotten it, so mild that we think you can treat it at home. It's almost as if the scientist was saying, boy, I wish Omicron would replace Delta because this thing doesn't do anything to anybody. But let's go ahead, let's shut down our airports, let's, let's panic, let's shut down our economy and definitely get out there and get your booster shot immediately because you just don't know. I mean, we don't know if the booster shot will do anything, but how could it possibly hurt? to get another one. If you've had three, go for four. If you've had four, go for five. Six might be the charm, but we'll figure out for those when you first get there. Anyway, this is where Omicron is at. We have barely any understanding of it. What we do know from the people where it apparently originated in South Africa, that it's so mild you can treat it at home. All right, but why South Africa, right? I mean, is that with the 12,000 variants, my understanding is variants should kind of be everywhere, right? Isn't that sort of the way nature works? It's sort of mutating and it's all over the planet, but we've singled out South Africa. Well, we decided to look at, look at this. We looked at the top infection rates in the world right now. These are the top 16. And if you imagine those are at the 100% level, all together, they make 100% of the most infected in the world. So that's that orange line going up. Don't really need to pay attention to that. We need to pay attention to is who really is having a major outbreak of concern. I think Poland looks pretty bad. Germany, the UK, and France are doing terribly. Ukraine behind them, Turkey, Russia, Italy, it's coming down. USA, you know, we're not doing too bad right now, but there's South Africa. I mean, look how far down the list. Why in the hell did we go out of our way to isolate? That is where our area of concern is. Oh my God, South Africa's under attack, really? How about what is the variant in Poland right now? That's what I wanna know. I think whatever's going on in South Africa looks just fine to me. 
But maybe the reason we're isolating South Africa is because some of the headlines have been coming out of Africa and South Africa, like maybe this headline. South Africa, this is right, but this is before Omicron, remember. South Africa asked J&J Pfizer to stop sending vaccines. We don't need them, frankly. We don't think they're doing much, and uh, we think we've got this all under control. Or this headline, scientists are mystified and wary as Africa avoids the COVID disaster. They are the least vaccinated, this article went on to say, yet for some reason they're doing better than everyone else in the world. Well, we can't have that, can we? We can't have those that aren't vaccinated looking like they're doing better than everybody else. What would be great? is if the next deadly variant happened in the unvaccinated world. Well, I don't know. I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth. I'm just saying it's a little bit suspicious when you have a virus that appears to do absolutely nothing to anybody, at least so far, and it's happening in a country where they're doing just great and a nation is doing just great and a continent that's really doing better than the rest of the first world. But here's the thing. It's not even true. This thing doesn't even come from South Africa. As the headlines now tell us, Omicron was in Europe long before travel bans on South Africa. What? What? So this thing doesn't even originate in this place, in this tiny little place that's having a little bit of infection? No, it's already, as we would well know, it's already out there and moving around. Now, when I first started seeing these headlines, of course, I thought of Geert van den Bosch, who we're going to continue to talk to. We're going to continue to reference him. And we did reach out with Omicron because what has he been talking about? I hope you have all watched our interview with Geert van den Bosch, perhaps the most important interview I've ever done in my life. If you haven't, go back to a week before Thanksgiving. There it is, the November 18th. 242 episode. You must understand what this guy is saying, or you do not understand what's happening in the world with this virus. Just like the WHO doesn't understand it, the CDC, the FDA, the NHS, I could go on and on. But you, the viewers of The High Wire, you understand it. But let's go over it really quickly. Geert Van den Bosch is worried that we're going to continue to pressure this virus to create more and more variants that are eventually going to escape the vaccine, be unstoppable, and then we're going to have a pathogen that could wipe out a gigantic part of our species and our population. So we asked him, is Omicron it? Is this the one? Is this what we're worried about? Well, he wrote an article in response. This was his article. Continued mass vaccination will only push the evolutionary capacity of SARS-CoV-2 spike protein beyond the Omicron version. Now, he starts out by talking about how ridiculous it is. We've selected this one amongst all that are out there. But he goes on to say mass vaccination promotes viral resistance to C-19 vaccines. Viral resistance drives enhanced infectiousness of SARS-CoV-2, e.g., Omicron, and may ultimately enable SARS-CoV-2 to utilize alternative cell surface determinants to enter permissive cells. He goes on to say, scientific naivete combined with arrogant megalomania has led the mighty alliance of, what do we call this? What is PHO? Remember what that says. Public health key opinion leaders. Okay. Public health key opinion leaders and industry to dramatically underestimate the evolutionary capacity of SARS-CoV-2 when it is put under widespread immune pressure. There can be no doubt that Omicron is only one such example of this and that other variants harboring a similar panoply of S-directed mutations will soon emerge in other countries. There is indeed no reason to believe that identical conditions of suboptimal population level immune pressure on SARS-CoV-2 infectiousness combined with widespread infectious pressure would lead to different results. Alternatively, countries which, thanks to mass vaccination, have prepared their populations to serve as an excellent breeding ground for more infectious variants will exhibit a high level of hospitality to Omicron and its peers. 
It is undeniable that mass vaccination will only drive the virus to fully exploit its evolutionary capacity, including, if needed, its ability to use alternate receptor domains on permissive cells. The fitness cost that may come with such a dramatic mutation is likely to be rewarded with enhanced pathogenicity. I am truly afraid that these dynamics will eventually allow for the natural selection of individuals with uncompromised innate immunity while eliminating those, eliminating those without it. While such natural selection would lead to an eradication of SARS-CoV-2 as innate immunity sterilizes the virus, those that aren't vaccinated, remember, are the ones that have the innate immunity and blocks transmission, the consequence would be unimaginable. The price paid for ending the pandemic by virus eradication is not comparable to the one paid for by generating herd immunity and allowing the virus to enter an endemic state. Those who are enforcing mass vaccination are opting for the former instead of the latter, an act that will be remembered as the deadliest sin ever. Well, what this article is really saying is that we don't know. Omicron looks like a nothing burger right now. And frankly, in many ways, so did Delta. And Alpha being the biggest nothing burger of all of them. They are getting more transmissible. This is mutating. It's moving in the wrong direction like we've never seen because, as Geert van den Bosch has said, we've never pressured a virus by vaccinating the entire world for it. But mark my words, whether it's Omicron or other, some other variant, it appears that Geert van den Bosch is no longer alone. Not just by those like Dr. Robert Malone that is, is now in meetings around the world and supporting what Geert van den Bosch has to say, amongst other things, Robert Malone being the inventor of mRNA vaccine technology himself, but the fact that even the detractors seem to be jumping on board with the idea that we could be pressuring the virus to become vaccine resistant. Except, of course, if you don't want to agree with Geert, but you agree with what he's saying, you need a different bad guy. I want the tweet. All right, here's the point. They're talking about who is actually spreading this. Is it the vaccinated? Is it the unvaccinated? They want to say it's the unvaccinated, but here's the truth. The four cases were detected among travelers who tested SARS-CoV-2 positive on routine pre-travel testing. The preliminary report revealed that all the four had been fully vaccinated for COVID-19. Here's my point. They're trying to tell you you need a booster shot, that it's the unvaccinated that are causing this. But Geert van den Bosch is telling us it's not the unvaccinated. They have a brilliant innate immune system that's going to eradicate this. It's the vaccinated that are doing it. And the big fear, we better shut down the airports before it gets to America. Oops, it's already here. Now we have CDC confirms first U.S. case of Omicron COVID variant has been detected in California. Who brought it here? What did they do? Surely they were unvaccinated. White House Chief Medical Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci said the patient who was fully vaccinated had just returned to the San Francisco area on November 22nd after traveling in South Africa and testing positive on November 29th. You see, there it is. Only the vaccinated are traveling, apparently, in, in and out of countries because they're supposed to be safe, yet they're the ones that are carrying this thing in every situation we know of. The four cases in, in, in um, Africa and now the one case in California. So who knows? We'll keep our eyes on this. Right now, Omicron looks like it is not much of anything except that it's carried by the vaccinated and it appears to be caused by the vaccinated. Do not forget that. I'm going to get into more details about that later. Okay, so... I have a huge show coming up, as always. We're going to be sitting down and talking with Dr. Paul Thomas, who is under fire right now, because what does he want to do? He wants to continue to run a gigantic study of vaccinated and unvaccinated children, starting from the time they're zero years old until 18. Sounds like a great idea, right? Let's get all of that data. 
Well, it would be a great idea at any other time in the universe on the planet Earth amongst our human species, except now, when deciding to do something like that brings you under fire, and now the medical board is trying to take his license. They are relentless. You can't imagine what it's like to live on the front line like that. We're going to talk to Paul Thomas about what that's about. And then, after that, a very, very disturbing discovery is now being published in one of the biggest heart journals in the world. It appears that the vaccine is now unequivocally raising your chances, maybe even doubling your chances of having heart disease in the future. This is an incredible article. There are scientists and doctors speaking out about it all around the world. We are going to talk to Dr. Peter McCullough and, and see what he has to say about this groundbreaking study. He's obviously out there in the news. We are very happy to have him with us. But now we are still trying to get Jeffrey Jackson. Well, how about we jump forward then? Should we jump forward then to what I want to do after Jeffrey Jackson? Hold on a second. I don't know why Jeffrey Jackson isn't online. We're trying to figure that out. Okay, his computer crashed. Let's go ahead and jump ahead. I think we can do this. I'm, we're gonna, we're, but this is big. This is something that took a lot of planning, so I'm really throwing a whopper jaw at this. I want to talk about an article. So remember, when we're talking about the fact that, you know, I've told you, they're going to keep trying to blame the unvaccinated, right? It's the unvaccinated that are putting us all in hospitals. The unvaccinated are causing these things to spread. Well, there's an article, and this was the one I was just about to reference anyway, that came out where that's exactly what they're saying. Here's what this article had to say. Fortune magazine, Georgetown medical professor and immunologist predicts there will be a fully vaccine-resistant COVID variant by the spring. Okay, fully vaccine-resistant. So he's right there with Geert van den Bosch, right? Okay, I think by March, April, or May, we will have a fully vaccine-resistant variant. There's simply no way, look at this, you can have such low rates of vaccination around the world with a virus ping-ponging between vaccinated and unvaccinated individuals. So there it is. It doesn't matter that we are going to see variants because it's the unvaccinated that are causing it. It's the exact opposite of what Geert van den Bosch is saying. But we now have evidence that this guy is full of it. There's a great study that just came out, and this is about who's actually carrying the variants, who's causing the variants. Take a look at this study. Increased risk of infection with SARS-CoV-2, beta, gamma, and delta variant compared to alpha variant in vaccinated individuals. Okay, this should be interesting. Looking at, you know, who is carrying the variants. Here, we analyzed 28,578 sequenced SARS-CoV-2 samples from individuals with known immune status obtained through national community testing in the Netherlands from March to August 2021. All right, we find evidence for an increased risk of infection by the beta, the gamma, or the delta variants compared to the alpha variant after vaccination. So what that's saying is you have an increased risk of carrying one of the variants after you've been vaccinated than you do of carrying the alpha variant, the more mild variant that was not killing that many people. So it goes on to say this, in contrast to vaccine-induced immunity, no increased risk for reinfection with beta, gamma, or delta variants relative to alpha variant was found in individuals with infection-induced immunity. What's infection-induced immunity? That's natural immunity. That's where you got the memory cells that came up, that, that memory immunity, the um, acquired natural immunity. All those who have naturally acquired immunity in this study were not carrying delta or beta or, or um, um, what was the other one? 
beta, delta, whatever it was, the other three. So it's only those that are vaccinated that are carrying and shedding and spreading these variants. And now we're hearing those flying are the ones carrying Omicron. It's not the unvaccinated. Well, why would that be? How is it we know that? Well, I actually did uh, uh, an, an example. I, I did an analogy for you guys almost nine months ago using a football game plan analogy. Now, I'm going to do it again with a little bit more detail because so many of you have come up to me and said that really made it make sense. And since our audience is exploding and growing, you know, uh, really exponentially, thanks to so much of your support. Let me go ahead and do this with a little bit more detail. So let's take it over to the screen, shall we? All right, here we are. Now, here's what we're talking about. The innate immune system, the natural immune system you're born with, as Geert van den Bosch so clearly explained two weeks ago on the high wire. You have nonspecific antibodies. You were born, from the moment you're born, you have these innate antibodies that are nonspecific. They say they have low affinity, meaning they don't really, they don't specifically look for one type of virus. They look at all viruses and bacteria. They recognize little motifs that are similar amongst bacteria and viruses. So for some reason, the second your baby is born, they will recognize a pathogen that maybe only exists on the other side of the planet. This is how brilliant the design is. And so by having a non-specific antibody, think of it as a football game. This is our team, and this is all of the now, we all have all the, this is 12 of the variants that are out there that we're talking about, including Alpha, Beta, Delta, Omicron. These other ones exist too. So we're up against this football team. This is what's out there. Now, when we began this thing, obviously Alpha, that's what we call the Wuhan strain. Well, the Wuhan strain is the Alpha right here. Hold on a second. Let me try that again. Boom. Here's the alpha, right? We all know this. This is what the vaccine is for. This is what we thought was circulating. It really was what was circulating in the beginning. Well, if alpha, which is the star quarterback, won the Heisman Trophy, huge, got picked up, has a multi-million dollar deal. Well, obviously alpha gets the ball. This entire team says, look out for alpha. Let's nail it. Boom, we got it. Alpha's out. We stopped the play. But the beauty of the innate non-specific antibodies is that they don't care if it's alpha. They don't care if somebody else gets it. So beta could get it. Beta gets the ball, tries to get through, boom. They come in from all sides. The non-specific recognize anyone on that team. They could do a trick play. They could decide to run Kappa from here, toss the ball forward, he comes through, it doesn't matter, boom. Kappa goes down because of non-specific antibodies. Got it? Now here's the genius of our health committee and our health departments, what they decided to do, let's have an experiment. Let's not let natural immunity win the day because this, by the way, is how we've handled every variant, every virus since the dawn of man. This nonspecific innate immune system we have is why our species is still here. There has never been a virus that has overcome this brilliant innate immune system, not with all the mutations in the world, but hey, let's erase this innate immune system. Let's take this away from everyone on the planet. This will be a great experiment. So what did they do? They decided, let's change it out. Oh, wait, I got to do this differently. Hold on. How do I get rid of that? Got to change over. This is what we did. So instead of having the nonspecific, we've now turned everybody that we can, everybody that's been vaccinated, into the specific antibodies for alpha. Everyone on the planet is being vaccinated for alpha. Now, remember, this is great. This is great if that's the Heisman Trophy winner and we paid a lot of money for him. We know Alpha's going to get the ball. So if Alpha comes over, boom, 
This team is ready to go. They're designed to go after Alpha. We got it nailed. There's no way that person's ever going to get into the end zone, right? But you get where this is going. But what happens if the team over there decides, you know what? We've got so many people keyed on Alpha, we just can't get in the end zone. So let's go ahead and hand it to somebody else. Let's hand it to Delta. So Alpha tosses to Delta. Delta takes it. And whoa, it doesn't matter what Delta does. It doesn't even look like this team knows he's there. He's running all the way to the end zone. Touchdown. Delta wins. That's your breakthrough case. That's when Delta started becoming the number one virus in the United States of America and around the world. Delta started winning in every single football game there was. Because this entire team given us by Tony Fauci, the WHO, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, taught us all to only look for alpha. Do you see where this is going? And so now comes Omicron. And they're saying, hey, let's give everybody another booster shot of alpha. That'll really do it. Really? Really, let's go ahead and give them a totally incorrect last year's model, you know, vaccine. And here comes Omicron. And what do they say? The four that were on the plane, those that are flying into California, no one touched it. He's running straight in the end zone. And now when we look at a world, maybe it's Omicron. Maybe it's another one that becomes to be that, that variant because it's not going to be Alpha. Alpha is the only thing that we took out. Alpha is no longer here. But we're about to have World War III brought upon us by every single other variant that's growing and becoming stronger and stronger because this moronic football team is only looking for the one virus we know we don't have anymore. And this right here will be the end of us. This is where this is going. Everybody that's trying to give you a booster shot, this is that end. This is where that leads. You're getting a booster shot for an obsolete virus. Your child that once had an innate immune system could handle anything, you're bragging on Facebook, look, I just got my kid involved. He just got his booster shot. She just got her booster shot. All you did was set us up for this. Geert van den Bosch is telling us what needs to happen here. We need to release this pressure. We need to now decide, now that it's going to be Delta, then it's Delta. Fine, let's focus on Delta. The only way we focus is to get unfocused. We've got to get back to this. We've got to re make sure that every one of our children, every one of you that is considering, do I you know, have to get vaccinated in order to hold on to my job? What if you hold on to your job, but we lose the war? You are so critical right here. Every single unvaccinated person right now in the world is the only ones. You're the only ones with remaining nonspecific antibodies that can fight any single one of these. No matter what happens, no matter where we go, whoever gets the ball, boom, it ends right there. You're not going to carry it. This study, these studies are showing us no one with natural immunity is going to let any of those variants through to spread to anybody. You heard it here first. You're going to hear it over and over again. Let it sink in. Get it to your friends. Get it to your family. Because the news owned by the morons and the Neanderthals of science will continue to try to lie to everybody. All right, let's get back to the Jackson Report. All right, pause it for a second. All right, so um, it was very creative. Dell took a bunch of Greek letters. He anthropomorphized them as various variants of a virus. He then did his best imitation of like John Madden on the football screen running plays. I think he made some strong points there. 
I, I understand. I'm part of the control group. I'm one of the X's on the screen. I'm not one of the A's letting everything through. So I understand his argument that was brilliantly illustrated. I wasn't sure where he's going with that, if it was going to interpret, but it, it, it interprets pretty well, actually. Uh, a lot of facts behind that. And uh, it looks like maybe he's questioning the science. I mean, he's questioning Dr. Fauci, which is the science. They're, they're, they're kind of connected. Yeah. The other part is right. that end zone that those variants are making it through. What's it do? Um, they're wrecking the immune systems of children by vaccinating for the alpha variant. According to that data, that's what I was seeing. I was just interpreting what he was just talking about. See if I understand. So I'm trying it on for size. So that, that end zone is compromised immune system for life for children. And oh, by the way, they're getting that vaccine. So they also have that part where the, the lipid nanoparticles and MRNA collect in their ovaries and developing sex organs, these sort of things, right? Wasn't there fertility issues uh, in, in collecting uh, like the mRNA travels? It travels that was, that was to the re reproductive research. organ or, yeah, the, whether right. it's the gonads or the, um, yeah, the eggs of females. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's ovaries, a, it, yeah. It, it ovaries getting tired, but yeah. Lady parts. Lady parts, yeah, exactly. Um, point is, like, it was the luciferase or luciferase enzyme or protein it's essentially what makes the lightning bugs but light up they use that in mouse models and they sort of use the synthetic lipid um structure that they developed and see they where, use peg where and those tag polyethylene yeah. glycon uh yeah the, glycol. what was that other one that was a couple months ago that was sort of a misdirection but sort of interesting nonetheless such of the nest but anyways the point is it um sm something there was anyways. tromethamine yeah, trimethamine is a recent one. Yeah, that's, that's the one. The they, that's a buffer. from having heart attacks or something. I thought that was yeah, an additive they put in the kids' version. It's a weird, but nonetheless, they saw the, the synthetic lipid nanoparticle a structure that they developed was collecting in places associated with reproduction, whether it's, it's male supposed to move or out of the female. muscle tissue in the arm. That's what they claimed. Rapidly, but there's a number of studies now that it come reaches out. organs in your body and collects there. Now it's not just there; it really reaches any organs that are damaged like any any place in the body that's specifically sensitive for whatever reason that could be genetic could be wear and tear from living life just it, it, for a whole host of reasons that are would this help with up. that agenda all those agendas that warren buffett's associated with to decrease the population the oh, negative absolutely. population growth because you group. get two you get two effects at once you get the Fabian strategy up. same group of people same group you get two oh, okay. you get two strategies are being employed at the same time you get well, actually, it's some one same strategy, two different two different tactics for achieving that strategy. One is you get the soft kill Fabian strategy, where if there is significant side effects, they're going to manifest not immediately, but over a course of time of one's life, that could be potentially fatal. And then the other effect is you can't you prevent potentially a large portion of the population from being, from being able to reproduce. So it's it get, is you know uh, very devious the way they. So that's like children of men with Clive Owen. Basically, yes. yeah, I yeah. was thinking I keep thinking of that film all the time when I hear I've seen uh, Del Bigtree very... and Gear do this similar presentation. I've seen that a number of times. He, he breaks it down very simply. I really appreciate that. He he shows just like, look, you the problem is too. to Dell's credit. A couple of weeks ago, we showed a study where the people who had natural immunity and then were vaccinated afterwards lost their natural immunity. Uh, and became more susceptible to the not only the other variants, but to the original variant, not that that's being passed around anymore. That's very disturbing because it means there's a potential permanent effect that the vaccine is having on your immune system. 
So you can catch COVID and get over it with these therapeutics. Does that mean you're, you're, you're going to have those non-specific antibodies? Not right now. There's not, hasn't been a specific study done in it, but the preliminary studies have been, have been done show that that might be the case. So you might be more susceptible to disease, particularly disease card caused by SARS-CoV-2 and its variants forever because of the, the vaccine. Uh, sort of rewriting like the way the immune claim, system works. Tony, that people who want to depopulate the planet would expose us to more disease. I think you're just going out. You said it best a long time ago. Immune system by prescription. And it's also, um, uh, there's another term you use. You see, immune. we give you the shot for free, but then we charge you for your immune system being externalized to our cloud servers. It's a Bill Gates plan. Straight oh, and then we're also BSL four labs. That's the other one. We're all oh, BSL yeah, yeah. four labs. That's we're really BSL what four labs with cryptocurrency mining going on with uh, the gene edit. Is that what they're going for? Transhumanism. Transhumanism. And it, you know, Burmis always brings up that that NASA document, which I can bring up here in a second. But you know, the point is, like, we in 2020 they stated themselves that the future war, like, we're entering in the sort of transhumanist phase that they've been trying to usher in for God knows how long now. So they finally are here. Plus, you know, 2010, what decade of the vaccine? Yet all that nonsense going on. So it's it we're right on schedule because they were kind of behind schedule, but they got caught up quite quickly, disturbingly so. Um, you know, agenda 21 transhumanism, it's all coming to a head right now here, future warfare here. I'm bringing it up now. Yeah, this is what agenda uh, uh, 21 climate change, green revolution. I got the green Jesus's book right here. Dennis Bush. Now that's it. Dennis Bush. Now here. I know, Denny. Hold on. So it's, yeah, future strategic, strategic issues. We actually had Burmese and Whitney Webb talk about this, but last week. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let me see if I can find, cause they talk about the different, oh, bio nanotech. That's the age we just 2020. Bio so what, what year is Bushnell's presentation? So that people, so the audience understands the gravamen. 2001. So it's, 2001, 2001, not a space to... odyssey. They're pre- predicting the future 24 years in the future. Here we are 22 years in the future, right? Something like that. I'm not doing math this early in the morning, but we're like close to what the projection is. So we're at the far mm-hmm. end of the projection where he should be the least accurate. Right. The things that happened five years after that presentation, he would have the tightest grip on. But projecting out to 2025, very few of those darts should be hitting the board. And yet he's hitting fucking bullseye. Boom, yeah, bullseye. Boom. Bro. So it's worth considering. Now, before we get to that, because that's a PowerPoint presentation, I want to show you Green Jesus's book. There you go. <laughs> the Live Earth Global Warming Survival Handbook by David Rothschild. Oh, David. Yeah. The hip, yeah. the hip Rothschild. Yeah. The official companion to the Live Earth concerts. And there's the polar bear that can't swim 200 miles, everybody. It, it needs a life I preserver. Mean, this is the liberals. Stage. This is the liberals trying to give polar bears life preservers. <laughs> right? You got skills to stop climate change or live through it. You know? <laughs> and there's like a message in the bottle. 77. So yeah. And double repeating numbers are actually that's if you pay money, the carbon will stop. Hey, I got a question for all you uh, you people who were bought into Green Jesus and his family's uh, British Empire version of your future. I just got a small question for you. All this carbon you're going to charge us for emitting. Did we create it? I don't think we create anything, man. I think we just recirculate carbon that was created billions of years ago. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. But it seems like a scam. Seems like a big scam. And when you look into it, Green Jesus and his friends, like uh, where's that Edmund Rothschild clip mm-hmm. from the 80s? You know, other people in his family, 20 years before he wrote this book, 
We're like, hey, we should uh, do this global warming climate change thing in front of the UN. Right. It's like, so this is the trickle down. This is why he's like doing the plastiki. He makes a boat of plastic and yeah, he makes all this press coverage. And, and just the, his whole disposition, like he's the cool hip Rothschild, young, you know, sort of a part of that sort of he's not a millennial, but he, he sort of fits in with that, that pseudo woke crowd. I would the way he sells himself them. is very, I wouldn't mean either. Uh, just insane. Nope. Little baggage with that gig. That's funny. Got. That's a funny book. You know, little polar bear. 77, by the way. It's, you know, and uh, numerology is an interesting number. Just wink, wink. So. so now let's go back to uh, nothing relevant to 77 happened in 2001 when Dennis Bushnell was making this presentation. So let's just continue with your analysis of these slides here. I mean, that was, let me just bring it back up. That was the main. No, you got to show the money shot. So you show the date. He said this in 2001, and it's speculating out to 2025, and then cut to the money shot of, boom, nanotech. And uh, that's For what's sure. in the gene. Bring it back up here. Okay, Therapy. here it is. Bring it back up. That people call it a vaccine. Yep. So let's see. ITH is 1950 to 2020. And bio and nanotech 2020. Now they have virtual down here, but they don't have any predictions. Meta. I guess that's where the question mark is. But the virtual would be like the metaverse, maybe. Question mark Zuckerberg. Our, we upload our consciousness to some sort of hive mind. So here's another interesting one. Hunter gatherer, agricultural, industrial, IT, bio, nano, automating industry and agriculture, and then virtual robotization of IT, bio, nano industry, and agriculture. Hey, quick question. This is a tangent. Hope you guys can pay attention and we'll get back on track in a second. But if Mark Zuckerberg dressed up like the Riddler from Batman, would that make him a question mark? Please continue. Oh. <laughs> Impacts of ongoing Riddle. IT revolution. Riddle I'm just confusing this. the AI and the YouTube. See, it doesn't know what I'm doing now. Telecommuting. Teleshopping. What's telesocialization? Teletainment. Telemedicine. That's an interesting one. Telesocialization. Telepolitics. I like the telepolitics. <laughs> right? Is that the Zoom meeting that they, people can so easily hack that they were doing early on in the pandemic? So, Hey, did you know before they had the radio, they used to broadcast uh, baseball games in teletype on a ticker? What? Yeah. I took Lucas Fish in the other day. There's an old flyer fisherman there. He was like 85 and he was telling us, and I had never heard that before. He's like, you know, before they had radio, they would play by play on the ticker tape on the teletype. Hmm. I was like, that's, that's interesting. Out, yeah. That is actually kind of crazy. I had no idea. That's how Ronald Reagan got started in his era. He would, he would like reenact the play by play reading off of the ticker tape. That's oh, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're that saying. Yeah, that's why it's so rote. Like the I don't know, they had it, the style was so different. Now it makes sense. the color commentary was so different because it wasn't color commentary. They were reading off a ticker tape. That makes so much more sense. <laughs> <laughs> <radio> copywriters. <laughs> there were copywriters and copy typers. Oh what, shit! But anyway, you know, it's Dennis Bushnell. Serious. It's interesting. I mean, the, yeah, I mean. I've watched last week's intermission if people are really interested in the future of warfare, the weaponizing biotechnology. War future of warfare. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Department of War. Because advanced Bernays, Depart I think it's Bernays the Advanced Warfare it Department, Department of or Defense. something like that. They were the Department of War until Bernays is like, hey, maybe uh, instead of being the department that kills you, the department that doesn't kill, but you get money for killing. That's a good, that's a good PR spin. It is. Did you take any ideas from... Yeah, Bernays and them, Lipman. Mm, no, no, no. Do we have uh, 
No. Do we have the Leslie Stahl hot button? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought we used to have it, but I must have been air. I'm in air. Of course not. he is, no. Leslie. Come on. Of course he is. Come on. <laughs> She's like trying to shame him. She's like, hey, not just on my to, show. There you go. To follow up, you were asking about that book, All the Countries We've Ever Invaded, and the few we never got round to by Stuart Laycock. Yeah. Here on uh, yeah, Goodreads. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And then if um if you go to like um just type into a search engine, I almost said the G word. Go to start page, type in British Empire map, and then go to images, and you'll see this map that has all these red splotches where there used to be continents. And uh you can see at the height of its empire at one time or another, because remember the United States is included in that map until we broke free. So the one over on the right or the one like yeah, so that's maybe current but the one on the right is like all the territories over time Hmm. they're still working on china they got part of it now china's pretty much at this point occupied they just need to update the book but with our multinational corporations not just ours but your the crown colonies multinational all that opium that got them set up over there yeah once yeah once the opium wars happened it was like if you thought the british were pissed and had a war because we dumped some of the east india company's tea you should have seen what they did to the chinese after the emperor ordered dumping all the opium because of what was ravaging their country uh the the millions and millions of uh chinese men and women but mostly men that were you know then there's opium houses you see those those pictures from back in the day it's just interesting because like he saw the moral degradation that was happening in society he's like fuck this get out of my country and the thing is the chinese had a very uh, they had, I talked about this, I think, in the town hall, but they had quite they had gone through a period of high civilization, but they didn't innovate war. They innovated all these other institutions, but they didn't really innovate war, largely because they were isolated. Then all of a sudden, the technology finally existed where the British and their naval dominance were, you know, were able to move in. And, and well, it started with Marco. That, yeah, it started with Marco. Yeah, there in that was the Middle Polo. Ages. Yeah, Marco Polo. I thought Marco we Millions. The game like in the pool where you're blindfolded. <laughs> But yeah, a lot of Marco millions because his stories were so extravagant. He has millions of stories and he, no one could believe that he witnessed this grandiose culture out in the East that is so wildly different. But that's and that comes from Will Durant. But Marco so millions, the 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 long short of it is Europe starts to establish trade with China. Uh, Largely after lot, the Genghis lot, Khan. And, the and Khan, there's a lot of stuff that they want from yeah. China. They like the right. tea, they like the silk, there's a whole the bunch herbs. of stuff they like. Yeah. So like a, a large percentage of gold and silver from Europe finds its way over to China, but China won't trade goods. They'll only accept gold and silver because they find the European golds, uh, goods unrefined and inferior. That's right. So, exactly so after right. a period of time, all that money flowing over there, some Europeans are like, hmm, we need to get that money back. How are we going to do that? Now, around this same time, Queen Elizabeth tries herself a little opium. She gets, woo. She says, send some ships and go get some more of this stuff. So then they're establishing, they move from like the Levant company into the British East India company and the Dutch yeah. East India company. There's a whole bunch of people interested in the products over there. And essentially it comes to pass that the, the British uh, organize these triangle trades around the world, having a global type empire. America plays a part in it. The, the, the Confederacy and the cotton goes over. Uh, so that's why 
Uh, the British and the Rothschilds supported the Confederacy during the time of the Civil War because That's they were right. dependent on slave labor to produce the cotton to go over to Manchester to take the textiles that they made. These fine textiles. It wasn't even in India in wanted America, but it was all over the world. There were different industries that were using slave I'm following labor. Following the trade, though. Yeah. Following the mm-hmm. trade. So it starts right. with slave cotton. It goes to Manchester. They weave it because they got the industry over there. They take it to India where they can't make such fine cloths this was a problem up till gandhi by the way right when they took back their power so then uh the indians are like the people in india they're like how can we get these fine uh fabrics that you have the british are like hmm why don't you guys have big warehouses with just racks and racks of big balls of opium we'll trade with you guys that's cool so then the british get all these big opium balls and they take them around over to china and they dump them into the population and then they start to jack everything they create Hong Kong or it was Canton. It was a base for the British off the coast of China where they could kind of like infiltrate and do their business. And then the Hong Kong Shanghai Banking Corporation, the Opium Bank, is still involved today and giving $100 million to Hillary Clinton and James and- Comey sitting on the board while they were being investigated for money laundering for the drug cartels. <laughs> and they only, what, Hong Kong only ostensibly gained their independence. I mean, that was within my lifetime. So, uh, is there not protests going on in Hong Kong because mm-hmm. of the whole China, Taiwan, all that oh, sort of huge, situation? Yeah. Especially before COVID broke out. That was massive. And then all That's sudden- why it's important to like grab the gist. Um, there was, um, yeah, there's a famous image. If you were to type into a search engine, like opium warehouse, India, you're going to see these drawings and depictions from back in the day of like, mm-hmm. I don't know, 60 or 80 feet high of shelves which is big balls of opium waiting to be traded because right. Afghanistan and those places over there produce the goods for the, for the empire. Yeah, exactly. And then when that gold That's comes why... back on the East India company ships and it's sitting there and Wellington's like, Hey, how do I pay my troops? And the British government's like, we don't know. We're going to lose. And then Nathan Rothschild's like, Hey, I got an East India company ship with a bunch of gold. Can I, can I get my couriers to take it and pay for Wellington? And can we get this done? That's literally true. And what's crazy is like a Wellington had an amateur army for the longest time. We arrived in the Iberian Peninsula and then like it slowly built up with defectors from Iberian, which would be Spain, Spain, essentially. Yeah. yeah Spain, Portugal, well, Portugal's the off the coast. But um, the, the point is like he, they slowly took and built it up with gold finance from the Rothschilds and they was able to turn his amateur army into a sophisticated um, um, professional army. And oh, LD's even, got the picture. Yeah. Show us yeah, the graphics. Yeah. yeah uh, I've just been flashing a number of these yeah. uh, pictures from a search. Yeah. I have some well. of the books with the original uh, graphics in them. There's the opium monopoly from like 1980, uh, 1902 is a good book that has some good graphics in it. Yeah, it goes on that thing that underpins the intelligence communities and their black ops. It's been going on a long time. Didn't just start with Iran Contra. No, no, God, no. Drug, drugs, they, they control the gods. Gold, oil, drugs, and sex. Those are the four main markets they control. It's just so ironic that the acronym ha- happens to spell out gods, and those are the type of gods they worship. It also spells out dogs. That is true. Mm-hmm. Dogs and gods. That's an Omicron moronic anagram, anagram type thing. Well, what did uh, Mark Passes say? The dogs keep the dead in line. So the dogs being the military and the police. I'm not part of the walking dead. All <laughs> right. So um, any other thing? Oh, we're going to go to the Jackson report because that was the next part. And I did cover my notes on that section. So I feel like I don't have to remember all those things while we 
can listen and be present now to the Jackson report. After that, yeah, after that, we can pretty much go straight to the theme song. Go ahead. Yeah, we can. We I think he'll cover most of the rest of what's going on. Will he play the stinger though, so people can get that theme song correct in their head? Then we'll go to the intermission. Well, yeah, that's (laughs) cue it up. Go. The morons and the Neanderthals of science will continue to try to lie to everybody. All right, let's get back to the Jackson Report. All right, Jeffrey, we're up and running. We got your computer going again. It's good to have you here. I just laid it out, man. I mean, whether it's Omicron or not, this thing seems like the tail wagging the dog. It's over and over again. It's like Groundhog Day. I keep thinking I'm waking up in the morning hearing, I got you, babe. So what else is happening in the world? Yes, as we're seeing all amongst vaccinated individuals with Omicron, and like we've covered a couple of weeks ago, the headlines are still coming out of, I don't know what we're going to call it, I guess vaccine failure. Check out this headline. It was Vermont a couple of weeks ago. Now it's all five states. COVID cases are surging in the five most vaccinated states, Vermont, Rhode Island, Maine, Connecticut, Massachusetts, all seeing surges. If anybody decides to read that article, no reason given, just stats, just, well, I don't know, here's the stats and like move along. LA County, we're seeing that as well. This is what they're doing. You're, you see the words mystery always when they don't know what's happening. Mystery right. emerges among COVID-19 patterns in Los Angeles County. Officials are trying to understand why some of LA's highest coronavirus rates are currently in the communities with highest vaccine, vaccine rates. Well, you know and what? What's the we can answer? say this now is not a mystery to anybody that just watched our beautiful football analogy. You get it, folks. This is what we're talking about. It's not a mystery. The most vaccinated places will be the highest rates of infection with all these new variants, which they cannot stop for the reasons we just described. So, so what are our public health officials doing? What's the answer? Let's look at the CDC. This is what they're saying. CDC US says all adults should get COVID booster shots. Now in the UK, you're seeing a different pattern. UK is a little bit in front of us, remember, with their booster shot campaign. They've just upped the time frame. So instead of six months after your shots, they're saying now they're going to half that. UK's wow. minimum gap for COVID booster jabs to be half to three months. They're also saying a fourth booster dose uh, for immunocompromised. So we got to look out for that. Too. That's My amazing gosh. because we've been saying it, right? We've been saying from the beginning, it appears that the beginning of the, the fall of your antibodies from the vaccine is at, at, starting at six weeks, at 10 weeks, dropping as much as 50%. So this, I, don't, I was always wondering, what is this six month thing? What are you talking about? This vaccine isn't lasting anywhere near six months. It's more like two to three months at the very best, really rather, I think you have about four solid weeks of of what might be some sort of immune support. So, and now they're admitting it, right? Now they're saying, and in America, don't even worry about it. Doesn't matter if you got it three months ago, get that booster shot now. I mean, it's like, it's like watching clowns. Clowns (laughs) make decisions about our health around the world. And here's some results. Let's look at this headline, this next one, and get a little forensic with it and see what it really means. So this is out of The Guardian. Just 40% of frontline NHS as National Health Service staff in England had a booster COVID vaccine and fewer than three in 10 care home staff are triple jabbed. So this was six weeks into their booster campaign. They're saying basically 60% of their healthcare workers aren't taking the shot despite being first in line to get this shot. They were opening up first for that for the, that for that group. This is huge importance. Now, understand here, as it says in the article, uh, the UK 
introduced what was called a no jab, no job policy for care home staff um, earlier this month. And that was just okay. for the first two shots, not, not, not the booster. And okay. what happened there, that policy caused about 60,000 people to be forced out of their jobs. That same policy is coming down on NHS staff workers, their healthcare workers in April. So what we're seeing wow. here are the leftovers of the people basically so that, that when you're saying 60% of the people that aren't getting that third booster, we're really talking about the believers, those that went out and did yeah. their due diligence, did what the government told them, did what they always do. They got their two shots amongst the believers. Only 40% are believing strong enough to go to a third vaccine. That is a complete destruction and fall off. So more than 50% of those who believed now no longer believe in the mandates coming from their government. That's incredible. Right. And, and that that should be a really a warning sign here as we're moving forward, as this booster cam campaign moves forward. This may be what we're also going to see in the United States. And we have some legal points that some breaking legal news that we're going to cover in just a moment. So what's the answer here? The booster jabs are coming out. People aren't taking the booster jabs. What's the answer? This is what we're looking to in the uh, European Union. They're considering mandatory vaccination. Uh, EU uh, countries should debate mandatory vaccination, says von der Leyen. That's Ursula von der Leyen. She's the president of the European Commission. She says potentially they're going to potentially start to think about mandatory vaccination within the European Union. Wow. Now, over here in the United States, that's interesting. Uh, interesting idea. If that ever was tried, how would they enforce that? A breaking Breitbart article just maybe shed some light on that. Uh, tool to enforce Orwellian rules. 80 House Republicans help pass bill to fund federal vaccination database. Let's go right into the article here. Okay. Representative Mary Miller, uh, who was one of uh, 130 Republicans to vote no, told Breitbart News exclusively on Wednesday that the legislation would enable the federal government to track unvaccinated Americans who quote, will be targeted and forced to comply with Biden's crazy global vaccination vision, end quote. It goes wow. on to say the text specifically outlines an expansion of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and Public Health Department capabilities and the ability for state and local health departments, as well as public private healthcare providers to share data with the federal government. And it finally, it, it ends by saying this, in a statement, the bill's main sponsor, Democrat, uh, Democratic Rep. Ann Custer said the system would be used to, quote, remind patients when they are due for a recommended vaccine, end quote, and identify areas with low vaccination rates to, quote, ensure equitable distribution of vaccines, end quote. Notably, the bill has four Republican co-sponsors. That's Reps Larry Bouchon, uh, J James Byrd, uh, David McKinley and Brian Fitzpatrick. Now, one Democrat voted in opposition to this bill. Wow, but it's shocking that 80 Republicans, I think, did, even though it was 120 did not or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a very, very disturbing bill. I mean, this is Orwellian. This is tracking people down. And by the way, do we really need the federal government here? I mean, that's what your doctor does, right? If you go to your doctor, you get vaccinations, they're already calling you and telling you it's time to get your vaccinations. Why does the federal government need to get involved with this? It's total overreach. It's really, really dangerous. And what it could lead to as we see, you know, this administration continue to push illegal measures, which I know we're going to talk about in just a minute. Uh, we need to stop this thing. We really need to stop this thing, folks. Uh, later on in the show, I'm going to talk about, you know, how we can do something about it. That's, that's amazing. Incredible stuff. Let's jump into some science here. There's been some breaking studies that really need uh, covering. So a lot okay. of people are wondering how do they bolster their immune system uh, to have the best possible chance if they do encounter 
SARS-CoV-2 or one of these variants. Well, well there's a study clear. here. It's, it's inevitable, folks. I mean, I've been saying this mm -hmm. from the beginning. At one point or another, whether you're innate in immune system, you probably already have in some ways caught it. But do we call it catching it if you don't get sick? That asymptomatic response means you're, you're not getting antibodies. You're not going to test positive because your innate immune system is doing such a good job at beating this thing. That's what's happening. But let it be known, you are coming in contact with it. It's everywhere. So at some point or another, hopefully you keep having a great innate immune system, which remember, makes these temporary antibodies that then clean up the mess and then throw them all out. It doesn't remember it. It decides, let me just stay clean. Let me just keep that sort of low affinity, that, you know, that non-specific antibodies. That's what we want. But even for those that then get a big infection, do get symptomatic naturally, they go on and have very robust and a broad-based specific um, immune response that is handling every single variant that we know. So those, that's where you want to be. All right, continue on. Right, right, absolutely. And so look at this study here. This was a study, it, it's called COVID-19 mortality risk correlates inversely with vitamin D3 status. These are results of a systematic review to meta-analysis. So these researchers were looking at all the available data out there, all the available research. And this is what they looked at. This is the background of the study they wrote. Much research shows that blood D3 levels correlate strongly with SARS-CoV-2 infection severity. There is an open discussion regarding whether low D3 is caused by the infection or if deficiency negatively affects immune uh, defense. So they found here that this is the this is the point that should be on every headline. Regression suggested a theoretical point of zero mortality at approximately 50 nanograms a milliliters of D3. That's blood. That's the blood levels. And wow. they concluded. The data sets provide strong evidence that low D3 is a predictor rather than just a side effect of the infection. Despite ongoing vaccinations, we recommend rising serum 25 OHD levels. That's basically the, the major circulating form of vitamin D in the body. Yep. We recommend raising serum 25 OHD levels to above 50 nanograms milliliter to prevent or mitigate new outbreaks due to escape mutations or decreasing antibody activity. Wow, so the question there was, is the D3 disappearing because of the virus or did you not have enough and that's why you caught it? And what they came to the determination was that it appears that low D3 levels made you vulnerable to severe disease. And they're saying, and I know they, they're very careful to say, we're not saying it's a cure, but it looks like anybody that had vitamin D levels above that 50 nanograms per liter could not, did not die. It, it took away any risk of dying from this virus. So folks, you know, we try to give you information out there. A lot of you ask, what do I do? What do I do in this world where the vaccine is pressuring and is creating more and more variants that may be more dangerous for everybody? Well, here you know, and let's make it clear, we're not saying vitamin D is a cure, but it does appear if you want to really up your chances of having a good outcome when you do finally, you know, your immune system gets down or maybe somehow you come in contact with this, obviously having high vitamin D levels above 50 nanograms is where you want to be to have the best success. That's something we can all do. You can go out and get a blood test today based on this study. And what does it hurt? It may not protect you. I'm not saying that you're never going to catch it. But what does it hurt if the science is showing us if you're at those levels, you have a really good chance of survival. I know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Now, on the back of these headlines showing all of these highly vaccinated states or countries even or counties getting infection surges in COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2, check out this study. 
Transmission potential of vaccinated and unvaccinated persons infected with the SARS-CoV-2 Delta variant in a federal prison. This is from July to August 2021. Now, remember, that was when the CDC said the Delta variant had taken over. It was over 90% of the cases. Right. And the, the, the authors write this. During a SARS-CoV-2 Delta va variant outbreak among incarcerated persons with high vaccination rates in a federal prison, we assessed markers of viral shedding in vaccinated and unvaccinated persons. And they found no significant differences were detected in duration of RT-PCR positivity among fully vaccinated uh, participants, median 13 days, versus those not fully vaccinated, a median of 13 days, or in duration of culture positivity, a uh, median of five days. And what they concluded, listen to this, they concluded that clinicians and public health practitioners should consider vaccinated persons who become infected with SARS-CoV-2 to be no less infectious than unvaccinated persons. Wow. I mean, we, this is, we talked, there was another study that was very similar to this, talking about mm -hmm. viral load. When they studied the viral load in those that were vaccinated compared to those, those that were unvaccinated after coming in contact and being infected with SARS-CoV-2, they said you could not tell the difference. And now we're seeing that the vaccine is not in any way reducing that viral load. They're just as infectious. But I think uh, more specifically in this study, it's not even reducing the amount of time that you're shedding. That five-day period where you are infectious, it's not even reducing that amount of time. This vaccine is doing absolutely nothing to protect your neighbors. And frankly, I think as we start to look around the world, I don't think it's doing anything to protect you from uh, severe illness either, which was the only caveat it had, which makes it really not a vaccine at all. It doesn't stop immunizations. Uh, it just, I mean, it doesn't stop, you know, you from, you know, catching it or transmitting it. It's there only to protect you. So another study that says, why the heck are we having two classes of people, those that are unvaccinated and those that are vaccinated, masks or, you know, getting into concerts when it is clear it makes absolutely no difference. Do you see how crazy this is, people? This is the world we live in. And Del, it's been it's been a very bad week for uh, Biden's vaccine mandates. Uh, headlines after headlines after headlines, and we're still the week's not over yet. So let's go over these headlines in chronological order, because for okay. people that don't want to be under these mandates, these are hopeful headlines. So let's check this first one out. This was All from right. Missouri. Missouri judge deals major blow to Biden's vaccine mandate for healthcare workers in ten states. It says here the case applies to Medicare and Medicaid certified medical establishments in. Listen up, if you're in one of these states, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska. Alaska, Wyoming, New Hampshire, uh, Missouri, Kansas, Iowa, Alaska, and Arkansas. The injunction concerns the federal vaccine mandate from the Centers for Medi uh, Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS. Now, remember, he's using the CMS, his administration is using the CMS um, services to push this mandate. They're going okay. directly through them. Right. So th this this injunction, this really, it's a kind of a legal win. Uh, let's listen to the Missouri Attorney General speak on this. Check okay. it out. The court agreed that we were likely to succeed in establishing that CMS, that the CMS vaccine mandate is arbitrary and capricious because there is a lack of evidence showing that the vaccinate, that vaccination status has a direct impact on spreading COVID in healthcare facilities, among other things. And the court noted that the mandate will cause a loss of staffing in many instances that would result in, and I quote, no care at all as some facilities will be forced to close altogether, end quote. We're gonna to continue to fight to halt OSHA's vaccine mandate on private employers. We're gonna to continue to fight the vaccine mandate on federal contractors. Because here's news for the Biden administration. 
I have talked to the real people here in Missouri, not just healthcare workers, not just small businesses who are struggling to find employees uh, to make a living for their families, but everyday citizens as well, moms and dads, families who believe that they can actually make these decisions themselves and they don't need the government to dictate those decisions to them. Wow. Fantastic. Really great. That's, that's how. That's why you want your attorney general to talk, I would imagine, if you're a healthcare worker and you don't want to lose your job and you want to keep your choice. Now, what's he talking about? No care at all in some of these healthcare uh, right. um, areas and hospitals. Well, check out this study. This is what, what it looks at. This is uh, called COVID-19 vaccination coverage among hospital-based healthcare personnel reported to the Department of Health and Human Services Unified Hospital Data Surveillance System. So it's from January 21st. Uh, I'm sorry, January 20th, 2021 to September 15th, 2021. Now, this article is reviewed by the CDC, and it says here among 3,357,348 hospital-based uh, HCP, that's healthcare personnel, included in this analysis, a substantial percentage, approximately 30% remain unvaccinated. And remember, we're seeing headlines of hospital wings closing, of elective surgeries being canceled, of play, of rural hospitals having to cancel certain wings uh, because their specialists are forced to leave. So that's exactly what a lot of these mandates, these judges are halting this thing for because that is a crisis in itself. It's amazing that, you know, the, the shutdown of hospitals is a symptom of a much bigger problem, which is there are 30%, one third really of all healthcare workers in America do not believe in this vaccine. In fact, I would say it goes beyond belief. If you just didn't believe in it, you would probably take it and say, fine, you know, it's not gonna do much, but I'll take it anyway. When you have 30% of people standing there and saying, I will walk out the door on my dream, on my passion, on my life, on my career, if you make me take that, that sounds like one third of our healthcare department in this country are terrified of the vaccine. They are worried. And why would that be? Well, it has to be that it's not just VAERS that is capturing the highest levels of death and destruction from any vaccine. Here's where we're at, folks. We now have reports. These reports, 19,249 reports of death, 97,000 hospitalizations, 101,000 urgent care visits, 143,000 office visits, 8,000 cases of anaphylaxis, 11,000 cases of Bell's palsy. And I know I'm going to get attacked every time you talk about VAERS, the New York Times, the Washington Post, or you know, the Daily Mail or somebody is going to attack us and say, well, you, you know, we don't trust bears. The CDC says that you can't rely on bears. Well, the CDC uses bears all the time when it benefits them. But in this case, you know, they'll be against us. But those numbers are shocking. They are very shocking. And it's probably why I have to imagine these hospital workers are looking down at these people and saying, my God, you're sick. What did you do recently? I don't know. I got that vaccine and now I can't walk. Now I'm on my deathbed. Now I'm so sick with COVID, I don't know what to do. And 30% of the hospital workers are saying, not for me, man. Nope, not me, not now, not ever. Amazing. Now let's look at this next headline. The courts handed another law, uh, legal blow to Biden. So judge halts Biden's COVID vaccine mandate for healthcare workers nationwide. This is Louisiana-based federal judge uh, Terry Doughty. He issued a, a preliminary injunction as well. And that covers all the states that the Missouri injunction does not cover. So now we're looking wow. at a, a nationwide halt on this on this. Uh, healthcare mandate. And then slipping through the cracks was this one in Kentucky, uh, a Kentucky-based judge, President Joe Biden's vaccine mandate blocked by Kentucky federal judge. This was U.S. District Judge in Kentucky and it blocked 
the federal contractor mandate. So that's a little different than the healthcare mandate. And he blocked it for uh, Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee. So those wow. three states, that was a small win there. But uh, the, one of the bigger uh, stories that's emerging over the last really month is the unions. Uh, we saw the unions in uh, New York with the firefighters, the police. Now yeah. we're getting the United Auto Workers Union, the UAW involved in this. Now this is the, their statement directly from their website, statement of the COVID-19 joint task uh, joint task regarding voluntary vaccination status disclosure. And it says here, Detroit, at a meeting Monday evening, the COVID-19 joint task force comprised of the UAW, Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis has aligned on a policy of voluntary and confidential disclosure of, of vaccination status for UAW workers. And they they said that there is an understanding that there is a Pers there, are, there are personal reasons that may prevent some members from being vaccinated, such as health issues or religious beliefs. So they're standing behind their workers on this, not wow. forcing them to comply, saying it is it is um, voluntary. Uh, and throughout this whole mess of, 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 of headlines, we had the Biden administration come out and try to grab the news cycle and failed miserably with this headline. Biden says federal agencies can delay firing non-compliant workers until after the holidays. It's oh a very God. scrooge He's trying to take responsibility for what the courts are forcing him to do, saying, I'm going to give you the holidays off. No, they already got the holidays off because every judge that looks at this knows that this is an illegal mandate by the Biden administration. Nice job trying to hop on and take credit for that, Joe. You're such a nice guy. Let me go ahead and let you get through the holidays. Amazing. Right. That's very Scrooge-esque uh, uh, headline there. And uh, so those are the legal wins. And now remember, this is only one week. This is only one week. There's so many more court cases going on. So I, I'm sure we're going to be seeing cycles of news stories like yeah. this every week moving forward now going into December, through December. You know, it's really amazing because I know there were so many people that were, you know, terrified. doesn't matter. I don't, I'm, we don't get political here. I'm politically marooned. I don't really trust anybody at this point. It seems like everybody is pulling the string for somebody else. All these politicians, the amount of money it takes to get elected right now uh, means that you're just going to be controlled by special interests. In this case, pharma being one of the biggest funding of politics, the biggest, the number one lobby mm -hmm. in Washington. But, you know, I keep thinking back to my Bible stories like growing up, and it's making me think about not to not to get too, you know, spiritual here for those in our audience that might be uncomfortable. But remember, if you, you know, are, are either Jewish or Christian, I suppose, the story of Pharaoh and Moses. And, you know, Moses would come down and throw down his staff and it would turn into a serpent and, you know, let my people go. And Pharaoh would say, all right, get out of here. I can't handle like that level of truth. You obviously have something behind you. I do not understand. And then Moses would leave. And then the Bible would always say, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And they would say, no, stop them. Don't let them go. And then Moses would come back and there'd be frogs in the sky and blood in the water. And every time Pharaoh would be like, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I remember talking to my dad saying, I don't understand why God's playing both sides of this. And now when I look at this right now, you have to imagine that as, as, as scary as it is that the federal government is trying to take our rights away, literally destroy our constitution with these vaccine mandates, it's as though God put him there. Because look what it's doing. What it's doing, it is an encasing and like an indelible barrier to our protection saying, in multiple courtrooms now, which we weren't here a year ago, we were not here. We didn't know where the federal government, I had to debate Alan Dershowitz. I told Alan, you're going to lose on this, Alan. I'd love to go up against you in court if you think the federal government can force this vaccine. Guess who's proving to be right? We wouldn't have this had we not had an administration overstepping its bounds. And now we're learning almost unequivocally, every single court is saying the federal government cannot do this to you. 
which is incredible. This is a powerful moment for this movement. And to see so many people waking up to the reality that their rights to control their own body, body autonomy, were going out the door to see all these AGs. And now every single state in the nation is protected against the federal government mandate. Incredible. And Jeffrey, hmm. I like to think that we it. might have just a little bit to do. Does anyone have the um, the the worksheet? I'm sorry, the betting pool for the Epstein, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell type of trial that's going on. Does Dershowitz show up, and, and in what week? Yeah, of the I was trial, thinking when he mentioned. Do you have Dershowitz. Dershowitz showing up in the Epstein evidence of the Ghislaine Maxwell trial? We're willing to bet money he doesn't show up at all. Interesting. I wonder if Epstein was like second generation Franklin cover-up crew. Like if the age range is like how early he was a player with Les Wexner and these other guys. Anyway, he's Soviet trained because that's what I the had, Soviets would do all the time. They'd use I, underage children. Yeah, sorry. And uh, yeah, British use compromising positions as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, oh, that yeah, brings British up too, that right. brings up not the global warming handbook. We talked about this, right? I want to show you where this stuff comes from. Here's a book from 1999, The United Nations Global Straight Jacket by Joan Vion. It's like uh, UN as uh, the eye in the capstone pyramid type thing, right? Okay. So she's also author of the of Prince Charles, The Sustainable say, Prince. Yeah. You should see her talks on this. That If you search on YouTube or BitChute or these sort of places, she gives talks on this book. She did it for years. She's passed away now. But look at this. Uh, this is a very telling graphic. <clears throat> Right, merging the U.S. and Soviet Union, and it's almost Great like a Britain. trilateral style. I mean, it's different yeah. from the there. They are the center of the world. Yeah. Got these. Uh, what do these things mean? Does this symbology have? Maybe there's a Jordan Maxwell presentation on the symbols we can Russell. Pine. Anyway, and Russell Russell J Pine. If you're gonna play by play like that, um, <laughs> sorry. sorry. All right, so I just wanted to hear. In her first book, Prince Charles, a Sustainable Prince, Joan traces the power between the United, United Nations to the British royal family. Prince Charles works behind the scenes, affecting global governmental policies and in facilitating the radical United Nations environmental agenda of sustainable development. This is, the last, this is last century, everybody. Is, what's Prince Charles up to today? Oh, he's about to be king of Britain. He, How many billions running, of acres did we see? He's running he's environmental get? agenda, sustainable development. Like he, I just saw him talking about that. Mm-hmm. This woman knows the future. Did she have a crystal ball or did she read the document? So let's let's fill, flip a few pages. Then. Now, this is not like the ideal source, but she had a good gist of the broad strokes, you know, moving the world electronically into a world government and how the UN, United Nations plays a role That's in a perfect that. segue for the intermission I and mean, this is like yeah she's, the history yeah. players and philosophy of tyranny she talks about it starts when cecil rhodes died and then there's these Rhodes scholars and then she goes into uh <clears throat> when the law becomes an instrument to plunder and then there's a whole section on cecil rhodes and de beers his confession of faith but let's just cut to the chase let's let's go to the the end of the book let's get into some of these documents real quick by the way, in the index, a whole lot of Rhodes, Rockefeller, Rothschild, uh, Reese Committee, Carol Quigley type information. But global stewardship <laughs> is what they're aiming for, page 421. By the way, uh, the World Health Organization, is that part of the United Nations? And does it have an influence in your life right now? 
Yes or no. There's uh, one of the documents at the end. First off, I guess I should show you a couple of the charts that are in here. Because uh, public-private partnerships. You guys heard of Klaus Schwab lately? Right? So, Major just, feature of last week's intermission. He's just a working group under this plan. The end result of public-private partnerships... Oh, look, it's these nonprofit foundations. Are the, uh, is Rockefeller still doing anything today with these sort of things? That foundation. How they overlap with government. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Here's another one. Uh, reinvented government, communitarianism. It, it like circles and triangles. There's a yeah. The environment, like Earth, the earth over the man. Is that like carbon trading? Is that like the new carbon credit trading cards that they're going to be giving everybody with a social credit score? Has anyone heard of this idea lately? This, this book's 21, 22 years old. Uh, let's see what else we got in here. Uh, here's the United Nations system, UNESCO, who uh, let's see if who's under here. Uh, World Health Organization. Let's see. There's so many different councils and this. I know. Right. I was just. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to phone a friend and find that later. Uh, other charts. Anyway. Totalitarianism. Good use of uh, charts to text, you know, for I don't global know stewardship were... for population council and, you know, these sort population of council. Yeah. Well, I you know, know, I know. I know, euphemisms for calling the population. That's what those are. <laughs> that's what it's like. It's are. the Golden Institute. It's no longer called the Eugenics Institute. Don't look here, everyone. Nothing to say. Well, Darwinism isn't any longer preservation of the favored races, which was his original subtitle on the origin of species or the preservation of the favored races. Pretty sure that's how that goes. Pretty much. Well, that's a perfect segue into. The imperial origins over. of ecology. You got it. And mm -hmm. all watched over by machines of loving genocide created by cyberneticians who hate us for our freedom. Pretty much. That's yeah. Basically the gist. That's the essence. It's a condensed version. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see where all that money gets us. Also, did we ever find that clip from the UN talk with Edmund de Rothschild? Oh, from, yeah. Uh, George I, Washington. The, the intermission goes like this. <clears throat> Small section we highlight uh general smuts and his abuse of ecological theory and the balance now he of was influential after cecil Rhodes died in south africa and created the, the apartheid state that people enjoy today or that dude enjoy. might be the most racist out of all the well, i don't know john smuts he, he created Jan ecology is, yeah. he created what, what, ecology which is the green agenda i was just talking about so there's yeah. some serious connections to be made here. Well, he abused the ecological theory. Yeah, I want he's he's part of the creation of it, but he really abused the fuck out of it. So, um, and then of course it, it will bring into the Club of Rome. We'll bring it into the modern day situation. Then we'll get into George Hunt. So it sort of segues right into George Hunt and unsaid and Edmund David Rothschild and what he had to say. It that should have probably been left unsaid actually. <laughs> All right. So the UNCED conference. All right. So do we have the George Hunt? Actual video? Yeah, I have all of, all of it's there. Yep. Basically, George. the the wall watched over sets up the George Hunt video. There's all a small right, so, little two minute video with Alex Jones this week where he's like, "This goes back to '92." People don't understand, so I figure we'll set it up. Well, we'll did he play the George Hunt? Or where not we Alex the Jones? From? But it was more right. just it was more just like it was a serendipity, if you will, of the fact that I was researching clips this week and he actually referenced that, and I was like, "Oh!" And he tied it to the larger agenda. He's like, "They're doing this." pandemic bullshit right now it's COVID 19 but that this goes back to 92 and rio and you know what the unsaid conference and they're what they're getting ready to tie the the COVID 19 pandemic 
off the heels of this, they're going to now transition us or segue us into the climate pandemic that they've been exacerbating and hyperbolizing for decades now. And so those three clips together will paint a narrative that a very ominous and portending narrative of what's coming for our future. If we don't find a way to nip this in the. I just got to show you this because I have to uh, put the George Washington whistleblow or I'm sorry, George Washington hunt was a whistleblower from Colorado. Uh, You're going to hear his story in a minute. Before I heard his story, I had heard a similar story. So I was, this is before, um, this, what I'm going to show you is before I discovered tragedy and hope by Carol Quigley. So this was like the first, uh, Anglo-American establishment artifact that I had found. And, uh, I got this company in, uh, was it North Carolina blue Ridge printing company. They had made reprints of this book. Now I do have a first edition of the book that is kind of like talked about here, but let me just show you. The Anglo-American Blueprint for a New World Order, a world federal union called the United States of Man, uh, originally entitled Union Now with Britain by Clarence K. Street, Mm. or Strait, 1941. He's a Rhodes Scholar. He's one of the people in the plan writing about the plan, and then they retitled it, right? But it was really originally called Union Now, and it's about merging the United States with Britain. So, sorry, I hit the microphone with that. So this is like a Xerox copy of the book, right? Union now with Britain. That's the whole point of the book written by a Rhodes scholar in the vein of Cecil Rhodes's goal of merging the United States with Great Britain once again. So now George Washington Hunt comes along. He's uh, like an entrepreneur, businessman. He's going to these meetings. He gets exposed to uh, the Agenda 21 proto-agenda, because it starts in 1972. And then by 1992, they had codified all this stuff. What we're going to see, the the clip I want to get to, is Edmund de Rothschild standing up at the meeting talking about this. I think it's like in the 80s. I thought it was before the 1992 meeting, because there was another meeting before that. Mm -hmm. I think he uh, mentions Maurice Strong, too, a couple of times. Yeah. Maurice Strong. Let me just go to this other. He's a Canadian billionaire. You know. Yeah, but he's he's mentioned in this book. I just oh, I just okay. saw a page with Momo Strong. I think it's here, right here. Momo Maurice Morris. He passed away recently. He was uh, Edmund de Rothschild's right hand man. Pretty much, yeah. Right, so That's exactly right. This, he's this like, book, it's a thick book, so it's hard to get here. Uh, key millennium documents. Remember, this is 1999. Key documents which support the restructuring and reinvention of the United Nations are We the Peoples, the role of the United Nations in the 21st century by the Secretary General, dated March. So this is the second edition of the book that was written in 1999. So this is like the 2000 edition. Uh, this document, let me make sure I read through. Yeah. This document basically sets the tone and provides the outline for what the secretary general wanted to accomplish at the millennium summit. Most people are aware that Kofi Annan from the time he was appointed in January, 1997 until recently had a special advisor 
Maurice Strong. Mr. Strong, a close friend of David Rockefeller, who is the originator of the Trilateral Commission and whose family started the Council on Foreign Relations, which is the American counterpart to the Royal Institute of International Affairs in London, basically performed the same duties which Colonel Mandel House performed for President Wilson. At one point, Wilson said something to the effect, if I said it, Colonel House meant to say it. If he said it, I said it. He is my alter egos. Colonel House was affiliated with J.P. Morgan, a British banking family operating in America. Mr. Strong also headed up the first conference on the environment in Stockholm, 1972, and the Rio Earth Summit, 1992. Right. He's a close friend of Gorbachev, who helped to sponsor the Earth Charter. It's about global stewardship, everybody. All right, public-private partnerships. It's a great reset. But this book is a good of general its grammar. Time. It's good general grammar on Strong. And some of the yeah, and um, Edmund David Rothschild. I think Corbett's probably got something on more strong. Um, oh yeah. Oh my God. We could LD while we play the intermission. Yeah, okay. if you could find some. Uh, it's uh, he definitely did. I mean, I'll just hit I mean, real, we, we've we uh, we've I'll hit gone over him here. so many times. Yeah, if you just type it into your Morris Strong, Benjamin Strong. I don't have. No, I have no. so many outlines Morris. with him as one of the central figures because you go. he was like a almost a new age sort of Gaia right, so type of dude. Very strange. Man. Now over here. All right. So this is the primary thought. These are things that influenced him or that uh, had uh, some influence over him. Right? <laughs> and these are things he helped to create and participate. Right. And influence over like the earth charter. Right. But over here, this left side, this is always the side of the model that you want to go to. Because here, if I watch the video that talked about Maurice Strong, it's over here. So global global warming. All right, look, first off, George Washington Hunt, the whistleblower. That's the first one. And that's global what warming or global governance. That's a film showing that global warming from the time of Al Gore was always about global governance. Life and times of Maurice Strong. Uh, Maurice Strong, May 7th, 2001. Maurice Strong is dead. Maurice Strong's unprecedented rise to power. Patrick Wood, technocracy rising. Caravan to Midnight. He talks all about Mara, uh, Maura Strong. Technology presentation by Patrick Wood from mm -hmm. 2011. He talks about that. Now, here's the 1972 UN pre-unsaid. Pre they didn't create unsaid. It was created out of this. 1972 United Nations Conference. And then Edmund de Rothschild, Agenda 21. Uh, it looks like the 1992 speech from George Washington Hunt. And that's going to be yeah, because his whole thing is he went to this conference and he has this letter which is of dubious origin, but he was able to preserve the speech and some sort of recording, right? Um, of Edmund at not the '92 Rio conference, which is fascinating. Right. And right. so now we've given good preference for what we're about to see during this. Oh, they also had the September like two days before September 11th. At some Earth, point, we're going to have Earth to talk. Charter Arc. Hope ceremony, the Ark of Hope ceremony, where they that that's a crazy occult like September there's a not, yeah. there's a little ritual going on there. An Ark ceremony on your own time, right? Yeah, <clears throat> check it out on your own time. How's Rockefeller connected to that one? At some um, point, we're gonna have to talk not now, but uh, about the Pilgrim Society, and we talk about the Anglo-American reestablishment because that oh, was sure. set up around early 20th century to to foment and Rockefeller. And I mean, there's, if you look now, Maurice Strong isn't a part of that, but we brought up that a couple of times tonight. So I'll make a note of that for next week, but we can go to the, all right. Now we present the intermission. Correcting. By the late 1960s, what had happened was that our modern idea of nature, the ecosystem and cybernetic theories about computers had fused together. 
Out of it had come an epic new vision of how to manage the world without the old corruption of power. It was a vision that seemed to be different from all past political attempts to change the world because it was based on the natural order. In 1967, a young writer called Richard Broutigan crystallised this. One morning, he walked through the streets of San Francisco, handing out a manifesto. It described a future world held in a balanced equilibrium by the fusion of nature and computers. It was called All Watched Over by Machines of Loving Grace. I like to think and the sooner the better of a cybernetic meadow where mammals and computers live together in mutually programming harmony like pure water touching clear sky. I like to think, right now please, of a cybernetic forest filled with pines and electronics where deer stole peacefully past computers as if they were flowers with spinning blossoms. I like to think, it has to be, of a cybernetic ecology where we are free of our labors and joined back to nature, returned to our mammal brothers and sisters, and all watched over by machines of loving grace. And then the world was hit by a new kind of crisis. It was a crisis that could not be solved by the old hierarchies of power or by national governments. As a result, the idea of the world as a self-regulating system was going to move to centre stage. By the early 1970s, it was clear that there was a global environmental crisis. But it was also clear that politicians had no idea how to deal with it. The crisis baffled them because of its horrifying complexity. It crossed across national boundaries and it involved the whole of nature. But then, a man emerged who said he knew how to save the world from this disaster. He was the cybernetic scientist who had built America's early warning system, Jay Forrester. By now, Forrester had become a powerful figure because he used his computers to build models of corporations and even whole cities as systems. Then, Forrester became involved with a think tank called the Club of Rome. They were a group of international businessmen and technocrats who were trying to find a way of solving the environmental crisis. At a meeting in Switzerland, Forrester told them that the only way to do this was to look at the world as an entire cybernetic system and he would build a model that would do just that in his computer. But our problem is the big problem, our problem is the hard one, and you're not dealing with the hard problem. And that hard problem was? The world. So, on the way back from Switzerland, I sketched out the first sketch of such a, a system which was this, this is a picture of that first sketch of the world in terms of population, resources, capital investment in industry, investment in agriculture, and the accumulated pollution in the world. All of these lines here are the feedback loops, the many feedback loops, and the, those feedback loops are spread all through the model 
as you can see by the various lines that are connecting things here. Back in America, Forrester set up a team of systems theorists. They built a computer model of the world. The team designed it as a giant cybernetic system in which all known data about population growth, industrial production, food and agriculture, natural resources and pollution were all fed in. The team then ran the model and what it predicted was an imminent global collapse. And when you ran that model, what did it show? Well, it showed that in all likelihood population would overshoot the carrying capacity of the world and then you would have a collapse of population back to some lower level and that the standard of living would decline through all that period in a serious way. The model based on current policies lead essentially to disaster, disease, crowding, wars, atomic bombs. It was pessimistic, wasn't it? Uh, well, I consider myself an, an optimist. The Club of Rome then held a press conference where they announced that the computer had predicted that the world was heading for a disaster. From a very large number of computer runs, making various assumptions, adopting various maxima and minima, there is in fact a general forecast of a breakdown of world society in the first decades of the next century. We regard the, the MIT report as an extraordinarily important initial pioneering effort. It's opening up a great new field of research, research in the world as a system. The Club of Rome published a book called The Limits to Growth, which laid out Forrester's world model and its frightening conclusions. It was a bestseller, and it transformed the debate about the environment. Because Forrester's model offered a way of conceptualising the problem that seemed to be scientific and therefore neutral. His vision of the world as one interconnected system seemed to transcend politics and the petty interests of nations. Then, in Stockholm in 1972, the United Nations held a conference for the first time ever on the world environmental crisis. And the international bureaucrats who ran it turned to this idea of the world as a system to provide the conceptual framework. The world needed to be managed in a new, non-political way to avoid the threat of global collapse. Now, this is the beginning of a debate. Nobody's decided precisely what the limits are. One can question whether it's 2010 where we all collapse or 2050 when we all collapse. But what is absolutely certain is you cannot run a planetary society on the total irresponsible sovereignty of 120 different governments. It simply can't be done. Forrester's apocalyptic predictions dominated the conference. But he also said that his computer model showed the only way of avoiding that disaster. World governments, he said, should give up on any idea of promoting continual growth. Instead, they should create a new kind of steady state for the world. Their job was now to hold the world system in a balanced equilibrium to avoid the collapse. Forrester was arguing for a fundamental shift in the role of politics and politicians. They should give up trying to change the world. And instead, the aim of politics should now be to manage the existing system. 
to hold it in equilibrium. The idea of growth is in contrast to the idea of equilibrium, where you're maintaining a constant or equilibrium level of population and enough industrial activity to sustain that population, which could lead to a much more desirable steady-state equilibrium, a man-made equilibrium of our choice, and live within the boundaries set by the world, by the earth, by the capacity of the earth. Which was a stable world. Which would be a stable, ongoing one. But large sections of the environmental movement were opposed to this idea, and they held protests outside the conference. They said that the idea of enforcing stability on the world was not neutral. That the limits to growth model was not being used to save the world, but to control it. Critics of Forrester's model pointed out that he had put in no feedback loops for politics and political change. The idea that in the future, human beings might adapt to the problems by changing their values and goals, and thus changing the whole system, was absent. Human beings were only present in the model as mechanistic nodes. It was a machine vision of the world, which could not imagine a future where human beings, unlike machines, would behave in ways that they hadn't before. That led to only two choices. You either preserve the existing system in a steady state, or face catastrophe. And this, the protesters argued, suited those who wanted to maintain the status quo those in power. This argument had happened before, back in the 1930s, at the very moment when Britain's imperial power was waning. In 1935, Arthur Tansley, who invented the idea of the ecosystem, accused one of the most powerful men in the British Empire of abusing ecological ideas. He was Field Marshal Smuts, who was the autocratic ruler of South Africa. Smuts used ecological ideas to develop a philosophy he called holism. Holism said that the whole world was one giant organic system in which everything had its natural place. So long as everyone stayed in their proper place, this global system would be stable. Smuts had a vision of a new global world order where artificial distinctions, like nations, would disappear. And his model for this world system was the British Empire. And it would be managed by the white European races, because that was their natural place in the whole. General Smuts actually coined the word holism. Every human being would have its place within society. Every animal would have its place in the environment, and every uh, other species, grass, grasshoppers, you name it, would have their place in the, in the environment, struggling toward fulfilling their wholeness in the greater whole. It is an order of nature and an order of society which celebrates equilibrium. It's a static world. And holism became a tool to make the British Empire more stable. The idea that ecosystem theories, uh, theories of equilibrium, etc., that these are neutral is bogus. 
they are highly politically charged. What Smuts was doing showed how easily scientific ideas about nature and natural equilibrium could be used by those in power to maintain the status quo. Tansley hated this, and he publicly accused Smuts of what he called the abuse of vegetational concepts. Now, 40 years later, the protesters in Stockholm were accusing Forrester of doing the same. The real role of the environmental movement, they said, was not to hold the world stable, but to struggle to change it. Because it was the greed of the Western elites that was causing the environmental crisis. The movement, they claimed, was being hijacked by right-wing think tanks and Cold War technocrats who were using the balance of nature as a political trick. The trick is, is claiming that you have something as nature. And this nature, in nature, you have this uh, balance. And we need, as a society, have the same balance. And then it becomes unquestionable because you cannot change nature. And thus you cannot change society because society should be the same as nature. So it's a sort of an intellectual trick. They needed this concept of the balanced nature to protect the elite and to protect the system. But the protests were in vain because Forrester's cybernetic vision of the world as one interconnected system now began to penetrate deep into the public imagination. What began to rise up in the 1970s was the idea that we, and everything else on the planet, are connected together in complex webs and networks. Out of that were going to come epic visions of connectivity, like the Gaia theory, and utopian ideas about the World Wide Web and the global economic system. Underlying this was a profound shift. What was beginning to disappear was the Enlightenment idea that human beings are separate from the rest of nature and masters of their own destiny. Instead, we began to see ourselves as components, cogs in a system, and our duty was to help that system maintain its natural balance. It's quite clear that the entire Earth has to be treated as a spaceship, run as a spaceship, planned as a spaceship. We're all part of the web of life, and the sooner man fully appreciates this, the better. This image, our home, our Earth, one people in one world. What we've really got to do is manage the entire planet as a single system. Well, ecology is a balance of nature. It's the relationship between me and uh, plants and animals and the world in general. Now the problem is totally global, which is going to mean running the entire planet as a single system. Without upsetting the natural balances that are already there. Ecology, yes. That's what I'm talking about. What may... testing for different strains of coronavirus, we're going to be locked down for the rest of our existence. Mm. I am, uh, you know, I had cancer. My oncologist is a specialist in bone cancer. And he, you know, every oncologist who deals with bone cancer identifies hundreds of coronaviruses inside of our bones. They've created a problem that can never actually be solved. So they can justify whatever it is they want to do. What incredible truth. Just decide you don't want your kids to die. 
Just decide you're sick of tyrants. Just decide you don't like Fauci. Just decide that reality's happening and that your only hope is getting with the program, the human program, God's program. And you're going to see more and more people from the power structure, and believe it, she's part of it, coming out against this because people are now figuring out, hey, if we don't stop this, we're all dead. Even if you don't believe in God, this system they're rolling out is a societal collapse where 90% of the public are dead within eight years. I'm not saying they're going to get away with this. I'm not saying it's going to get that bad. But the official UN global plan going back to Rio de Janeiro in 1992 is a 90% world reduction by the year 2030. And you notice how many years did I tell you? Starting in 2020, they're set to launch Agenda 21 that within 10 years carries it out. And they executed it. So you heard what she just said. It's the truth. It's a problem that never ends. It's a problem that takes over your society. It's a, pro it's a problem designed to put you on a vaccine passport that's a carbon passport that is a tracking system for a social credit score in their own admissions now officially rolling out. What you see on Dr. Fauci, this is what people say to me, that he doesn't represent science to them. He represents Joseph Mengele, Dr. Joseph Mengele, uh, the, doc the Nazi doctor who did experiments on Jews during the Second World War and in the concentration camps. Today is May 1st, 1992. The subject of this video message is the UNCED Earth Summit, the meeting which is to begin on June 1st, 1992 in Rio de Janeiro. The acronym UNCED stands for the United Nations Committee for Environment and Development. It is pronounced unsaid and perhaps indicating the secret agenda of this meeting. This is the logo of the Earth Summit. This is not a dove in their Earth Summit logo. It is a hand. And the hand is holding the world with a slogan in our hands alongside of it. In whose hands? Who is the we in this motto? The hands of the world order. These elitists convened this unsaid meeting in the first place and for a bad purpose. This video will show strong evidence that the persons running the unsaid Earth Summit are actually setting a net to place the power over the Earth and its peoples into their hands. Brave, bold deeds by the citizenry are needed quickly. Once a government signs their treaties, their citizens are de jure in the hands of the world order. There's that motto again, in our hands. Whose hands? The same world order families that planned World War I and World War II, that tricked the third world countries to borrow funds and rack up enormous debts. The same world order that stole much of the money borrowed by Africans and other nations and hid it in Geneva banks. They are the persons who financed Hitler, manufactured the Holocaust, and managed to blame the terrible deeds on the German people. They can be credited with manipulating famines in Ethiopia and elsewhere and purposely creating war and debt to bring societies into their control. The world order crowd are not a nice group of people. My name is George Hunt. 
I'm speaking to you from a video studio in Boulder, Colorado. I have attended some of the meetings and caucuses leading to the Unsaid Earth Summit. I am a business consultant and a college teacher in small business management. I own an environment company too and am very familiar with the environment hypocrisy that the world order crowd has taken over the environment movement. I am aware of their plans. Please pardon me as I read my script. I'm not a professional actor and my memory will not serve me with the things that I want to say. The world environment movement will soon be in the hands of the world order if you and others do not respond with action after you view this videotape. Action may constitute showing this to five others. It may constitute showing it to a judge down the street or a city councilman who you know in your town. Pray for guidance, hoping that something good might come of your actions. Somebody is going to set the spark off. I really feel that it is not too late. When I served as an official host at a key environment meeting in Denver, Colorado in 1987, I was surprised to see David Rockefeller, Edmund de Rothschild, Secretary of State Baker, then Secretary of the Treasury, Maurice Strong, Waste Company Chairman and EPA Administrator William Ruckelshaus, UN Secretary General in Geneva, McNeil, and various World Bank and IMF officials there. What were the rich elite and bankers doing at an Environment Congress? Listen carefully. I will now attempt to show you how their enactments will work against you. Trust and foundation income is the cornerstone of the world order. They command politicians to do their bidding. And presidents, judges, and legislators lick their boots. Their swollen egos and bellies are never satisfied and their lust for more is insatiable. Now world power and authority is in their grasp. Are we going to give it to them without a confrontation? Or, like they did to the Germans, will they blame the environment holocaust on you and get away with it? What is the World Summit meeting and who is behind it? The UNSAID World Summit, that's U-N-C-E-D, World Summit, is a key event in a series of environment meetings which have occurred since 1972. Maurice Strong, a UN official and an employee of the Rockefeller and Rothschild Trusts and Projects, convened the first Congress in Stockholm, Sweden in 1972. Twenty years later, Maurice Strong is the Secretary General and convener of UNSAID. In the 1970s and 1980s, numerous conferences created political action decrees, eventually to lead to the UNSAID Earth Summit. I attended two meetings in Colorado in 1987 and 1991. Friends attended others in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Des Moines. Here is a paper from the Des Moines meeting where Maury Strong was in charge. Representative Gephardt's telephone number appears on the meeting documents. Here are some phrases from the document of the Secretariat for World Order which were distributed at the Des Moines Unsaid meeting. We are the living sponsors of the great Cecil Rhodes will of 1877 in which Rhodes devoted his fortune to the extension of British rule throughout the world 
and colonization by British subjects of the entire continent of Africa, the Holy Land, the Valley of the Euphrates, the islands of Cyprus and Candia, the whole of South America, the islands of the Pacific not heretofore possessed by Great Britain, the whole of the Malay archipelago, the seaboard of China and Japan, the ultimate recovery of the United States of America as an integral part of the British Empire. We stand with Lord Milner's credo. We too are British race patriots, and our patriotism is the speech, the traditions, the tr principles, the aspirations of the British race. Do you fear to take this stand at the very last moment when this purpose can be realized? Do you not see that failure now is to be pulled down by the billions of Lilliputians of lesser race who care little or nothing for the Anglo-Saxon system? Copies of this document are distributed to you with this videotape. At the Fourth World Congress meeting in 1987, some other bad remarks about common people were made. I'm going to play them for you now. For instance, here is David Lang, a Montreal international investment banker, one of their PAC, decreeing that these environment and economic activities of the world order not be shared with the public. He calls us cannon fodder. Listen to this. I suggest, therefore, that this be sold not through a democratic process. That would take too long and devour far too much of the funds to educate the cannon fodder, unfortunately, which populates the earth. We have to take almost an elitist program that we can see beyond our swollen bellies and look to the future in time frames and in results which are not easily understood or which can be, with intellectual honesty, be reduced down to some kind of simplistic definition. Does it make you feel uncomfortable that the arrogant rich are close to complete rule over the United States, Canada, and other countries? Here's more. The decrees leading to the Earth Summit were dictated without debate or opportunity for dissent. The treaties the World Order once signed at unsaid will supersede national laws. Yet I saw the major decrees at the Fourth World Congress dictated into existence by Edmund de Rothschild. You can hear it too. Listen to him dictate. Rothschild got these major decrees into the United Nations resolutions without debate or challenge. But perhaps this conference might like to think more about the Marshall Plan which had been mooted and put forward very tentatively at the uh, Denver conference. And perhaps this might be the keynote of what you have heard today and what perhaps you might like in some perhaps amended form to have put forward. At this conference, recognizing the needs to protect our ecological and environmental heritage within the concept of the World Wilderness Congress World Wildlife Fund and all other bodies involved in the preservation of life on our planet asked the Prime Minister of Norway, Right Honourable the Gro Harlem Brutland, as one of the world's leaders of a greatly respected community to be the promoter of this International Conservation Bank. By her Brutland report, which has been widely circulated to world leaders, she could follow up this report 
with the recommendations to promote a second Marshall Plan, the third World Debt Relief and Finance for a Stable Development. Nobody at that caucus mentioned a second World Marshall Plan or a new currency system to finance a stable development. The World Conservation Bank had not been thoroughly discussed at all. I was denied the opportunity to openly challenge Rothschild's remarks at the caucus by the World Conservation Bank President and Meeting Chairman I. Michael Sweetman. In world politics, the names of first world, second world, third world, and fourth world are used to describe blocks of political entities. The first world is the capitalist countries of Europe and North America. They are industrial and are, therefore, the world's biggest polluters. The second world is the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc countries. Do you remember Rothschild referring to a second world Marshall Plan? He was speaking of the Soviet bloc countries, not a second Marshall Plan. He was speaking of the Soviet bloc countries and that they will be rescued by first world money. Europe was granted huge sums of money by the Marshall Plan in 1949, and the second world will receive billions of North American money in this repeat performance. And guess what banking family will act as the main money changers for the Russian ruble? possibly absconding with billions, the Rothschild Group, of course. Rothschild made these remarks back in 1987, two years before the Berlin Wall was torn down. He was bragging to us that he knew the Soviet regime would collapse. Here are some April 1992 news articles about the progress of Rothschild's Second World Marshall Plan. They come from the New York Times, and the world order is right on time. Here is a April 15, 1992, New York Times headline. $44 billion needed to aid ex-Soviets in 1992, IMF says. It's needed for a shift to the free market. Most of the help would finance imports of food and spare parts for 15 republics. My response to that is, sure. Another article in the International edition of the New York Times, Wednesday, April 29, 1992, had this to say about Rothschild's Marshall Plan. Although there has been much talk about building a new political order in the post-Cold War world, the events here in the last few days make clear that a new economic order is also rapidly emerging. Washington cannot bankroll a Marshall Plan for the former Soviet republics because the task is so enormous and because the American economy is debt-ridden and no longer so dominant. That is why Washington has asked the IMF to run the rescue operations which are expected to cost $44 billion this year. Well, Rothschild really called it, didn't he? Soon after these remarks were made, the Rothschilds reopened the Rothschild Bank in Frankfurt, Germany after 50 years of closure. They are now conveniently available to stabilize the Russian ruble with money from the West. Question. Do we really want to send North American money abroad so the Rothschilds can make multi-billion dollar windfalls on the currency trades?
Let's talk about the third world now. The third world are those countries who have emerged since World War II. Young and easily fooled, the World Bank under Robert S. McNamara played bad tricks on them, spiriting billions of loan dollars back to Swiss bank accounts through fictitious African addresses. They now owe $1.5 trillion to the world banking system with nothing to show for it except poverty and cruel loan collections. Maurice Strong has suggested an ominous scenario at the unsaid meeting which could break out if his words are to, believed, to be believed. He says in this article in West Magazine that a fight may erupt between the first world polluters and the third world poor. Here is how he describes it. Each year, he explains as background to the telling of his novel's plot, the World Economic Forum convenes in Davos, Switzerland. Over a thousand CEOs, prime ministers, finance ministers, and leading academics gather in February to attend meetings and set economic agendas for the year ahead. With this as a setting, Maurice Strong then says, what if a small group of these world leaders were to conclude that the principal risk to the earth comes from the actions of the rich countries? And if the world is to survive, those rich countries would have to sign an agreement reducing their impact on the environment. Will they do it? He's really talking about the unsaid meeting. And Strong, driving as I take notes, looks at me. Then his eyes go back to Highway 17 on the way from Alamosa, Colorado to his New Age ranch in Crestone, Colorado. He says, the man who founded the United Nations Environment Program and who wrote parts of the Brundtland Report and who in 1992 will try to get the world's leaders meeting in Brazil to sign just such an agreement savors the questions hanging in the air. Will they do it? Will the rich countries agree to reduce their impact on the environment? Will they agree to save the earth? Strong resumes his story. The group's conclusion is no. The rich countries won't do it. They won't change. So, in order to save the planet, the group decides, isn't the only hope for the planet that the industrialized civilizations collapse? Isn't it our responsibility to bring this about? This group of world leaders, he continues, form a secret society to bring about an economic collapse. It's February. They're all at Davos. These aren't terrorists. They're world leaders. They have positioned themselves in the world's commodity and stock markets. They've engineered using their access to stock exchanges and computers and gold supplies a panic. Then they prevent the world stock market from closing. They jam the gears. They hire mercenaries who hold the rest of the world leaders at Davos as hostages. The markets can't close. The rich countries and Strong makes a slight motion with his fingers as if he were flicking a cigarette butt out the window. I sit there spellbound. This is not any storyteller talking. This is Maurice Strong. He knows these world leaders. He is, in fact, co-chairman of the Council of the World Economic Forum. He sits at the fulcrum of power. He is in a position to do it. I probably shouldn't be saying things like this, he says. Highway 17 cuts straight across the desert, heading out of the land of dreams. 
When the truth is finally told, Maurice Strong fears the world will come to this. No secret societies, no hostage takings at Davos, but it will come to the same conclusion. The global economy, sapped by credit and debt loads and environmental disasters, will simply come unstuck. And nothing, not even the inspiration of the Baca, can save humankind from itself. They see the struggles and problems at the Baca as reflections of the problems assaulting the planet. They fear the Baca will be, at best, an oasis in the desert of the future, and at worst, a place where dreams die. Even if Strong is fictionalizing and imagining, why would he even suggest these things? The point remains, something important is going to happen at the Unsaid Earth Summit. The Fourth World. No one really talks about the Fourth World, do they? That's because we haven't seen the Fourth World come about. The Fourth World came up in the title of the Congress I attended. It was called the Fourth World Wilderness Congress. Maurice Strong said it was called the Fourth World because it was the fourth one of these environment congresses that Edmund de Rothschild had created. I learned later that the world order refers to the coming one world government as the Fourth World. World controlled by the world order where there is no more first, second, and third world. Just a boundaryless planet which is called the Fourth World Wilderness. Yogis and shamans refer to it as the fourth world wilderness, the lostness of the mind. The lostness of the mind refers to the collective consciousness. Persons will be coerced through lies, drugs, fear and pain to surrender themselves, their egos, to the collective consciousness. The fourth world will be a return to a society much like the Caesars or Babylon or the Fourth Reich within the fictionalized societies described in Huxley's Brave New World and Brave New World Revisited and Orwell's classic 1984. We will flourish with only a whimper. The world order wants to create a new society out of the ashes of chaos, a collectivist fourth world complete with a collectivist religion, collectivist finance, and unchecked world national socialism. The world order will offer Gaia, Mother Earth, to the masses as the Big Brother image to worship in the fourth world. Maurice Strong has already set up a 140,000 acre project in Crestone, Colorado to develop this Earth religion system. Projects are funded by the Rockefeller Fund, among other foundations. The Earth Summit will link environment with industry. The lords of the unsaid conference will be the masters of who gets what and when if we don't do something about it quickly. Who leads the environment movement? The convener of the summit, Maurice Strong, identifies Baron Edmund de Rothschild as the creator of the environment movement. Here are his own words describing Rothschild as the positive synthesis of environment on the one hand and growth and development on the other. Listen carefully as Maurice Strong introduces Baron de Rothschild. So there Boom. is no better person. He epitomizes in his own life that positive synthesis between environment, conservation on the one hand, and economics on the other. 
and I'm just delighted to have this opportunity of uh, introducing to you Edmund de Rothschild. Maurice, thank you very much indeed for all that you've said, uh, and uh, I would ask the audience to take with a slight grain of salt all that he has said about me. Rothschild is the positive synthesis of environment on the one hand, that's the thesis, and growth and development on the other, that's the antithesis. He very clearly admits that the Rothschild combination, including the Rockefellers and most world capitalists, aim to control the environment and development movement as the synthesis. Power will converge into their hands through the Rio Conference. The, synth the synthesis, the head of the power, merges into the House of Rothschild. Another speaker at the Fourth World Conference was David Rockefeller, world energy capitalist and banker. He was named Mr. Growth and Development at the meeting. His counterpart, William Ruckelshaus, organizer of the EPA and creator of its laws under Presidents Ford and Reagan, was dubbed Mr. Environment. Here is a picture of the chuckling antagonist at the meeting. Mr. Environment Ruckelshaus is the CEO and chairman of the board for BFI, Browning Ferris Industries, one of the largest private environment companies in the world. The hypocrisy is that Ruckelshaus, as EPA chief, made the very laws by which his waste company, BFI, is becoming rich. Hypocrisy number two is that Ruckelshaus and Maurice Strong were key investors in American water development, a company which tried to circumvent Colorado water laws and gain control of one of the largest underground reservoirs of water in the world. Here's an excerpt from a video interview where I explain what they did. And I did a survey of the people down in the San Luis Valley, and I sent letters out to these farmers last December, and I said, what will happen if Morris Strong and William Ruckelshaus and others pull water, 200,000 acre feet of water, out of the San Luis Valley? Without one hesitation, it was unanimous that their, their land will turn into a wasteland. It'll turn into a desert. So here we have people at an environment congress that are then waltzing 200 miles south of Estes Park down in the San Luis Valley of Colorado that want to suck the, the aquifers dry and turn it into a desert. The, the hypocrisy is so deep. They failed in their attempt because the people learned what they were doing and defeated them. Here is a newspaper article that shows their defeat. I hope we can do it again around the unsaid meeting. Let's hear a little more from Maurice Strong and Edmund de Rothschild and lock in on what kind of people are running the unsaid summit meeting. Here's the part where Rothschild says that projects launched to save the environment will be inoperative. He says it quickly, but he says inoperative. That is, they will not work. And listen to Rothschild snidely suggest that we build dry ice machines and ship up the dry ice to the North and South Poles to keep them from melting. Perhaps it could be possible to utilize CO2, carbon dioxide, one of its main causes, to manufacture dry ice to maintain the polar caps 
and the actual temperature of the ice there and maintain their present temperature. Innovative and modern technology, world waste material collected and perhaps burnt in volcanic areas or buried so deep in the earth in the wilderness desert areas of the mid-Sahara where nobody goes or in the empty quarter in Arabia or the Gobi Desert but all these ideas and visions some far-fetched and above all the continuation of this Congress needs money I will play the full speech after this video and you will hear him say that the world order has these problems its indigenous people and its wildlife people and wild animals are problems what kind of madness are these world order Caesars afflicted with I hope I have given you enough information to expose the designs of the world order crowd they hope to run the lives of people for generations to come they are the same crowd who created a Hitler arranged the assassination of Lincoln and Kennedy and have indicated elsewhere that they want to drastically reduce the population of the world to make environment and development more sustainable please quickly carry the truth to others this video has photocopy exhibits accompanying it too and you can make unaltered copies of this videotape as much as you please large quantities can be ordered at eight dollars a piece including photocopied materials plus postage until July 4th 1992 send your orders and checks to this address if you want to talk I will call you collect so send me your phone number the light of freedom is going out throughout the world you know who the culprits are now it may not be too late to educate key people who can stop them and you watching this videotape are one of the sparks that may ignite the countryside into flames of indignation against these people perhaps society still has some leaders that won't let us down goodbye and God bless you so let's get the proceedings running now and we will uh, see how we go thank you Mr. Morris Strong who most of you already know Thank you very much, and you've already heard perhaps too much from me, so I think this is, we're reaching the point at which we want to involve you, all of you, in the next step of this conference, which is really to come to grips with some of the principal action-oriented issues, and one of the most important initiatives that is open here for your consideration is that of the conservation banking program. Uh, as we mentioned this morning, we have as our chairman, fortunately, the person who really is the source of this very uh, significant uh, concept. Uh, he uh, he uh, uh, was, is one of the trustees of the International Wilderness Foundation, which sponsored this meeting. He, has, he was at the first of these congresses. So his conversion to the relationship between conservation and economic development uh, has been a, a, a pioneering one his work on many dams he's you know I used to be in the hydroelectric power part of the energy business myself uh, and uh, the many of the energy developments that we've seen 
have come from his early anticipation of our energy needs and his early work in supporting pioneering initiatives to deal with these needs. So there is no better person. He epitomizes in his own life that positive synthesis between environment, conservation on the one hand, and economics on the other. And I'm just delighted to have this opportunity of uh, introducing to you Edmund de Rothschild. Morris, thank you very much indeed for all that you've said. Uh, and uh, I would ask the audience to take with a slight grain of salt all that he has said about me. And I want to start there a little bit of my talk to you on a somewhat different vein. You see, in order to further the ideals of the world wilderness concept and to prevent the concept and this concept just to remain an ideal, it is of paramount importance to find ways and means of finding and promoting its rationale. There are these ways and means of putting this concept into effect and overcoming or minimizing some of the problems set out by the speakers in this Congress, such as pollution, prevention of acid rain, waste disposal. There are alternative methods and a harmless alternative methods for energy and they're available. Alternative uses of water resources not involving vast inundations of land or displacing humans and its indigent wildlife, harnessing wave energy, solar energy, wind power, just to mention a few. To overcome the chilling doom-laden prognostications of Dr. Irving Mincer's greenhouse effect. Perhaps it could be possible to utilize CO2, carbon dioxide, one of its main causes, to manufacture dry ice to maintain the polar caps and the actual temperature of the ice there and maintain their present temperature. Innovative and modern technology, world waste material, collected and perhaps burnt in volcanic areas or buried so deep in the earth in the wilderness desert areas of the mid-Sahara where nobody goes or in the empty quarter in Arabia or the Gobi Desert but all these ideas and visions some far-fetched and above all the continuation of this Congress needs money. A start has been made by the thoughts and care of one man. Michael Sweetman, his ideas have had lip service paid to them by some of our speakers here during the Ken Denver conference. The meetings now of the new concept of an international conservative banking, conservation banking program involves all sectors of the human community governmental and intergovernmental agencies, the public and private agencies, large charitable foundations, as well as ordinary individuals worldwide. Michael Sweetman has written the foreword to this concept. Its final form will no doubt be altered, watered down, or widened. But this convention must put forward this charter and with the collective wisdom available here today, 
the Charter can be enhanced, embracing those who have given their thoughts in the Denver Public Forum. By thinking forward as to how to reach out to the public at large, to every corporate entity throughout the world, to put aside, hopefully tax-free, a part of their profits to fund our ecological and environmental protection. Ladies and gentlemen, every country has its own problems, its indigenous peoples and its wildlife. This International Conservation Bank must know no frontiers, no boundaries. Its funds must be used constructively and not, and not to be challenged into greedy hands or weapons of destruction. I hesitate to link this bank with world wilderness, but I would like to link it with our survival as a human race. This, our generation, must not be cursed by our descendants, if we have any, as to the greatest destructors and squanderers of the world's resources. That great philosopher and cleric, Payard de Chardin, wrote, and I quote, Man can harness the winds, the waves, and the tides, but when he can harness the energy of love, then for the second time in the history of the world, man will have discovered fire. Michael Sweetman. Michael Sweetman, your love for the world wilderness concept has given you the necessary fire in your belly to produce the germ of the future needs of this concept. And I have great pleasure in asking you to put it forward. Hey, can we pause for a second? <clears throat> it's over. We're done. Yeah. I've seen that clip so many times, but that was the first time I caught him talking about Teilhard de Chardin. I was just going to say end. that, dude. He's a Jesuit that came up with the concept of the new sphere oh, and this God. collective global consciousness. Give me a break, dude. He's... All right. So you got this book. Fucking A. That man. book <clears throat> and that book all explained in that clip from 30 years ago. 30 years ago you mentioned just saying, the world economic forum in there just saying right you guys you know klaus schwab now he, world he mentions forum. the fourth world what about public the fourth private industrial partnerships revolution? public private yeah fourth world fourth industrial revolution i feel like if Some this was a game there. show would be winning but unfortunately it's not a game show it's not a game show i want to win though if it is a game show not but if we get the combination right we can crack the code and break people's spell because they're under the spell of these guys that's what we're noticing right yeah. there's a bunch of people out there and they're just like on autopilot they buy into the great reset and they don't know about eugenics and gene therapy and all this other stuff that's been Rich, going it's on even worse than that i know it, it's worse and than all that. and all watch over machines this whole place is about to get a whole lot less crowded and i don't like that yeah. That's right. Yeah. I'm not looking for that, but these well, people are looking for that, and we maybe should be looking for them. Mari yeah. Strong's he's gone though, you know, so he's yeah. left. What's what's he's, disturbing to me is those, like, sort of that post hippie crowd that's, um, uh, protesting the Club of Rome, right, and mm -hmm. the the meetings. All of those now, you think about all those young progressives, they're 100 on board. 
Like they, they don't realize they did an ideological sort of bait and switch with the sort of young progressive Jay movement. Forrester knew and, that though. Like yeah, th- they're yeah, living up to the his programming. Yeah. They couldn't program freedom. So they dumped people down to Jay Forrester's model. <laughs> yeah, right. I said it. That's no, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. So game theory, motherfuckers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, go, you could suck my Norbert Wiener. How about that one? Those <laughs> cybernetics put down for you. All right. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know that they hey might, man, might have like a bell shape a. to it, like we're a Nazi bell a. shape to that yeah. wiener. Don't be saying. going getting all too hard over that comment. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, Jeez, there's sensitive. A, the jizz lane trial <clears throat> well, going on right now. So just, well, it's, uh, it's a sticky thoroughfare. It's a sticky wicket they're making out there. So yeah. Who's got the Dershowitz and I think I have them in week three that he'll get brought up. It'd be interesting to see. I don't Gislaine. know. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Giz- Who's doing the best Lane. coverage of the Jizz Lane interception? Who just did an interview with someone who's been covering that? I forget his name. LD, do you know? You said, I think. Yeah, I haven't tuned right. into any of the real co- the real coverage. Uh, it's what I've seen on Twitter. Nick Nick Bryant and then the and Addy ads. Um, they've been they've been putting out a lot of good stuff. Um, I could share there. Let me. Let me look here. We don't have to show anything, but I do have global sex trafficking in the Ghislaine Maxwell trial under tech. So this is a subsection under technology, economics, and politics. See what I got here. So while while she's under oath, can can we find out how like she gets the FBI to cover up for her and her people above her? There's a funny on Infowars. Speaking of which, there this is like everyone focuses on Epstein, but Ghislaine's the real. Real so pinnacle. apparently the judge sealed all case details because they're too impure and sensational. It's found out of that. Obviously, you have James Comey's daughter, the prosecutor. <laughs> Media is barred from covering the proceedings. And uh, Joe Biden nominates the judge to serve in the Philippines. We mentioned James Comey yeah. earlier in the show. Didn't do that on purpose, but he was on the like HSBC got caught for drug money. I know because I interviewed a HSBC whistleblower named John Cruz. It should still be on my YouTube page someplace. And uh, so HSBC, Hong Kong, Shanghai Banking Corporation, which got its money traditionally from opium in China. uh, Today, money laundering, Mexican cartels. So uh, Justice Department's like, hey, we got to keep an eye on these guys. So they put Jim Comey on the board. And then HSBC gives uh, Hillary Clinton $100 million because they're not politically persuaded at all they're not like friends with the rothschilds who are hillary's like best friend lynn forrester to rothschild they're very tight xoxo miss you much XOXO, check out, XO, yeah very check tight. out the wikileaks just just go to wikileaks and search lynn de rothschild or just rothschild you find like yeah. the references yeah there you go let's do it live let's do it live this this is uh if the wikileaks is still there searches still work we're gonna find several missives do it real quick. See. Here we go. WikiLeaks.org. I was typing in. So someone real quick, uh, shout out to Michael. Um, you're on Facebook. Watch us on Facebook. Send him some he, X's and O's. Yeah, uh, Kristen T. Harris, he says on Twitter, is someone who's also covering uh in depth and great detail the Gislaine Maxwell trial. Okay, so uh how do you spell how how do we spell Lynn? Is it just L Y N? Just do Rothschild. There's only a couple references in the WikiLeaks. I already searched some years ago. Oh, there's only 1,300 
results for that. So, um, Joseph E. Roch meeting with managing the, director Rothschild Bank. The title of the email is, uh, is it's like Miss You plus Rothschild. This exact for actually, hold on. Oh, yeah. All go all these words. And maybe if we, all right, so we can find it. We'll play a clip and we'll find the exact thing. But it will be in the Hillary Clinton leaks. I got it. All right, go. Go. Said that. <laughs> Come on, see, read it. <laughs> Tony's gonna have to read uh, it. Miss you from Hillary Clinton to Lynn Forrester de Rothschild, unclassified U.S. De- uh, Department of State case. Blah blah blah. So let's see here, Lynn. <laughs> I would love to see you, but your days overlap with Karzai's visit to oh my god. We got the Afghan opium <laughs> warlord coming to town. You want to hang out? I'll translate. I'll translate. Oh shit. <laughs> Go ahead. Karzai's visit. So I have to get that settled before I can confirm a time. But let's make it happen. So I'm copying copying Lona and Huma so we can start planning. Abedin. That's Huma. Much love H. Huma I mean, the Vacuma Abedin. Huma Abedin. So let's see. Hi, Hillary. I am back from the unpredictable and exciting elections in Britain. Congratulations on all the good things you are doing at state. You have so many fans from Manmohan Singh, who smiled broadly when he talked about you, to those women who never stopped dreaming. This is a joke, right? I would love to catch up. I have to be in D.C. from the 12th to the 15th of May in case you have any time to sneak away for a few minutes. I understand it may not be possible, but I thought I would check. At any event, I remain your loyal, adoring pal. <laughs> XOXOX. <laughs> Boom. Oh, What's geez. the code word for ketchup? She would like to catch up. I don't know yeah. what that means. Um, so I don't know. Pizza and ketchup. And don't know. Damn. Don't know. And then uh, that's crazy. what is uh, Lynn Forrester to Rothschild's relationship to David Brock, Aliphantus, and Media Matters? Have they ever done fundraisers at their houses for her? And like, you know, like, or she's done fundraisers at at fundraisers at their houses for them. Right. A lot of of connections there between these people. This is a finite planet. There's only so many people who want to do this evil plan of taking away everyone's freedom forever via this plan. I'm just saying. Just saying. It's there. By the way, Lynn Forrester to Rothschild's an American businesswoman who married into the family. They did that a lot, actually. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, when they spread out to the five houses of Roth, five houses of Rothschild, she's got connections. Just like, but like they, they Lane married had in the, the connections to the they, royal family. Right. Epstein didn't have those connections. Jislane's dad was a Israeli spy who they killed. Right. She, she's there. That's right. And who's who did all the videotapes? Like uh, Les Waxner gives an eighty million dollar mansion. Epstein. What as a front? to collect blackmail on people the whole place is wired up where does it all go does it go to tel aviv does it go to london does it where's that going where's all that info all those people who got compromised who are still compromised today probably hold powerful pieces of office in the political spectrum in mi6 for sure i'm sure the cia is involved in some where one ends the other begins they they're they're all interconnected it's it's uh there's been a deal everyone's in on it except america you guys get that yet No, they're too busy. They're too busy believing CO2 is the cause of global warming. Therefore, sacrifice yourself to Gaia. Something like that's a strange. Even James Lovelock's non sequitur. But 
non sequitur nonetheless. <laughs> non sequitur. It's I mean this it's crazy. It's literally insane. But at this point, you know, when you have an incestuous mixture of families from the ninth level of hell, then if there's even levels to hell, metaphorically speaking. I think at the sixth level of hell, uh, the Sassoon, David Abdul Sassoon, the opium magnate from Baghdad, married into the Rothschild family and moved to Britain and became a uh, part of the uh, order, the order over there. His intermarriages are actually very coincidence important. that America has been in Iraq and Afghanistan for the past 20 years, oh, though. Yeah. yeah. It's just a coincidence. We're not serving another agenda that we got sucked into. Anyway, Cecil Rhodes. That was the point. And Afghanistan. That's two words, Cecil Rhodes. All mm. right. So, what other clips do we have to cover during this episode? Uh, it's free for all. Any? There's nothing that stands out in particular. All um, right. So, free for all. I'm going to plug Town Hall on Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday at seven o'clock right. p.m. Eastern time. We'll cover a lot of what we missed on the show card. There was an American Heart Association study. Aha. Uh-huh. Detailed the um American the damage that's causing aha uh-huh. yes there you uh-huh. go thank yes. you that's details the damage being done to the heart by the vaccine that's very important didn't quite get on the record tonight and then there's also the Pfizer cover up with their clinical trials um within the first month it causing a much greater amount of death than has been reported uh mask mandates oh my god so you're telling us the criminals might be lying to us. Oh, they're lying. The Australia situation, just have to say this, fucking crazy. Like, it's getting crazier and crazier. So uh, this is just the section or subsection. Oh, I, I didn't put my... So here's here's the the breakdown. Oceania has <laughs> always been at war with Eurasia, though, Tony. <laughs> That's what Australia is. It's Oceania, right? Pretty sure. Yeah. Well, they are uh, adopting the old school British model now. So bottoms anyway. up. They, yeah, they sure seriously are. It's crazy. So there's a number of um, situations there, obviously Germany, New Zealand, but Australia had a couple very uh, disturbing videos emerge about what's going on in some of those internment camps there. So it's uh, definitely <laughs> hot babe. People escape, they put them back. Yeah, that's the, yeah, some people Nazis. escape Good and Nazis. there's... Yeah, just some of the pictures inside. It's just it really is something out of a, a mixture of Orwell and Kafka. Uh, plus a little Stanford prison experiment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just a little bit. So there's um, you take the students, you make some of them guards and some of them prisoners and sit back and watch. Greg Reese got <laughs> censored and there is this um, German doctor. It's hard to verify his claims, but it was interesting and he was murdered. Um, I don't know. Or at least there's a homicide involved. Yeah, there's uh, more to be learned about that situation. Yeah, yeah I posted that. In the graphene hydroxide, but it's tough. It's a tough, but it's still it's something to be aware of. Something and just going on. Yeah, so I have that in here. Smallpox. John Bound did a video on that. We showed a lot of that in the past week. And then, um, by the way, I think glutathione was the thing that can get that stuff out of your body. Yeah, glutathione. If it, is- if it if it gets in your body, I don't know. I'm not saying it does, but if it does, there's like the other way to. Glutathione, your master antioxidant in the body. Chelate it. Chelate. Chelate. So it's produced NAC helps to and vitamin C together help to produce yeah. it naturally in the body. Yeah. Other than that, um, Greg Reese had a which we already covered this, the ongoing cover-up of the global elite sex child blackmail operation. So he goes into detail. I think 
sort of uh, correlating it with the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. And then um, John Bound did a report about establishment panics, but will Maxwell walk? And then I have a bunch of Kim Iverson and a couple of just sort of mainstream Ben Swan. Talk- oh, Ben Swan did it. Can we, can we truth the prosecution out of Ghislaine Maxwell? Interesting. So I had a couple of different personalities talk about it, but they're, I don't think, you know, they're covering it to a decent degree, but um, you know, some of those other personalities you just mentioned, Brian. LD, did we ever get the Ghislaine didn't Epstein herself t-shirts before she Epstein's herself? We want to get that to market. Not yet. That is on the list to uh, execute. Oh, by the way, uh, Harrison Smith, um, the American Journal, it's before it's like eight to 11 or 12, you know, and for worse. Anyways, he had a he talks about how Ghislaine trial bombshell. There's the black book, a famous black book was has been authenticated by a witness or witnesses. So he goes over details into that regard. There's also another John Titus video that was very good that we can never really get to to that element but he's just going over sort of the financial what the, titus the knows about hsbc banks. maybe we should get him on the show yeah he well he's been doing a lot of great work recently uh detailing how the global the central global banks like and as well as private equity firms like you have vanguard and black blackrock you know they're they're trying to fix the i mean we hear rothschild talk about this conservation bank and they want to change the way in which we use money He's detailing how they're they're planning that um, the central banks of the world and private equity firms are are getting ready to usher in a Black sort of digital Is that like world the world monolith currency. from two thousand one Space Odyssey. Yeah. What are the esoteric meanings of the Black Rock? Right, right. What does it represent? Does it represent a Saturnalian cult at all in history? You know I that to- day. By the mm. way, did you know that um, Kubrick wanted to use Saturn as the planet they go to? They couldn't make That's the rings it's a Saturnalian look realistic. Child abusing cult. Right. Arthur C. Clarke, all those dudes are in it. Right. So that's why. So you wanted the that whole operation. It looks like a giant penis, right? The, you got to watch five looks or six like a hours. Goddamn giant penis. I'll talk but, real at the end of, you know, if you listen this long to the show, I'll be like, hey, so what's going on? Not for yeah, this. It's, it's a pedophile in the first call. hour. Yeah, we can't. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Multi generational it is too. Intra specific multi- leptoparasites. Multi- yeah, there you go. You got it. Summaries. The still essence. Yeah. Essence for the win. And so, yeah, and then robots, you know, two one drop and Twitter. Oh, yeah, Twitter, you know, gets another racist and actually more racist and more uh, demoniacal. Um, <laughs> so they, you know, Dorsey's out. They got someone even more absurd in there. And yeah, so lots of good fun stuff happening in the fucking world. Uh, People running this place are doing a great job. Let me just tell you. Jesus Let me just tell you. Yeah. They must really be smart because. I just don't get it sometimes. Oh, Chris Cuomo was terminated. That was funny. One hundred percent of the Cuomo brothers are now uh, unemployed. That was funny. That yeah. was funny. <laughs> that was a good one. Mario See, Cuomo's proud somewhere. Uh, I don't know where he's at anymore. But yeah, so there's lots of good fun stuff going on. Oh, I, I just want to plug this. The drinker. So there's a YouTube person. I'll just bring it up here. He calls himself by the critical drinker, and he does. He's been doing a series called. Why modern movies stuck? So stuck. Well, why modern movies suck? And it's mm. phenomenal. Um, he has almost a million subscribers, and it's really poetic. Well, he presents the sort of bullshit postmodern angle to it. He has two iterations now. Last week was why modern movies suck because they're written by children. And he juxtaposes older films to newer films and just shows the infantilism associated with them. And the new one, why modern movies well, suck. Like those people that wrote the latest star Wars, like, yeah, well, that's the literally does. He, yeah. he breaks down the star Wars. Yeah. Seven, eight, nine. And juxtaposes Everyone movies that. had to make sense. 
Yeah. Reality well, doesn't have to make sense, but movies, fiction is supposed to make sense. And he does it within the framework of the deconstruction that the postmodernists love, the Adorno, Marcuse, and Lukács, and Foucault's, and all those assholes. CIA had nothing to do with that. MI6 had nothing to do with that being inserted into Western <laughs> culture. You don't. Don't read Francis Stoner Saunders. Francis, Hell, yeah, the the, the, uh, the like the progenitor of all of it. We cultural talked about Cold the, ra- the race report, CIA and arts and letters, the yeah, race committee. Yeah, like that. That you know, Norman Dodd and all like that come like they weaponized social science. Now, where did the concept of social science come from, Rich? Uh, well, there was that Journal of Race Relations by Thorsten Veblen who wrote. Uh, theory of the leisure class and then uh, became the CFR's foreign affairs journal. Even before that, we have Bentham came up with the oh, idea. Oh, yeah, yeah. East mm-hmm. India Company. Yes. You got East India. It's always like the win for the win. So. You know, John Stuart Mill, Adam Smith. It's like Hegelianism taken Jeremy to Benson, its nihilistic conclusions. Opium monopoly. Postmodernism. Powerhouse <laughs> thinkers of the day. <laughs> oh. Oh, this world it's a crazy ride so yeah why movies suck check that out lots of fun. oh seth rogan this guy said the heat oh funny uh seth rogan had like a meltdown on twitter because his fucking new uh netflix special is terrible and Good. it's getting terrible reviews it's some animated show about like whites or santa claus being some sort I'm of not like, a fan white of his patriarch. but i'm also not going to do the schadenfreude and go watch him i, I just got no no time for. oh something. yeah it's a waste a lot of i hate the culture stuff at this point it's just more of the same, you know. Kyle Rittenhouse the got chased out of ASU. Culture, they you know. are putting the cult back in culture. Well, that's for sure. That's for Jussie Smollett. There's that trial going on. Pretty entertaining. Uh, Juicy Smollett. <laughs> Juicy Smollett. Yeah. Lol. French it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then lots of... Oh, James hey, Corbett. James Corbett did a What is the Trans Agenda? Very good. As well as he did another... I think it was in Solutions. Let me look here. He did another thing. He had, he was, had a busy week writing a new narrative. He talked about this when we interviewed him, that he was planning on doing a Solutions, talking about how we need to write our own narrative, come up with our own story. Now, what did, did Gatto say? What did Gatto say for his holistic self-assessment? That uh, might have been. But just real, But Gatto, what do you say? Like, if you don't write your own script mm-hmm. in life, you're the unwitting participant in someone else's script, something like that, to paraphrase. So kind of reminds me of that. Let's see, is Derek Bros in this? Oh, there's Klaus. Uh, we have a Klaus man. That looks more just like a standard mm, Klaus man. What do we got? So, no, well, I don't. I don't know. It doesn't look like. Maybe he's looks more like a corporate report style. But I don't see Derek Rose. Maybe he's in here somewhere. But I just thought maybe that would be the he did talk about that solution. He, he is planning on doing an interview with Derek Rose. Get um, to know yourself. Sure. Get to know your environment. Leave Jan Smuts out of it, and you'll be fine. Yeah, leave Jan. Now it's fun. I mean, out of it, <clears throat> and all will work out well. So, oh yeah, and U.S. succession and potential civil war. That's all. Lots of uh, come there. on, man. Come on. <laughs> so I said that in like 2017. I'm like, here's the Rothschilds writing about it, and the same things they're describing back then are going on today. I'm just pointing to how history might repeat if we don't learn from it. Yeah, I mean, these guys definitely have uh, the funds, the resources, the they the plans going well into the future, and they are they practice, you know, time management and organization skills. So it seems like they're able to implement a lot of these projects 
when they have already programmed billions of people to think it's their idea to save the planet and do all these things and make these sacrifices and buy into social credit and carbon credits and all this sort of stuff, man. Well, I mean, the generation. See, that's the juxtaposition between the generation of the '70s that was protesting the Club of Rome to now. That's like would promote what the Davos Group is doing, the World Economic Forum. It's just, it's such a funny concept. It, it took what, just only a couple of generations, go like a couple of decades of schooling, and they have most of the young population feeling as though they have no meaning in life and so they they advocate oh, they any told them the world's going to come to an end they just don't yeah. say it's because you're going to get a jab and people are going to not be able to procreate anymore by 2030 right it's like they had that population reduction goal by 2030 but also the un as of may 1st 2020 had a goal still on its site because i screen captured it of uh having everyone on the planet vaccinated by 2030 yeah that's another seat they got two things they're doing like they're doing China is already well ahead of it. Murder over China. here and like oh, over here, it's like not murder. No, it's the same. They're doing the same things. They're like they got it's a limited agenda. It's they not got. divergent streams. They they all coalesce into one tributary, if you will. They built the UN on Rockefeller property and the Rockefeller architect. Yeah, they did designed it. Yeah. It's international territory, though, guys. It's it's legit, right? And then they sponsor a club, and people were in it. We're not in it though. Just like the good club and the club room, those other clubs they beat us with. It's funny how they always they switch up those words. They always use the opposite to describe actually what they like the good club. <laughs> yeah, I mean maybe it's the, the <laughs> they just change the definitions, Tony. That's it. Same yeah. way that the vaccines are effective because they just change definitions. Now they're effective. Gene therapies. Gene they're therapies. all good. It's all good. Rebranding. LD, yeah. who do we got to thank before we uh, hop off this episode? All right. Well, thanks to everybody joining us live, especially out on the Rockfin. Uh, oh, geez. Where did everything go? Um, Thank you cool to background. the folks yeah, on the Rockfin. Loyal geez. crowd on the Rockfin. And then there's the new, new spot on Rumble. It's like Windows. a recent type thing. And uh, people on Jules Kroll loaning us the pirate channel tonight on YouTube. Uh, we we got at some point got, for South Park. Down. Jules got in trouble. Ah. Uh, well, anyway, well, sorry about that. Yeah. Laurie Quigley, Nicholas the Wiz, Rob, Juno, Teresa, Glenn Faru, T Can, Fabricio, Dallas Avad, Matt Green, B1, and Bent Reg. Thanks for your support on Rockfin. And thank you. Thank uh, you. Especially Dallas. Dallas is so consistent and always uh, attitude of gratitude always, and optimistic yeah. and very, yeah. Very much appreciated from all of you. Can appreciate everyone. It's inspiring. Uh, everyone tuning in. We had a we had a little bit of debate going on, but it was a lot of fun. I always enjoy the chats. They can be a little crazy. Was there a lot of people participating in it? Was was it like mm-hmm. a mass debate? Or it was, it was, yeah, it was a mass debate. Oh, geez. A lot of Jizz Lane. Oh no. <laughs> situation going on got a little sticky in there <laughs> it wasn't due to the humidity although there was humidity from the perspiration too much they're giving her the old sharon stone interrogation methods right now was it um uh, was she, it rosebud you know she's um, smoking first first wife rosebud what are you gonna do arrest her for smoking basic instinct you guys should check it out all right so uh we're going to have who else is going to be mentioned in the trial over the next couple of weeks. We got Dershowitz on there. 
We should actually have like a, a pool. Everyone put in five bucks. No, oh, there's How so long? many. Oh my god. Well, we should get a like a <laughs> copy someone's format then. Like they do the final four, you know. Yeah. So like, you could they honestly take the black book and you can just is Les Wexner the Victoria's Secret dude? Is he still out there? Is Wexner, he gonna be called in the yeah, trial? <laughs> like to see the witnesses calling yeah that's gonna be it's uh, this child is nothing more than a joke to make sure they cover up as much as they can surprised they didn't offer but um, maybe they have an out for her somehow we shall see what happens remember when trump said i wish her well uh i don't know we'll see he's he's in the logs too so oh yeah yeah they're all they're all there but the ones that, I mean, Dershowitz, it's multiple times, if I remember correctly. I mean, Bill Gates had, I don't know how many. Clinton. Oh, Clinton had like 12. I think times. one of the logs was Epstein flying on Trump's plane and Trump's a germaphobe. So, you know, there's not like the shenanigans going on there. But when people were flying on the Epstein Lolita Express, they expect it to live up to its name. That's why uh, Billy Bob Clinton and Kevin Spacey and all those dudes were. Uh, see, I did that. Billy Bob Thornton. With Bill yeah, I know. Thornton and Clinton. Sure. That's a good conflation there. He's all sling blade. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it is late. That's hilarious. Late Clinton. <laughs> Fine yeah. road scholar. Fine road scholar who served. Don't worry, everyone. Country. Served England well. They're all lizards. over here. That's all anyone ever needs. La la la. Can't hear you, prank caller. Don't know what you just <laughs> said there. Thanks, Skeletor. What was that? What was that website? That was so funny. It had me on the ground the other day. Something about dude who takes lizards seriously. Skeletor, send that to me. That was funny. I want to get a laugh because it's I'm delirious right now. And it made me laugh. So well, crikey, next time, next thing you're gonna be doing is talking about talking about slee stacks <laughs> and crater motwa. Oh Christ. Crazy world. So well, all right. So uh LD, thanks for running mission control tonight from the uh Fullerton mission control board. Yeah, killing that. Hand on the flight, yeah, keeping us in orbit. Great job. And for everyone else, can watching. I pull off a oh, real quick? Yeah, what do you got? Yeah, quick, yeah of course. See? Uh, I, I went to the Howard Springs exhibit at the San Diego uh, Safari Park with uh, my non compliant shirt on there. Nice pattern breaker. Mm. You were talking about it. Got some compliments nice. and handed out cards. People were receptive nice. to a card. And you're big enough um, that when you're not com- when you, when you have a t-shirt that says that people just get it. They're like, all right. <laughs> well, yeah, I, like I got to. Yeah, that's funny. I like. I that. got to measure up next to a gorilla. I'm uh, not quite a gorilla. Jesus, dude. <laughs> oh my god. He's bigger <laughs> than people. The Vitruvian, that man. doesn't do justice. Like I He's wish I could stand. I wish I was man. standing next to LD to see like how much taller. Like LD is a mountain. Right. He's only oh, two inches taller guy. than me. Yeah. Just take it no, easy. I time. was. Just, I was having like, fun there. I was I was filming. If I'd have drank more milk, he's like my uh, little brother's height. I was imagining uh, filming a mockumentary, you know, with with us people milling about, observing the quarantined residents of the camp. So I was practicing taking some footage with my phone, but <laughs> not a lot of time like to, uh, not a lot of time to cut that up for you guys, but. Uh, this was misplaced satire. Somebody responded like, uh, no, this is a serious problem. So I got to work on my satire a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually on the clip, but, um, real quick, more plugs tomorrow night, Liberty radio. Is that still going on? Right. That's Liberty still... radio. So Phoenix and Grand James. Theft world. 
part two after show spinoff crazy stuff happens they do a little bit of uh mixing they play and some music maybe and then they go over some crazy topics um and then obviously tuesday night town hall seven o'clock p.m eastern time become a subscriber lots of fun content and um yeah then that's basically it and then I'll, I'll plug uh we've been posting trailers for grand theft world on the youtube page that i have out there and that's a good thing to share with people to get them to the longer episodes uh there's also a couple of vlogs there that i've done in the past two weeks so check it out all right with all the housekeeping done let's close this show out thank you guys all for tuning in and not dropping out we'll see you next sunday night 9 p.m eastern time uh, will we have a guest? We don't know. Will we still talk about ecology and the green agenda and the great reset? Probably because these fuckers aren't going to stop anytime soon. We got to get it more clear to pass it around to more people. So they don't think conspiracy theory. They think, holy shit, these people have morphed into an overarching green agenda army. That's going to make the whole world into a wilderness. Sand like a people. lizard. Maybe they're terraforming. I'll <laughs> entertain joking, the I'm argument. I, I just I'm enjoy. I'm just enjoying making fun of that. I love it. I'll Sorry. entertain the argument, but uh, yeah, we'll look at more proof, more evidence next week. Thank you, guys all. <laughs> Sorry, freedom is learned. It's not inherited. That's my point. Oh, lizard screen. That's funny. It's Peace. four a.m. Bye bye. Don't be a chameleon. <laughs> there you go. Conspiracies well, you're the story of history is the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at GrandTheftWorld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there.